Eighth pitch has been the magic one tonight. This time he hits the ball to deep right field. Cody Bellinger has done it! And the Dodgers lead in game seven! By jamming him, but credit Cody Bellinger for not missing the pitch he had to get. Putting his team ahead. Wow. That was a good moment tonight. As a Dodgers fan, I was watching NLCS Game 7, which is the reason for this show starting very late tonight. I told you guys that would be the case. Dodgers won 4-3 to despite falling behind in the game twice. And they win a very difficult series against the Braves, four games to three, coming back from three games to one. And in fact, down in Game 5, looking very bad for them at one point. And they end up going on to the World Series, their third World Series in the last four years. But they have not won since I was 16 years old, since I've been an adult, which was quite some time ago. I turned, I became a legal adult 30 years ago, and the Dodgers have not won the World Series in that time. In fact, they hadn't even made the World Series until three years ago. Now this is their third time in the last four years, though. To be fair, they should have won in 17. They were cheated out of it. They were literally cheated out of it. And uh, the Astros... Got theirs. They did not make the World Series this year after what appeared to be an epic comeback on their part. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dan Druff Woodtellis. We have a free roll tonight. You have a short time still to get in there. It began at 10.20. I apologize for the lateness here. I scheduled for 10.20 thinking that's around the time the show would start, and it started a little bit later than that. It's a $50 free roll. It came from confiscated money. Confiscated money from a previous winner who goes by Landon Mark. He never collected his prize for almost a year. So the $50 is from him, and it's 25 for first, 15 for second, 10 for third. If you can still get in there in the No Fraud Online poker room, then hurry up, get in there. Probably a very small field because of the uh, unscheduled nature of this show. It was kind of scheduled, but kind of not. And uh, if you didn't know the show was starting already, then you probably uh, didn't get in. Except three minutes to get in. It uh, began at 10.20. You have till 10.45 to get in. In hindsight, I should have rescheduled, but nah, I'll just let it ride. Just let it run. Otherwise, I would have stopped it and restarted, but I'm not going to do that 22 minutes in. So we'll just let it go. And if it's a field of 10 people, it's a field of 10 people. If you want to call the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary phone which sits on top of Mount Charleston and forwards to me wherever I go. It's in a cabin there. 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. You cannot text it. You can only call it. We have a call-to-listen line. A call-to-listen line is a phone number you just call and listen to the show. It is not a way to interact with the show, but it is a way to listen to the show. And it does not require a smartphone. It does not require a data plan. It does not require a computer or the Internet. No, 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 no. It only requires any phone that was ever made that can dial. The phone number is 605-313-0736. 605-313-0736. The alternate call to listen line, 641-741-1095. And it is free to call unless you have T-Mobile. If you have T-Mobile, it will cost you one cent a minute. Or I guess if you're outside the U.S., it'll cost you some money, but... It's not my responsibility if it costs you any money. But for most people, if you can make calls within the U.S. without having to pay a permanent charge, then just call the number. It's like a regular phone number you're calling in the South Dakota area. Never buffers, never freezes. It just works. 
If you'd like to catch the show when it's not live, it's very simple. You can find us on one of many podcasting platforms. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. I have bad news. Google Play is going away. Google Play is ending. So if you're counting on Google Play, you may want to switch to something else. So not Google Play anymore. I think it's technically still there, but some people have reported it's not working anymore. But we're also on the TuneIn app. We are on, I think I mentioned Stitcher already, but I'll say it again, Stitcher. We are on the Bullhorn app. We are on Spotify. And we are on iHeartMedia, two very big apps. We were there as well, starting in mid-2020. So we have a lot of different ways to listen to the show. Or just go to the Radio Archives forum in the Poker Fraud Alert forum and click on the MP3 file. It'll just play there. You can play the MP3 directly from the forum, directly from the site. And most devices will just play it without needing any kind of external player to be able to do so. A lot of ways to listen to the show. If there is a form that you want to listen that we do not provide, please let me know. I'm not going to do SoundCloud, not going to do YouTube, but uh, anything else, please let me know. If it does not cost me too much money, then I will consider it. You can text me anytime. The main phone number to the show is our text number also, 775-372-8355. You can text me before, after, or during the show, and I will respond to you. I will respond to you. Well, most likely. I can't promise you, but I'll probably respond to you. If you text me during the show, say at the beginning, do not read on air. Otherwise, I may read it and may embarrass you. But if you're texting me before or after, then I'll know not to read it on air because we won't be on air. But you really can text me at any time. You won't be bothering me. It can be any time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. does not matter how late or early it is. Here is the agenda tonight, and then we will get going. We have an interview. We don't have that many interviews on the show, but this time we do have an interview with a player named Clayton Jang. He's from the Boston area. He claims that he and others got scammed for big money in a live private poker game in the Boston area. So we're going to hear from him. He has a very interesting story from what I can tell, and we're going to find out exactly what happened according to him. That'll be our first topic of the night. Bet Online is getting hammered by a brutal DDoS attack or maybe a hacking. The site has been a mess over the last few days, and it was repeatedly going down. Is your money safe? I will tell you when we get to that segment. Doug Polk is back in the news. He is on a Twitter trolling spree. I'll read you some of his trolling tweets, and we will talk about it. We will talk about why he might be doing this. Speaking of hackers, hackers are playing a poker game for people's stolen identities, where the awards for winning the game are not cash. They are prizes. They are hacked prizes. They are stolen prizes, or they are tools to commit other identity theft type crimes. So we'll tell you about that weird poker game that some hackers are playing for fun. And by the way, it involves Russia. I know you're shocked. A gambler put just $1 into a massive parlay and struck gold. A 20-team parlay was won. With a single dollar, I'll tell you how much that cashed for. You'll be very surprised to hear the amount. We're going to take a look at some questionable YouTube slot machine personalities. There are people who go on YouTube and play slot machines, and some of them have a surprisingly big following. To me, it seems boring, but uh, there are some people who are doing it, some people who are successful doing it. Uh, I don't think successful in winning at slots, and they don't seem to be advantage players, but they have a following of people who like to play them, watch them play slots. What is wrong with that? Well, they are not completely forthcoming 
as to uh, their real win and loss record. And uh, they seem to be uh, using the implication that they're winning to get more eyeballs on their channel and get more fans. And that can be bad because people may get the wrong idea and try to emulate them. So we're going to discuss some of these slot YouTubers, which just came to my attention this week. The Encore Las Vegas, not the Encore Boston, but the Encore Las Vegas is going to be closing midweek due to weak business. And we're going to see if this translates to other casinos doing this soon to where midweek in Vegas, you won't have that many places to go. YouTuber Tom Nash claims that Dan Bilzerian and his company Ignite are nearing bankruptcy. We talked about that before, but I'll give you an update. I'll play the Tom Nash video and comment on it. Coronavirus news. Twitter deleted a tweet from a Trump advisor named Scott Atlas, who is very controversial. He's a doctor at Stanford. And Scott Atlas was uh, saying that masks don't work the way you think they work. So it was pretty controversial, but was it really worth deleting? Should Twitter be censoring content like that, especially from a well-known figure like this Scott Atlas, who actually works with Trump as an advisor? Should Twitter be deleting it? And a better question, is Scott Atlas actually wrong? So we'll talk about that during the coronavirus news this week. Finally, William Hill in New Jersey, the online sports book. If you don't have an account there yet and you're physically in New Jersey, you're going to want to hear this. There's an amazing promotion that is incredibly positive expectation. Not only should you do it if you're physically in New Jersey, but you should get everybody you know to do it because I cannot stress this is a great deal that you are unlikely to see again anytime soon with any sports book. So that'll be at the end of the show. And if you're physically in New Jersey, you definitely want to hear about this. Anyway, we have a special guest tonight, Clayton Jang. You may not have heard of him, but he is a poker pro, and he plays for quite high stakes. And uh, he has some allegations, some very serious allegations about being cheated. Not just him, but several others at a private live game in the Boston area. Uh, I convinced him not to go to sleep yet, even though it's uh, getting close to 2 in the morning. It was hard to convince him of this. But uh, we're going to call him right now, and uh, then we will hear from him what happened in his own words. Uh, you know, he posted about this on Twitter. This isn't a secret. He posted about this uh, earlier this week, and a number of people brought my attention to it and said, you need to get this guy on the show. And it looked like he really wanted to publicize the situation. So I said, okay. We'll try to get him on, and the only problem is the lateness of this, but he stayed up for us, which I appreciate. At least I hope he did. Hello? Clayton Jang, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I apologize for the late hour of this. It happened that the show was uh, scheduled on the day of a long Game 7, and then I had to take a little time to get the whole show ready after that, but... Uh, Thank you for coming on. I know you're three hours ahead of where we are on the West Coast, so uh, hopefully you can uh, be coherent enough to tell your story. Uh, but anyway, welcome to the show. And uh, before we get going here, am I correct to characterize you as a, uh, a high-stakes cash player? Uh, I wouldn't really characterize myself as that. Um, prior to playing in this game, 
Um, I haven't, you know, played any poker for two years. Oh, really? Okay, so, I didn't realize that. So, so but you, you, the amount of money that's involved here was pretty big. That's why I assumed you were high stakes. Like, I've, I've played for stakes like that, too. Uh, I don't even play for that anymore. I've, I've, uh, yeah, the variance was too much for me uh, many years ago when I used to play uh, higher than I do currently. But, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you, you was, it, it's your tweet, and we'll get to the whole story in a second. Your tweet said on October 15th, I was cheated out of 90K over two sessions at Taylor's game. And we'll explain shortly who Taylor is. Two others were cheated for over 100K each. As far as I know, no reparations were made and the game shut down. And he started a thread on 2 plus 2 about it. So uh, I, I assumed you were high stakes, but I, were you just playing bigger than normal in that game? Um, I agree. The game is pretty high stakes. I just don't really play – I haven't really played uh, much poker at all. I was really – this. that was the only game I was playing at the time. So, um, I, you know, I guess uh, I would be, uh, you know, I played a high-stakes game. I wouldn't really characterize myself as a high-stakes player, if that okay. makes any sense. Okay, that's fine. It doesn't really matter. I just was curious. Uh, so, okay. Um, so you're in the Boston area, correct? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm living in Boston now. Yes. So uh, so I guess you were playing in a, uh, a private game, and this is what you've been posting about, and I know you wanted to spread the word. Uh, it's important for everybody to know this. This is uh, um, I, I didn't know Clayton Zhang prior to this. Uh, he's coming on here to make certain accusations. If the accused party, this Taylor, if he wants to come on and refute it, or if he wants to come on the forum and refute it, uh, he's welcome to. I'm not going to censor any counter to this, but uh, you know everybody has a chance here to state what they claim happened to them. And uh, this, this is a pretty uh, crazy story, and it involves a lot of money. And I know that uh, Clayton has wanted to get the word out, which, uh, if his allegations are true, I would want to as well if I were in his position, so I don't blame him. So uh, so why don't you, you go ahead and, and tell us, uh, first, can you describe this game that you were in? Yeah, so um, this is really uh, – I played some home games in high school, but um, this is really the home game I – only home game I've played since high school. Um, you know, Taylor at the time was a close friend of mine. He invited me to his game that he built. He says, you know, it has tons of action players. Um, at the time, he he, he kind of uh, advertised the game as an unraked game, and I think he makes that claim with, uh, you know, a few people that he's reached out to since, since I tweeted. Um, he never said anything publicly, but, you know, he claims, he still claims that the game's unraked. Um, however, you know, any player that's playing the game will tell you that, uh, there is a $500 entrance fee, which means you buy it for 10000 usually, and then you start with $9,500 in chips. At the end of it, uh, there's a 5% fee charged on your winnings. Wow, I, I, that's that's very non-standard. I mean, I don't play in many private games, but I I've never heard of that before. So, we, so you you first have to pay a five hundred dollars fee to even walk in the door, and then second, yeah. whatever whatever if you win, they take five percent of it. Yeah. So so this is more common with uh, online games, uh, where the winners pay five percent, and um, you know at the end of it, the fi- the five percent free roll actually amounts to you know quite a bit of uh rake so is there plus, is there is know. i'm sorry is there rake in the game or is that is that is substitute of the rake 
Well, no. So they're not taking any money uh, out of any pot. Oh, I so see. Okay. So that's why they do it. You know, I guess to uh, avoid saying that they rigged rig the game, even though in actuality there is a fairly heavy rig. Yeah, that is pretty heavy. So I, I'd have to I'd have to figure out. I've never thought of this before. I've never heard of this type of thing happening, but. I would have to think about uh, what the appropriate rake would be where they're taking a percentage of winnings rather than a, a rake per pot. Uh, mm-hmm. he, for those of you that don't know, the, the reason that they're doing this is for legal reasons because once it's a raked game, then it definitely becomes illegal. Now, I, I would think that this would be illegal anyway. I, I don't know for sure, but I, yeah. I would think it's illegal. Not for you to play, but for uh, someone to run a game like this. And, and take, yeah, for sure. but that, that's not that's not what we're really talking about tonight. I don't I don't really care if these games run or what the rake is. I'm like as long as everybody's in agreement, then as far as I'm concerned, I don't care, and I don't want to see anyone get in trouble. But of course, if somebody's cheating, that's a different story. So so the Taylor you're referring to, uh, you wrote on two plus two. His name is uh, Taylor von uh, Kriegenberg, right? Yeah. Okay. So I've never heard of him, but uh, but he's the yeah. one who who's running the game. Is anybody else run this, or is it just his game? Uh, he does have a partner, but um, you know his name will remain. You know, I, I I'm not going to mention his name because uh, I have been threatened a few times, and um, you know, for my safety, I don't really want to mention his name. I understand. Okay, so uh, and yeah, that's that's a crazy part of the story. We'll get to about the the threats too. So uh, so the what you wrote on two plus two was that. Uh, there was cheating in the game, and uh, unlike other uh, cheating stories that have uh, been out there in, in recent years, I won't mention any names, but unlike certain cheating stories, uh, you claim this one wasn't just uh, a belief someone was cheating after the fact. This was uh, a belief that uh, cheating was occurring, and, and someone called it out, and someone caught it. Can you explain how, how this was caught and what happened when it was caught, and, and if you were there when, the, the pers- when this person got caught cheating? So, um, I guess to start with how they were caught cheating, um, that was, so one of the players in the game, uh, who was essentially the biggest mark in the, in the game, um, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not going to release his name either. We'll just call him, uh, you know, Tom. So, so essentially they set up the whole thing to get, uh, you know, to get the players. So they weren't cutting the cards and there's been, so the guy's not very good at cheating either. So essentially the way you cheat is that the, the cheater knows which hand, which seed is going to win at showdown. And he's not, you know, I assume he doesn't have much experience with cheating. So he doesn't quite know how to use this application. And he was doing crazy things like calling all in pre-swap blind with, you know, and turns out he has nine deuce off and wins, you know, and uh, doing stuff like calling, you know, 30,000 with bottom pair and then, you know, hitting trips on the river and beating over pair. So wow. he's not very good at cheating. And so the players were suspicious. Um, but, you know, this guy, Tom, before the dealer dealt, start, starts to deal one hand, he says, stop and cut the cards. And the dealer replied, no. So, um, and then, you know, the two game runners, Taylor and his partner, kind of jumped uh, out of their seats and, you know, was, was explaining to him why they were telling the dealer not to cut. They're saying, you know, the players are complaining that the game is going too slowly <laughs> and they wanted to increase the efficiency, so they told the dealer not to cut. Yeah, so, so then, let, I'm sorry. Let me, let me stop you for a second just yeah. to explain to the audience. Uh, so 
you're saying that, that it was shuffled, but then after the shuffle, uh, it was not cut. And, and then uh, this Tom right. this Tom said, wait a minute, why aren't you cutting here? And said, hey, dealer, cut the cards. The dealer wouldn't. And then uh, uh, it was Tom who said that, who's, who's actually the fish in the game. And then uh, the, Taylor and, and his partner <laughs> jumped out of their seat. And then what happened? So essentially, so Tom at that point knew that there was cheating. So first of all, we were not cutting the cards. Uh, there's cheating going on. Um, it's pretty simple. There's no reason to never cut the cards. Um, so Tom, who has been cheated in a similar fashion before, was very sensitive. And so at that point, he knew that there was cheating. But, you know, what he did, uh, you know, I don't want to go into too many details, but essentially what he did was he tried to free roll the game. So he asked for, you know, another 100000 on credit, you know, not planning on paying it back. So, um uh, and then the, the the whole reveal part didn't happen until the following morning uh, where they accused. So Tom and his friends, uh, who I also won't name, uh, sat down with uh, Taylor, his partner, and told them point blank that, you know, we know that, that there's cheating and uh, we want our money back and we're not going to pay our losses. So they had a, you know... Uh, so at the time I was in Europe and uh, I was kind of kept dark until a month and a half later. So I had suspected, but, you know, I didn't have any, conclu- you know, I, I didn't know for a fact. And at the time I still trusted Taylor, you know, close to a hundred percent. So, you know, even though I was very suspicious, you know, I wasn't sure until uh, Taylor himself admitted to me uh, in the middle of January, but and then I heard about this conversation between Tom, his friend, and Taylor, his partner, uh, recently. So, wow. So, um, so, so let, let me uh, catch up here. So, um, so Taylor admitted this to you in mid-January of 2020 that he was. How did he explain it? He's like, I, sorry, I was cheating the game. <laughs> how do you come out and say that? So, so, so he said that uh, this guy Stu, pictured in C1 on the two plus two post is cheating with uh, C2. Um, and he doesn't know about it until after the fact. Uh, his partner uh, orchestrated this whole thing, and he's a victim because, you know, he had to pay out the winners. And obviously, and he said he said his uh, partner is a big, big-time big gangster, and his life's in danger, and he's a big victim. Uh, he had no clue who's kept in the dark. Um, so... You know, he, you know, he says, you know, he, he's essentially broke. He can't pay me, even though he knows that he should as a game runner that rakes the game. Um, and he, as a friend, he hopes that, that I understand. And, you know, he's kicking out his partner. So he wants to rerun, restart the game a month from January, you know, 15th, 15th, roughly speaking. So he wants to restart the game in February and he would, you know, he says Tom and the other players all understand that they're going to be part of the game, and he wants me to come back to play in February. So after the cheating in the game, he actually uh, wanted to – he says they're cheating the game, and uh, sorry, I was a victim too, and uh, would you like to come back to the game uh, a month from now, and, and we're going to restart it, and, and this time it's going to be okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as crazy as that sounds, that's pretty much what happened. So I asked, you know, for my money back, 
I said, you know, what kind of deal did Tom and the other, his friend cut? Uh, Taylor claimed that they paid half of what they lost. I recently found out that they didn't pay anything. So at the time, I was skeptical. I was like, you know, so these two guys realized that they were cheated and they paid half. I was very skeptical at the time, but, you know, I didn't reach out to them personally because I was threatened that uh, if I were to talk, you know, there could be, you know, physical violence done to me. So I didn't reach out to anyone. I kept it silent. I didn't tell anybody uh, except for my girlfriend at the time. Even when, when my close friends asked me, you know, are you still going to Taylor's game? I was like, no, not really. They asked me why. I said, you know, I've been losing too much. So, you know, I didn't tell anybody except for my girlfriend at the time. Um, so I definitely didn't reach out to the other two players because, you know, I don't know what kind of deal that they reached with the game runners and if they would tell the game runners about me asking them questions. So, so at the time, like, you know, I was still kind of didn't get any information. I wasn't told how they cheated. Taylor wouldn't even tell me who the dealer was for that game because I wanted to kind of talk to the dealer because I knew, you know, most of the dealers. Uh, so Taylor wouldn't even mention the name of the dealer to me. So let me, let me stop uh, for a second here. So yeah. at the game where, the, where this all went down, where, the, where Tom uh, raised an issue here, you weren't there, that you weren't present for that actual occurrence. Uh, so, but, so for that meeting, it was Tom, his friend who plays in the game, uh, Taylor and his partner, and uh, apparently a big guy that is the cousin of Taylor's partner. Okay, and, and you uh, – so you weren't in that game, but uh, but you lost in other games that were running there that you believe the same uh, – No, no, was... so – yeah, so I wasn't part of the conversation where the cheating accusations were raised the following day i mean this this gets uh, even more uh ridiculous so i was taking a player that taylor introduced me to i won't name her name either taylor said you know she's a good player she's a friend of mine uh you know it's very easy to get her in the game because she's a you know good looking girl would you like to stake her so at the time i was like sure so what happened was the per the the person that i that Taylor introduced me to that I decided to stake lost 90,000. Um, so I wasn't, so I was in Europe at the time. I wasn't, uh, physically in either oh, of the two games that I the see. cheating happened. So, so it was a person you staked. So the money you lost was through a stake horse that uh, you were encouraged to stake. Yes. Yes. So yeah, you know, staking is a hundred percent of losses. Are taken on by the uh, by the staker, yeah, and then uh, there's with makeup. Okay, so and and, and and this happened. There's no makeup. And, and this per, this person right. who was being yeah. staked, even though you were introduced to her, do you believe she was involved, or do you think that she was a she was a... right? So yeah, at the time I thought a lot of things um, because I didn't know her. She was Taylor's friend, and she lost. So at the time I was like, so when I was kept in the dark for about you know six weeks. I was in Europe for a month, and then I was back in Boston for two weeks. Um, I was thinking a lot of thoughts. I was thinking maybe she's a bad player. Maybe, you know, Taylor just told her to lose the money to, you know, their friends, and then I'll pay all of it, uh, or there's cheating. So um, I really didn't want to entertain any of these suspicions because I viewed Taylor as a very close friend, and he was, uh, you know, kind of a mentor to me. So I really didn't want to go down this rabbit hole. Yeah, I actually forget your your original question. 
Oh, I was just, well, I was just asking about uh, if you thought that uh, she was involved, and you you answered that. But yeah, yeah, I think everybody's up to speed here. So you've uh, so the money you lost was actually through a third party who was playing that you staked that you agreed to take the hundred percent of the losses, which is which is standard when you stake yeah. somebody. And then yeah. uh, and then you you had your suspicions that maybe the person who you staked since you didn't know him very well, and then you tailor better that they uh, dump chips on purpose, uh, thinking it'll just the money will come from you, and they they would get a piece later possibly. So uh, so okay. Yeah, exactly. so, so, so go from there. So what happened from there? So I guess it was uh, middle of January when Taylor admitted cheating. And at the time, I was I felt like throwing up. Uh, so I was sick to my stomach. Uh, I wanted to believe that Taylor wasn't involved. Um, but I, you know, I can't really because uh, Taylor's partner doesn't do anything for the game. Taylor uh, is the one that reaches out to dealers, schedules their shifts, and... Uh, it's in his apartment. He's, you know, kind of the de facto game runner, whereas the other, the other partner is kind of, you know, there for protection for the game. So, so, and in order for this, so at the time I didn't even know. Uh, I was told that Taylor. I was told by Taylor that the dealer wasn't cutting the cards. So, and that his partner had told the dealer not to cut the cards. So. At the time, I didn't really know exactly how the cheating happened and whatever, but for me, there's just no way that, because Taylor plays in every game, and he's the one that schedules shifts for dealers. So uh, the one thing I did know is that for every game, there's two rotating dealers, and for those two particular games, there's only one dealer, and she was using two decks instead of one, whereas so the game was using one deck before. Uh, for those two cheating games, they're using two decks, and she wasn't cutting. Um, so for me, so so I pretty much know that Taylor would be making all those decisions with the dealer. And even if, in my mind, like even if somehow his partner told the dealer, you know, schedule one dealer instead of two, told her to deal two decks instead of one, and told her not to cut the cards. Taylor, as a player and a game runner who's been... He's been around the Boston home game scene for over 10 years. So for someone like that to not notice all those changes uh, and just be completely a victim, like he says, and kept in the dark, to me, it didn't make any logical sense to me. So right, right. So, so if no, you, you no basically, yeah. right, right. So you're saying that he, since he's in the game himself, there's no way that all these weird, non-standard things could happen without him questioning it, that it just wouldn't make sense for someone at uh, his experience level. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, okay, as far as the method, you mentioned in your two plus two post that uh, it's and I actually heard about this uh, years ago. Not about the, the Taylor or anyone associated with him, but just in general, I heard about uh, uh, this method that you believe was used there. And that is uh, there is there's a device out there that can uh, that uses uh, a it looks like a cell phone, and if it's close enough to a deck, can actually. Uh, and of course, it has to be a special deck, but uh, that it can actually read the cards, all 52 cards in the deck, and knows the exact order of the cards, and then of course uh, will know what order that uh, it's going to be dealt. And this—that's the way it can identify who's going to have the winning hand, because it's not only going to know all nine hands at the table, but it's also going to know the flop, the turn, and the river. So it actually knows the result of the hand. If if all nine people were to play, uh, who would be the winner? And and if that is uh, and then there's an earpiece that uh, to where it can transmit 
you know, which seed is going to be the winner, and that's very useful information to have. So, for example, if you know you would be the winner if all nine hands played, then you could bet unlimited money, and no matter how bad your bet appeared to be at the time, if by the time you get to the river you're the winner, you've done the right thing. So, uh, so obviously it's a super powerful method to, uh, to cheat if you were to use such a device, but uh, the weakness of it, uh, you know, there's a few weaknesses to it as far as uh, getting away with it, and, and one of them is that uh, it has to that the device has to be on the table. You can't, you know, you have to actually have. Uh, and, and I guess there's the device, and also it's your 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 phone actually works with the device. So you need two phones on the table: one the real phone, one the fake phone, and uh, they both have to be near the deck. And then you also have to have an earpiece in, which a lot of this is hard to get away with. Uh, you know, people may ask, why do you have two phones? Why is it sitting so close to the cards? Uh, why you have an earpiece on? I'm like, there's a lot of ways you can get caught here. But uh, you posted that you believe that this device was used in that game. Yeah. So, um, so that picture I got from my friend who, uh, you know, so I was kept in the dark and I kind of tried to forget about this whole thing and had written off the whole situation, but you know, recently I was talking to a friend who was in the game, who was Tom's friend. So he told, so he sent me this picture. He's like, you know, where they really fucked up was um, the the game runner has sent him a picture to get him to come to the game, and that picture has ended up becoming the incriminating evidence. So in that picture, uh, there are two phones that literally over the line on the poker table, according to my friend, uh, the guy Stu never even used those two phones ever. Uh, they were placed there, and the deck uh, was always placed in front of the, the two phones, and the dealer didn't cut the deck. And he was wearing hoodie. Uh, you know, right, and I see the- that. I actually see the picture, and if anybody's interested, you can find it in the 2 plus 2 thread on the, on the first page. Uh, this was this pay, this picture is uh, you can even see out the window. It looks like it's in a hotel room. It's uh, where, where was this? Was this? Uh, it was. It, it took place in the penthouse at the Benjamin. It's an apartment building uh, in Seaport in okay. Boston. Oh yeah. So you can see the tall buildings in Boston in the background out the window. You can see the seat one that he's talking about, and uh, this guy in seat one. You can you can see there's two phones stacked on each other, and they are like over the line of the table, like they're further into the table than you'd expect someone to hold their phone. You'd expect most people would have their phone on the rail uh, if, if their phone's going to be on the table or at least, you know, against the rail. This is yeah, pushed in fairly far into the table, two phones on each other, which of course is weird. And and he does have a white hoodie on in this picture. You said C2 was involved. He He's actually flipping off the camera. Why, why was that? Was that a joke or was he not happy a picture was being taken? What was the who is C two well, by the way? Is that, is that the other guy who runs so the game, or who is C two? Yeah, C two sends JP. So essentially, the game runner would take pictures of the game and send it to players to get them to come to the game. So that was one of the pictures that that they took. Um, obviously, if so, I was told that C two that C two essentially brought in C one to do the cheating, and that there were some. Uh, Sketchy hands that went down with C2. So obviously C2 is not wearing any earpiece. Yeah. But it might, uh, so, and this is just a complete uh, surmise on my part. So because C1 and C2 are sitting next to each other, uh, essentially Stu can, you know, tap, for example, on the feet of JP 
if uh, you know if in his earpiece it says P two wins. Oh, or I, right? I guess he could so, kick him. He kick him under the table too. Is another way. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I mean, obviously, this is all just surmise, but what I what I was told is that C two brought in C one. Okay, and C one. So Stu is the guy in seat one, right? Yeah. Okay, and uh, and so. If, yeah, it, it's a weird picture, and uh, and you said that in the two plus two post that the deck uh, was was right in front of these two phones, and that they the dealer was was yeah, told to actually, yeah. You can see in the picture the deck is you know uh, it's not so uh, for right handed dealer. It is a little bit weird that she would keep the uh, keep keep the shuffle deck under uh, non dominant hand. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, so obviously we can't tell in the picture which hand she uses, but, uh, but yeah, the, I will tell you from looking at this picture right now in front of me, this dealer is a woman. She has uh, the rest of the deck that hasn't been dealt yet uh, to her left, which, uh, which Clayton's saying is not the hand she normally uses. She's a right-hander, and and then uh, it's directly to her left, which of course is then very close to seat one. This guy Stu, who's got the two phones, so the distance from the deck to the phones. The two phones stacked on each other is not very far, and and the reason is that it, it to be able to sense what's in these decks, then uh, the phones have to be close. It can't be all the way across the table. It can't even be any reasonable distance away. So uh, so obviously she would have had to be instructed to do this and put the deck there. And the deck there by itself doesn't mean anything. But uh, but I will admit from looking at this picture, just by itself from looking at this picture and knowing that this device exists because i heard about this device years ago i've never seen one in operation i've never tried one myself i don't have access to such a thing i could buy it but i would have no use for it since i'm not a cheater but i i would trust that this device does exist and this looks very much like the the picture here looks very much like uh the pictures i've seen of that device in action in in, uh a few years ago so uh so that i agree it's very suspicious including the fact that the, the the guy in seat one has a hoodie on indoors and uh, and is the one accused of doing all this, and he has the two phones in front of him. I mean, it's, it's a it's a pretty strong picture. So, uh, so this guy, had this guy, Stu, ever in the game prior to this, or was it just these two sessions that uh, you're concerned uh, with? Just these two sessions. So he's a pretty low limit player in the casino in Boston. So you know, it's very, you know, he, from what I hear, plays you know two five and five ten. So it's already fairly sketchy that he's playing, you know, fifty hundred. Um, so this, yeah. this, this, this is fifty hundred, no limit, is what it was. And it could get bigger. Oh, and it, it, it could get know, bigger. Wow. In a home game, so you know, it's ten k buy-in game. You know, he plays two five, five ten because you know, uh, mostly two five from what I hear. Yeah, well, well fifty one hundred is pretty big. So <laughs> that's a, that by itself is already a large game. So yeah, okay. And uh, so, over the, do you know what this guy Stu won in the game over those two nights? I know the person you backed with lost ninety k, but uh, what 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 was won overall by Stu there? Or Stu and Stu and the so, other guy? What what do you believe was so stolen I, from the game? Uh, I have no idea. So, um, so the person that I staked, I I was suspicious, so I capped her to twenty thousand. She lost twenty thousand in the second game, and she left. So, and you know. There's no way Taylor would have told me how much Stu had won, given he wouldn't even tell me who the dealer, the name of the dealer. Um, so, you know, I have no idea how much Stu won. Okay, and uh, so you said in your in your first post that 
Um, actually, not even, I think it was on Twitter. You said that you lost, uh, so you lost 90k in the whole thing, and then uh, mm-hmm. you said you knew some others who lost a lot in this. So Tom and his friend, uh, who's you know my friend, um, they each lost uh, six figures. Okay, so that's uh, a lot of money there. Uh, you talked about threats. Uh, you see, so did the threats come from this uh, this partner who was known to be a, a kind of a bad guy? You there? Let's see. We lost him. I hope it wasn't because of this question. <laughs> Let me see if I call him back. Hopefully he didn't fall asleep. I know he's very tired. Let me try to call him back. I, I wanted to know the answer to that one about the threats. That's I was saving the best for last year in this story. Maybe we'll wake him up here. This may end on the cliffhanger. Hi, you oh. Clayton Jang. Please leave a message that, after the tone. I thought that was him. That fooled me. The hi, I thought he was saying hi to me. Very weird. Maybe he lost reception. Maybe the, the gangster in, in that game came and got him. I don't know. I hope not. But uh, it, it is after 2 a.m. there, so that would explain why uh, he fell asleep. But <laughs> I don't think I've had anybody fall asleep on me during an interview before. Though in his defense, he wanted to stall this till next week because it got late and I talked him into... Doing it on this show, Parsh. Oh, here we go. He's calling back. Okay, good. Okay, good. We got we got you back. I, I was afraid that maybe we lost you because uh, someone came and got you during the interview. Right. So, okay. I mean, this is um, kind of tricky. I don't know. My phone's never not had service, but it just went. It said no service, and uh, I restarted. So, uh, obviously, they're not capable of shutting down my phone service. But no. this is kind of uh, you know <laughs> tricky. <laughs> okay, well let, let's let's go on here. So, uh, so I'll ask you again the yeah. the person who was uh, you said you got some threats. Was it from that uh, partner of his that's uh, that's known to be a gangster or whatever he is? No, uh, it was from Taylor. So Taylor was like, you know, these guys are are you know very dangerous. You know, being the good friend that I am, you know, I'm telling you, just let it rest. Uh, you, you know, you could get hurt. You know, I fear for my life. <laughs> you know, the whole shebang. Um, and you know, his partner, who, according to him, is very dangerous, never made any threats. Uh, he just texted me. He texted me to to get lunch with him a few times. I blew him off, but you know, that's about it. So, so what changed here? So you got these threats, and you said you were uh, you, you were kind of uh, worried about them. Which is understandable, but uh, now yeah. uh, later in the year, because this all occurred early in 2020, here we are in, in uh, mid October 2020. What made you suddenly uh, decide to come forward with this? So I had written off this whole thing, um, and you know, stopped contacting Taylor or having you know any contacts with him. And what changed was, I would say, two things. Uh, actually, three things. So I was recently hanging out with my friends and uh, we started talking about this this game and he showed me this picture he and told me a lot of information that I didn't have before uh, one being I had, I had mentioned previously that he and Tom didn't pay any of their losses so that's one thing I didn't know which along with some other information leads me to believe that 
Taylor has just been lying to me repeatedly. And he's not, you know, looking out for my for my own safety or has my interest in mind. He's just trying because, you know, I'm, you know, not really exactly a poker player and don't know that many people. He just thought he could, you know, not make any reparations to me. And I was the only person that posted money for the game. I thought everyone had posted, but so I posted a quarter million with uh, Taylor because I trusted him, and I thought everyone was posting money, but everyone was on credit. So there was no way for me to get out of not paying since I already have money with Taylor. Um, so that would be the, the first reason. The second reason being um, I was re- I recently received the kind of the legally taped conversation, you know, it's an hour and 45 minutes long, took place in Starbucks. Uh, it was between Taylor's partner, Tom, and my friend. So I recently got this uh, conversation, and, and it's, you know, incriminating enough that I feel like my safety is probably, you know, I feel like I'm fairly safe, given that I have this recording even though it's illegally taped, but I don't think any of the parties would ever want this to be released. I see. So, yeah, I see. I looked I, as, you, as you were saying that I looked it up because some states it's, it is legal to secretly secretly yeah, record people, but yeah, I see. Unfortunately, in, in Massachusetts, you can't do that. I see. It's it's a two party yeah, uh, consent so I, state. So, so I had made promises to you know never share this tape with anyone. Uh, I know Chad Holloway from Public News wanted to hear it. I told them I couldn't. Uh, also, David Tuckman, who's you know going on his podcast at some point next week. Asked me if you're, I told him no. I, you know, made a promise to not share it with anyone in order, you know, in order for my friend to feel safe enough to give me the tape. Uh, I told him it's for my safety. Yeah. Um, so the third reason, which actually, you know, quite, uh, you know, disgusting to me is that Stu, you know, I heard from my friends that Stu is allegedly cheating in two other home games. So a lot of people think he plays weird and he uses two phones and earpiece. So obviously I haven't been to either of those two home games. Uh, I know one of them uh, is called uh, Doc's Game in Revere. Um, I recently heard that Stu plays in those two home games, uses two phones. You know, he's always in C1, C9, and C5. Uses two phones, earpiece, and plays and wins, you know, weird hands where he calls down with like fourth, fifth pair. And just, you know, somehow always wins. So obviously, I can't really accuse him, but I'm pretty... So for me, I, I don't require a ton of evidence since he cheated me. Um, you know, for me, he was cheating in those two other Boston home games. And in order for him to cheat, the dealer and the game runners all have to be in on it. So it's... And I have some, you know, good friends, close friends who played there. My girlfriend played once. Uh, it just, um, you know, it's quite disgusting to me that in those two home games where they rigged the game, you know, rigged the shit out of the game and they still want to cheat uh, and it kind of makes my blood boil a little bit. So I decided, you know, it's kind of enough is enough. Uh, I'm going to come forward. I'm going to come forward with, uh, with this thing. Because- I see. Yeah, I understand. That makes sense. Uh, the, the tape you have, which I understand why you're not sharing it. You're kind of using it as a piece that, that guarantees your own safety and, you know, once you play that, then you've uh, blown your load, so to speak. So the, the question is here, with that tape, though, can you describe at all what you heard on it? Can you describe what you heard that convinced you that uh, that you're not that much in danger? Is there anything you can say about that tape other than just 
once you heard it, you uh, you were more willing to come forward. So it's an hour, hour forty five minutes long, and uh, Tom and my friend essentially threatened. They were like, you know, we're not paying, and you know, they brought in someone to kind of, you know, fairly physically physically threatening into the meeting. They were like, you were worse. We're gonna go to the sets if you make us pay. Uh, and they let him. They let them off the hook. So, uh, so with this information, out, you know, I don't. You know, I feel like. Yeah, you know, okay, I, I understand. So, if you feel if if they did, if they just refused to pay and and said we're going to go with the feds, and then they just didn't do anything about it, and nobody got killed or beaten up, then you're you're probably okay with going forward. Yeah. So, with, with this game, you, you posted the money. So obviously, uh, you couldn't refuse to pay. How many people had to post there? Was were you the only one, or were I thought I thought everyone had posted, but according to my friend, he was like, "Yeah, you were the only one. No one fucking posted." And and did, is it known how many people paid? I know Tom and his friend didn't pay, but uh... so again, everything was kept under wraps. Everybody, I'm sure, was approached by Taylor to keep their mouth shut. So the only person I talked to was my friend, and he says him and Tom didn't pay. So. That's all I know. Yeah, because this always creates a problem in, the, in these private games, uh, whether they are illegitimate games or not. If uh, someone who loses a lot of money believes they were cheated and won't pay, even if they're just being paranoid, which in this case probably isn't the case, but uh, if, if someone decides they're not going to pay, then that causes a problem with the economics of the game because then someone has to eat the money that isn't being paid, and sometimes then the game operator will try to find a way out of paying uh, those who won, uh, and uh, so they'll, they'll find some way so they don't have to eat it, and uh, that that can be a problem too. Uh, that actually happens on those Poker Bros games sometimes where ones who are – even Poker Bros games that are legitimate and where there's no cheating where if the, the big fish loses and then won't pay, when he loses on credit, then the, sometimes the operator will just fly the coop because they don't want to eat, they don't wanna eat the, uh, the difference there. That could be a factor in this too, but uh, now is this game going at all? Still, is this this game that uh, Taylor's running? Is it continuing or is it over? So it's over. So he ran it twice in February, where Christian uh, Soto played. Uh, I didn't know who played. Christian uh, Soto reached out to me. He's like, "Hey, you know, I played in February. Do you think they were cheating then?" So you know, I don't know who he is, but he got on the phone call and I told him, you know, from for, for what it's worth, I don't think they were cheating because that would just be insane. Um, but they ran it twice, nobody went back, and uh, the game essentially died after those two times in February. Plus, you know, there was COVID. Um, yeah, so, that's right. You know, but the game died after February. That's right. I did not think of that factor. But, yes, uh, in March is when COVID really uh, everyone became very worried about it, and uh, that threw a wrench into all these things. So, well, it's good that you're coming forward with all of this, and uh, – it's too bad that you uh, posted the money there and that you didn't have a way out of that. And uh, one thing I am wondering, though, from hearing this whole story, especially given that you're saying that Stu is now going to other games and, and pulling the same thing, um, isn't he worried that uh, someone's going to suspect something given the weirdness of the, the hoodie and the, and the two phones sitting on the table? And like, isn't he worried someone's just going to get up? And come over and rip the hoodie off his head and uh, and see an earpiece and everyone will freak out. Like, isn't unless unless there's enough security there that uh, could overpower the pissed off players? I would think someone who's cheating in a game using that method, it's pretty easy to expose that someone's suspicious. You just rip off the hoodie and there's the earpiece and the whole thing falls apart. 
Well, so I was told that Stu is a very dangerous person. So that kind of, um, that's enough. I don't think anybody's going up to Stu if this dangerous person, you know, are ripping off his hoodie. So, but do they know that though? Because I mean, I'm looking at him in the picture. He just looks like a regular guy. He doesn't look like some big tough guy. Now, he you don't have to be physically large to be dangerous, of course. But uh, if people don't know him, I could see where he's the type where people, you know, someone, especially a bigger guy, wouldn't be afraid of approaching and ripping the thing off, uh, unless everybody he's, knows. Uh, he, has a, he has a reputation, so I don't know who he is, but according to my friends, everybody you know knows that he's you know quite a dangerous person. I see. So people would be afraid to to go up to and do that. Well, that's 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 a pretty uh, bad story here, and uh, I, I think if if there's a, a something that the public who's listening can learn, not just uh, to stay out of these games involving these characters in Boston, which of course is a a, a very big uh, thing that everybody should do, but in general, if anything seems a little weird at any of these private games, then. Uh, Leave. <laughs> don't don't continue playing because it probably is weird. There probably is something going on, like a guy wearing a hoodie and, and with two phones on the table, or even if so, it's a different method. Anything that looks off to you that doesn't normally happen at a game and you can't explain it, then it's probably a good idea to uh, not play in such a game. And, uh, of course, especially when there's a lot of money involved, people are uh, going to try to do what they can to get that money, and it's very unfortunate when that stuff happens. So I, I commend you for coming forward with this and trying to make it known, especially since you were threatened and uh, uh, since you're probably believing you're not going to get the money back. I, is that the way you feel right now, that that money just is never coming back no matter what? So, yeah, so I was actually, after I posted, so I had, I had already written off 90000 a long time ago. So Taylor texted me angry, and then he changed his tone to... Hey, you know, if you want to get repaid, be patient. You know, I'm doing a little better now. Um, so, you know, before Taylor was like, yeah, you know, uh, there's nothing I can do. You're not getting 90000 And he changed his tone after a post. Uh, I told him, you know, I didn't really say much. I just posted the thing. And then later during the day, I got a phone call by from uh, David Mock, who is uh, also, uh, you know, used to be a professional poker player from Boston who was a dealer for the game, he called He called me and he was, you know, acted like a friend who was concerned and, you know, asked me, um, hey, is there something you can do about the post? I assume that he's calling on behalf of someone else. Uh, and, you know, he said, I know, you know, you're, you're down 90,000, whatever. Is there something you can do? I told him uh, <laughs> I wouldn't take down the post for a million. Wow, that's that's impressive. A, already, a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, th they post this type of thing, and uh, once they're offered to be made whole, they think, okay, well, as much as I'd like to help everybody else, uh, this is the only way I'm going to get my money back. So, f it, I'll take it down. So that's uh, that's very admirable well, that you, that yeah. you won't do it, even if you were to be uh, way overcompensated. Yeah. So I mean, uh, I do consider that I'm owed the money from Taylor. I don't think I ever see a penny of it. Um, so, you know, 90,000 doesn't really change my life too much. So I guess I'm in a, a bit of a more fortunate spot than probably some other people who lose money in the situation are. I'm like pretty fed up. I keep getting threatened by Taylor. Um, and the fact that I, I realized that Stu is cheating in other private games, I'm just not going to kind of, um, 
be complicit in this by not speaking up. And it has made my life pretty shitty recently. So I've hired a security guard with me for 24-7. Wow. I don't go out too much. Um, so, you know, so there's that. So where is the security guard? I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but is, is he is he there in, in, in your uh, apartment or is he outside or is it, can he yeah, not say? He's, uh, he's, sleeping, he's sleeping in the living room. Wow. Okay. I mean, it's uh, you got to do what you got to do here, and uh, you know, I hope this all turns out okay and, and eventually dies down. I, I admire that you're you're sticking to your guns, and even I, see, I didn't realize that you were actually uh, that you were approached to maybe uh, go silent and. Uh, have this made right and I, I know that was not explicitly offered but it sounds like it was kind of implied to you right. and uh, and yeah, yeah. you just shut I it down and said no I think that conversation I knew enough uh, what the call was going to be about that before I took the call I started recording and uh, so I have that recorded um, from David Mock yeah that's uh, uh, I'm sure you know I, I bet they I bet they uh, would have never had yeah. you involved in this whole thing if they knew you were going to do this, but uh, they probably figured that wasn't well, going to happen. I mean, I was I essentially rolled over back in January. You know, I rolled off ninety thousand. I didn't tell anybody except for my girlfriend. You know, even my close friends, I didn't tell them. But at this point, when I figure out that you know, when I found out that they're cheating in other games, uh, that kind of is, you know, that's kind of where I drew the line. So yeah, uh, I don't know how many how many of your listeners are from the East Coast, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, we have we have people I all do. over. Yeah, I we would. have we have people in the east. Yeah. We have, uh, in fact, a lot of people listen. They'll, they'll be hearing this uh, tomorrow or the next day. This is a very long show. This is going to go on many hours after you hang up, and so it ends up like five, mm-hmm. six, seven hours. And people kind of you know listen the, th- throughout the week in, in podcast form. And and many of them are in the east coast. It's, we we have some in the west and some in the east. We have some in, in Europe and Asia. We have people all over the place that listen. And uh, okay. of course, this is most so rele- most yeah, relevant yeah. to those in in Boston, of course, or near Boston. But uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting story for everybody, even if it's not going to affect them personally. Like I I would I would never be in a a Boston private game because I'm nowhere near there, and and uh, other than occasional vacations there, I would never will be. But still, it's it's an interesting story, and it's a little look into the high stakes world, and 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 an accusation of that device we heard about years ago, and in fact talked about on the show years ago. Now being accused of being in use, and that picture—it's a pretty telling picture. In fact, after I'm done with the show, I'm going to post uh, that picture for everyone to see on the scam scandals and shadiness forum, and I'll put a link to the two plus two thread. Even though I'm banned from two plus two, but that's a that's a different story. I think I'm doing all of this uh, to uh, out the bad actors in Boston poker. So I would, uh, you know, ask for your help. You know, I know you said the aforementioned stuff. Uh, just to get the word out, especially to, you know, viewer, you know, listeners and viewers in Boston, because a lot of them are still kind of clueless. I know the game runners are claiming that Stu is acting alone, which is, you know, ludicrous because there has to be a mark deck. The dealer has to not play the, play the cards. Um, so, and, you know, I know a lot of these games are still up and running, um, you know, with or without Stu, I'm not sure, but, um, yeah. and yeah, and, um, also with Taylor, you know, he used to be a close friend. Uh, I'm quite disgusted by what he has done. Um, and, you know, I've, I heard that, which I've probably interviewed him for 20 minutes. Um, I don't, I think Open News is having, is, is um, asking their legal to, you know, give them an answer on whether they can post an article on this. Oh, also I know that Taylor runs an online club, which from Facebook, so I, uh, you know, I typed his name on Facebook. He disabled his account, but, you know, there's an article summarizing, you know, essentially the timeline on, on this whole story. 
and Taylor runs an online club, stuff like that. So Taylor, you know, obviously has not made anything public. He didn't reply to the, the 2 plus 2 thread. He didn't reply to my Twitter feed. And he, from what I hear, he's been lying to a lot of our mutual friends about uh, what happened in this game. He says it's an unraked game, and he has done his best to make all the players whole, which is false on both accounts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. you know, obviously I don't think he'll ever come out at this point. Well, here's a question. I, before I, I let you go yeah. here, how many people are aware that were in that game? Like, how, how many people has he admitted this to that were in the game? I know there was you, Tom, and and, and Tom's friend. So but, know, but who else has I been admitted of, to? I know of uh, – oh, yeah. I, I forgot this, too. So what, so I saw Scarcity at the time in December because I'm hearing this crazy player, Stu and JP. They're doing crazy things. And all of the all of the regular pros aren't in the game. So the, the pros are, you know, all of Taylor's, you know, Long-time friends, there were, none of them are in the game. I was texting Taylor's like, "Hey, where's Bucky?" Like, oh, Bucky's, you know, not feeling well. Where's Where's Maddie? Maddie is, uh, you know, he's too tired. He couldn't make it. You know, so all of Taylor's friends were usually in the game, uh, weren't there. Oh. Uh, so that's also something quite sketchy. But um, sorry, what was your question again? Uh, those, like how many people? How many people here? in these two games were eventually made oh, aware right. of, so, of of like did he admit to what was going on there? He, so there's one other player who is a recreational player, a friend of mine. He knows. Um, so what I believe, obviously, I don't know this for a fact. I, what I believe is that Taylor admitted it to the recreational players, you know, kind of shit, um, the people that he's trying to convince to come back to his game in February. And I and his friends know, obviously. So, you know, Buck, uh, Matthew Wantman, you know, people call him Bucky. Uh, Greg Merson. Um, oh, wow. They know. I think he kept, uh, obviously, the newcomers in February completely dark to the, to the fact. And I don't think he told uh, a few of the pros who he's not friends with in the game about cheating. So, so you think um, a lot of people you know, are aware, besides you, that there that this was happening in the game directly from Taylor, that Taylor yeah. told personally told a lot of people, including World Series of Poker champion yeah. uh, Greg Merson, you, you believe that uh, these people were told by Taylor, of course, but, but that he was not taking credit for being involved, that he was saying that this happened and it sucks and I had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Uh, oh, also Nick Shulman. Oh, Nick uh, Shulman there, as well. I mean, he told Nick Shulman too. So, um, well, Nick Shulman never played. Greg Merson played. Uh, Taylor's just good friends with Nick Shulman, apparently. But so, yeah, I mean, that's the other that's the other thing. So, you know, everybody's kept silent from threats of violence. Um, and uh, I was silent for, you know, nine months. Um, and... And, and were, were these threats yeah, were, were these yeah. threats like uh, like third party threats like you better watch out because uh, such and such other person no, is, no, is going to do not, something? It's nothing like that. It's, it's from Taylor. He just says, you know, these people are very dangerous. For your own good, you shouldn't talk. You know, I'm scared for my life. Um, so, so at the time, you know, I was going through a bunch of other things, but this wasn't even like the biggest thing on my mind at the time. So, um, it does. Um, it does, like, for me, at least, it's like, I feel like a lot of people in poker, like, keep silent, you know, they don't want to stir anything, because they don't want, they don't want to burn a connection, because maybe Taylor runs another private game in New York. Yeah. Uh, and they want to be part of it. So, uh, and I'm mainly talking about Nick Schulman and Greg Merson, who, and, you know, Matthew Wanman. So, all of them, 
pretty much have a pretty good idea that Taylor's involved in it. They're friends with Taylor, and they see the they see the Twitter post, um, but none of them, you know, come out and say anything. But so, but but they, they uh, these people, none of those three uh, were in those games where where the alleged cheating occurred. But Taylor has told them everything. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm, not, I'm just, I'm just making it clear to everybody who's listening. Yeah, so uh, I mean, that's that's, a good, that's probably why they're not getting involved. Is that they're thinking, well, you know, yes, we know this happened, but it didn't happen to us. Okay, screw it. Like that's, uh, it's, it. You have more motivation to get involved. And I'm not defending, not saying anything. I'm, and in fact, uh, yeah, the fact that you're coming forward, the, the fact that you're coming forward is uh, is is brave, and it's uh, it's also you know showing good moral character to do such a thing. But uh, it is also true that you have more motivation to. Uh, aggressively yeah. pursue something and take risk in pursuing it when it happened to you. When it hasn't happened to you, you can say this sucks, but you know, I have so many other problems with my life. I don't feel like uh, taking on this burden. That's what some people think. And that's, that's probably the way these yeah, guys are thinking. True. So yeah. anyway, uh, that's uh, you know, interesting, very interesting stories. I didn't even know that uh, uh, others were aware of what had happened there, even though it hadn't happened to them. I, the, like big names like Nick Shulman and uh, Greg Merson. That's that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So, and just to be clear to listeners, we're not saying that uh, they were involved in anything here. Uh, that they just were made aware that it had happened and just have not uh, said they were aware. Is that what you're you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, okay. Um, yeah, I want to thank you for inviting me on the show, Todd. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, th- thank you for coming on so late, time. and uh, you can go get some sleep now, and and. So uh, this this way the show works is uh, we are broadcasting live, and then sometime tomorrow, or I guess later today now, sometime later today it will be available in podcast form. You you can go back and listen if you want. You can tell people you know to listen, whatever, and uh, uh, and it'll always be up there, and uh, people will will see it. So and they'll hear it. So thank you for coming on and telling your story. Awesome. Very you very interesting story, and uh, you know I always give everybody a chance. And, and Taylor, if you're listening. You you have every opportunity to come on here or to post on the forum. I will not uh, censor anything. You are welcome to give uh, your side. I, I took uh, uh, Clayton's side here, and he gave his story. Everybody's always welcome to give an answer here, and I encourage, in fact, Taylor, for you to come on the show or to uh, post an answer or even post it on 2 plus 2. I don't care. Post it somewhere. Uh, if, if if you feel you're being wrongly accused. So just wanted to put that out as well. So thank, thank you, thank you, Clayton, thank you. for coming on, and uh, very interesting segment. I think the audience will uh, have a lot to think about after this. So thank you. Thank you. Right, good night. Okay, wow. That was some story. <laughs> it just kept, it kept getting more and more uh, crazy details as we went on. I knew some of it. I know a lot more now. Like, I wasn't pretending not to know for the audience's sake. I really only knew part of this before beginning this interview. And I did not realize it was as complex as it was. Wow. Well, I'm interested to see where that goes. And we'll give updates if uh, more is happening. There is a thread on 2 Plus 2 about it. Not a really long thread. I think it should be getting more credit uh, than it's getting. Like, as far as people responding to it and wanting to know more. But it's not getting that many posts, but it, it is getting posts a few a day from what I saw. I can't participate because one Mason Malmuth decided to ban me for life from 2 plus 2, which we've discussed on a recent show. So that's that, and I'm not going to make any fake accounts there. I'm just, I'm just done. They don't want me there. I won't be there. Look, you know, private games, you always have to watch out. You always have to watch out because... 
the consequences for doing bad things at these private games are nowhere near as steep when a licensed card room does it. Because a, like a commerce, they're not going to knowingly cheat you because they could be risking their license and they could be risking a, a, a very large lawsuit or things like that. So they don't uh, usually pull shenanigans like that at licensed card rooms. In private games, you never know, especially for high stakes. And the, especially when there's big money involved, it is worth taking a chance to commit these crimes, especially if you f- figure the downside of committing the crime is uh, not that bad. I mean, look, there's people who will uh, rob liquor stores for a few hundred bucks and, and risk their lives doing that. So for when it involves hundreds of thousands of dollars, of course, there are plenty of people out there who will uh, take some kind of risk to do so, especially if they don't think that they're going to get uh, physically harmed from it or if they think that uh, it's going to be hard to get the uh, the police interested in the story. That is one thing I forgot to ask Clayton is if he went to the police at any point. But uh, I will post that picture on Poker Fraud Alert. You can go on 2 Plus 2 if you'd like to see that. It's, it's already up there. This is a picture uh, provided by Clayton, and it's... It's very interesting with the two phones stacked on each other right next, uh, pretty close to the deck there in seat one with this guy playing, uh, we call Stu. You can see a picture of Stu. You can see his hoodie. You can see all of that. Very interesting. Now, personally, if I were in a game and they were refusing to cut the deck, that would be it for me. I would rack up and leave at that point once they were refusing to cut the deck. In fact, uh, I've played in some home games. Uh, the, the only home game I ever played of any uh, real stakes, and it wasn't very high. It was like 510 or something I was playing, no limit. And uh, it was a good game. They just raked it too high, and I racked up and left when I saw how high the rake was. But I, I think that game was legitimate, the one I played in. It was in L.A. And when I saw the rake of $25 max, I was like, you know what? I'm going to commerce. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to play this crap. I don't have to playing games like this. I don't care how good it is. I'm not going to have $25 raked out of the pot. So anyway, all the other home games I've played in have been like recreational games. In fact, there was one I was playing in in uh, 2019 and 2020. And I liked that game because they, they were playing so many different games, including games they were making up. And it was making me into a better mixed game player, especially at the games where uh, I, I wasn't as strong, like Stud. So I was uh, I was gaining experience and I was hoping to take that experience to play at the 2020 World Series, which, of course, uh, didn't work out. So, and that game I'm not going to anymore either because I don't want to go anywhere with the coronavirus. I think it restarted, actually. But uh, that was just a a small-stakes game. But the reason I'm bringing that up is that even at the small-stakes game, I'm not used to dealing. I'm actually a crappy dealer. Like, physically, I'm a bad dealer because I'm just so not used to dealing cards. I'm used to having cards dealt to me. But, like, I will sometimes, like, forget to... Show you know, to move the deck to my, the guy to my right and have him cut it, and I'll start dealing. You go no 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 Todd hold on you you didn't have him cut like even at that small game, everyone is anal about the cutting because it's just part of the procedure. They they don't think I'm trying to pull any fast ones. They they know that I'm just not used to dealing. But uh, even in that low stakes game I'm playing at just for fun, they uh, they make a big deal if you forget to cut and they stop everything and make sure it gets cut. So at a fifty one hundred game for not just cutting not happening because someone's forgetting to, it's not allowed, you can't cut it. That right away is a very, very big, 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 gigantic red flag. You know when they say, if you see something, say something? 
they they've started saying that a lot in regards to uh, terrorism. That if you're like at the airport and you see someone behaving really suspiciously, you should go report it because it might be a terrorist in action. It's kind of like that in poker. If you see something, either say something or at the very least leave. Don't just shrug it off and say, okay, this is probably no big deal because there's a good chance it is a big deal. There's a good chance you're being ripped off. So anything non-standard going on at a home game, you should say something. Even in a casino, if you see something weird happening, say something because even though the casino may not be cheating you, the other players might be. There have been cheating scandals that take place in live card rooms where just the players are cheating and nobody is involved on the casino side. In fact, we had one of those at the World Series of Poker where there was that and that heads up no limit event where there was the guy who was accused of wearing special contact lenses to see marks that he was using on the cards. It was never proven because the World Series kind of blew it as far as uh, catching the guy in the act. But that aside, it does look likely that guy was cheating. And that was not done in cahoots with any World Series employee. The guy did it on his own, it looks like. And then there's been other situations where uh, people have cheated with help, but not from casino employees. One time with the, with the media helping them. One time, you know, sometimes with, with friends. So it's even if the casino is trying to deal a square game, sometimes, sometimes it's still a cheating game because players in it are cheating, getting away. So just anything that looks weird to you when you're playing live poker, say something. Or even in online poker, if you see something weird especially regarding uh, like the way two players are behaving with one another. Don't don't be trusting in poker. And I've seen people in poker who have become victims because they are too trusting. They're na- they're naturally trusting individuals. And that that doesn't make you a bad or stupid person if you're trusting. This is just in some people's personality where they see the best in everybody where they really don't want to believe that people that they like are ripping them off. And, yeah, you have a a spectrum of that in human behavior. You have the very, very trusting people on one end. You have the very, very paranoid people on the other end who constantly think that uh, everyone's out to get them. And then you have everybody else kind of in the middle on uh, towards one end or the other. So just always be vigilant when it comes to playing poker, especially in private games. And I know in some areas, private games are just kind of your only option because there is not a licensed card room within driving distance. I know in Boston, that's not the case. They have the Encore. I don't know if they're, they've opened the room again, but this is pre-COVID, so that doesn't play into this story. This was all going on in January, February, and and in, maybe in December 2019. It was not because p- people were not in this game because they couldn't get into the Encore because of COVID. I'm not sure if the Encore is spreading again in uh, Boston, but you're always better off in the, in the licensed card rooms, honestly. It can be tempting to play in the private games because often in the private games there are bigger fish. They go through substantial effort in some of these games to get the fish down there. In fact, if you watch the movie Molly's Game, which I know is somewhat fictionalized, but if you watch Molly's Game, they show that process where they're trying to get fish into the game and it was a coveted game for that reason, uh, and, th- and that's why people were playing there rather than uh, in the licensed card rooms in L.A., where if you, you know, if you sit down at a very high-stakes game, you're probably against a lot of really tough players, and if you're lucky, one, one fish. So, yeah, the competition there is less, but if there's something going on in these games that isn't kosher, then you're going to be sorry, and this seems to be a possible example of it. 
So anyway, I thank Clayton Jang for coming on here. And uh, you may be wondering, where is Traderuski tonight? Traderuski may come in the second half of the show. Remember last week, Traderuski came on during the second half. I got a very unexpected call from him at 3 a.m. on Skype, and he joined the show for the rest of the time. And he mentioned how he had to uh, call India at 5 a.m. anyway. So he just decided to get up early and come on the show, which I was happy that 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 occurred. I was happy to have him here. Today he was asking when the show was going to start, and I said, well, you got to wait to see when the Dodgers are over. It'll be shortly after that. And he said he was considering maybe coming on the second half again, and then I didn't hear from him. So since I cannot reach him now, I'm assuming that uh, Trader Ruski is going to come on the second half, or at least he'll try. I guess he may sleep through it, but he's not responding to my texts, and usually he's pretty responsive, so I have to imagine that he's in dreamland right now, and we'll pick him up later in the show. By the way, I, just a, a personal note I'm going to mention to you guys. Something frustrated, frustrating happened this week, which may end up being nothing and may end up being something uh, that is unpleasant for me. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about the, I shouldn't say unintended, but the side effects of covid things that you don't really think about but that uh, are going to be problems for people where may, they may not have been problems if COVID hadn't happened, where it's not the disease itself that gets people but other things related. Now, of course, a big one is unemployment. Now, that's my, not my problem, obviously, but uh, other ways are – there's medical issues that can come up. And for me, it's not a medical issue, but it's a dental issue. I had some cavities that I was going to get filled around the time when COVID became a big thing. And then the dentist basically closed other than emergency dentistry. And the cavity is not an emergency. It can go for a very long time without doing anything. And uh, it usually doesn't do any harm. Unfortunately, now it has been a very long time. And uh, even though dentists opened again, I just, I've been hesitating because it's, I don't want to go in there with the air conditioning and have someone working so close to me. And it, the whole thing just seems like a risk. So I was putting it off and I go, oh, I've been okay all this time. Well, about uh, four or five days ago, I started to feel some pain in uh, one of my teeth on the lower left and it hasn't gone away. And in fact, it's gotten worse. In fact, I was wondering if they would interview me doing the show. Like it's kind of hard to do a show where you talk the whole time when your teeth hurt. Uh, it hurts right now as I'm talking. I took some Advil before the show, but it's hurting. I've had this before where I'm pretty convinced that it's going to be some kind of major dental work, and it turns out it just clears up. Either it was something unknown or there was some gum thing that temp- temporarily got inflamed. Uh, dental stuff is very hard to pinpoint until you have x-rays done and you have an expert looking at it because what can feel like a very big deal can end up being nothing and other times what seems like isn't that big of a deal can end up being something fairly big and uh, other times when something feels it's big really is big so i don't know it's possible it's gonna end up being nothing but i'm starting to feel like i might need a root canal which is frustrating because i had i gotten this cavity filled back there then which i would have done if there's no covid then uh, this wouldn't be happening so I, I really hope I'm not going to get a root canal over this, especially because I haven't had any major dental work since I had those uh, psychological issues two years ago. And root canals, the thing I hate the most about them is the fact that they put this uh, obnoxious rubber thing over your mouth as they're working on it to where you feel like you're being suffocated. And uh, 
that's become a standard thing. They they used to not do this many years ago, but now they all love to do that. And uh, I don't know if that's going to be okay. You know, like I, I already hated that thing before I had the problems two years ago. So that's something I'm not looking forward to. That's it's so much of a bigger deal than the cavity. I'm not even worried about the cost. I mean, yes, there's there's some cost to it. It'll be it'll I'll be out low four figures out of the whole thing between the root canal and the and the crown. But whatever, you know, like I can afford that. It's the the process of it that that I hate. Even though it's like only an hour and a half, it's it's awful. I last had one a few years ago, but I, I hope that's not the case. I hope I'll be reporting next week that uh, this just went away. And then, then I probably will, will go get the cavities filled anyway, just in case. Maybe this will scare me into it. But uh, I don't know. I, I just kind of had the feeling that this is going to be something. Uh, it's actually going to be something. So I think I'm going to have to visit the dentist this week for the first time since COVID began and have them take a look. And not only that, my, my dentist moved across the country, so now I have to go find a new dentist this week and... I, I'll imagine I, I I'm guessing I'll probably get in because I bet a lot of people are putting off visits to the dentist because of COVID. So I have a feeling that I at least I won't have an issue getting in if wherever I choose to go. Still sucks though. I'm, I'm, if I hear I have to get a freaking root canal, I'm gonna really 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 hate it. It's gonna be very 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 bad news. I mean it's uh as I said, there's a cost to the whole thing, but you may be surprised that this is one case where. I'm going to find out I'm out four figures, and it's not even going to make me blink. It's totally not about the four figures. Now, you may ask, why don't I just have them put me out while they do it? Because that's an option. You can have them put you out while they do the root canal, and then they just wake you up and you're better. Well, that's no better either, because I hate being put out. (laughs) I hate the idea of being put out. And part of the reason I hate the idea of being put out is I, I always like to know that I'm in control of everything. And when you're out, you, like you have no control, and also there's there's like a small risk that something really bad can happen while you're put on under general anesthesia. And uh, apparently, the one time I was put out for uh, dental work, which was for wisdom tooth extraction, almost 20 years ago, I don't remember this because there's something that's actually put in the uh, in the anesthesia to make you not remember for like the first 15 minutes, and it was effective because I didn't remember the first 15 minutes after I woke up. But apparently I woke up during it. I was told that I woke up during the procedure. <laughs> it's probably good I didn't remember that, but uh, that's not good to hear that there was an issue there. So I don't want that either. I'd rather tough it out during the root canal itself than be put out for it. So it's, that's very unpleasant. What really sucks is that this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for COVID. If that ends up happening... I probably won't be able to do radio next week if I get the root canal this week. If I get it uh, the following week, then I guess it'll affect the next radio. But I'm just telling you guys this right now, that uh, there is a chance that this is going to stop radio for a week. Because while I'm recovering from that, uh, it's probably not good to do hours of talking. One of the reasons I had Clayton on this week, I'll tell you, it was a selfish reason. I, I, I First of all, I thought that if he wants to get the story out, he might as well get it out uh, now instead of next week, since... He put it on Twitter in the last week, so like, why wait another week? If he wants the story out, it should get out. But but the main reason I wanted on tonight instead of next week was that I don't have a big agenda this week. Like, there's not a lot of big things happening this week, so I thought this is going to fit in well with this week's show as a 
opposed to next week, which may have more stuff. It's a relatively light week as far as news, and it was only six days since the last show. We keep doing it every six days to try to march our way back to Friday. In fact, the next show is scheduled six days from now on Saturday, just to let you know. By the way, if you're looking for an update regarding the Mike Possel case, I do not have one for you. We have uh, nothing this week, except I just will put out a quick note that uh, I've obviously been in a lot of contact with Eric Benzamokin regarding the case, since he is my attorney, and I'm very impressed with the work he's done so far. Very impressed. Very uh, happy with my decision to have him represent me. And he has sent me some work he's already done, and uh, I'm, I'm very impressed with it, I will say that. But we're uh, we're only at the beginning here, and unfortunately, there's nothing I can say. So, okay, let's uh, let's move on here to the next topic. Bet Online, which is uh, one of the largest offshore sports books that serves Americans in the world, basically, they have been having some problems. They have been suffering some very very brutal DDoS and maybe hacking attacks. <laughs> This does not make me happy. I have money on Bet Online, and at one point I was a little bit worried. I would say not that worried, but it entered my mind that the money I have on there, maybe I'll never see it. Though I don't believe that to be the case now, and I was never too worried because Bet Online has a very good record. But let me tell you what's happening here. So Bet Online, which uh, is a sports book and a poker room is very large, and it's pretty reputable. Some years ago, they had some payout issues, but those got resolved. That's the only black mark on its record. Other than that, it is very well respected in the sports betting community. They pay you. They pay you quickly. I can tell you personally, I have received payments from them very quickly. They are known to be fair. They don't look for excuses to ban people. I'm not saying they're perfect, but all of my interactions with them have been positive. In fact, uh, I remember when I made a deposit and uh, I got skimmed from by the payment processor. And while Bovada just gives you all types of shit about it and blames it on you and says you don't know it's your bank's fault, BetOnline said, okay, send us a copy of the bank statement and, and we'll credit you the difference. I said, okay, can it be an online statement? Oh, sure. So I sent them a screenshot of the difference of what I was charged versus what I deposited and they just slapped the difference right back in my account. Very fast, very easy. I was very impressed. They've been very fast with payouts. And as I mentioned on the show before, remember there was a guy who uh, won a bad beat jackpot but didn't actually win it because he got disconnected? Uh, where Had he checked behind, he would have won it. Anyway, uh, through that weird technicality, it didn't award it to him. And then there was some question for about a week whether he was going to get it or not. Then Chicago Joey made a big deal about it. And uh, Bet Online not only made it right, but they actually made it right out of their own pockets, which they didn't have to do. They could have, they could have taken that jackpot out of the existing jackpot, and that would have been fine. No one would have objected objected to that. That would have been totally fair. They went above and beyond and actually paid the difference out of their own pocket and left the jackpot as is. So when I saw that, and that was within the last several months, I knew that number one, Bet Online is pretty solid. They're not going broke. And number two, they're pretty damn reputable. Yeah, it took them a while to make this decision, but boy, did they make the right decision. 
they made a very reputable decision. So I have a lot of good things to say about Bet Online, and for that reason, I haven't been nervous about keeping a balance on there. Where some sports books, you got to be pretty nervous. In fact, the sports betting world, the online sports betting world, I'm not, I'm not talking about the legalized sites. I'm talking about ones that are offshore. They have a lot more incidents of people getting ripped off than with poker sites. You think poker's bad? You should see the sports world. It's a disaster. There, there have been so many scam sports books or sports books that just weren't a scam at the beginning, but ultimately ripped everybody off. It would make your head spin to see how many of them have ultimately screwed people. So you really should stick to the very few online sports books that are big and reputable and have a great reputation. And five dimes, despite some of the idiosyncrasies with that Tony guy who is now no longer on this earth, uh, they had a good reputation. Other than being overly sensitive to feeling like they're being angled, uh, if you just act as a normal customer there and don't try to angle anything, uh, they had an excellent, excellent reputation with paying people. Uh, Bet online, an even better reputation. Uh, Bovada, even though they have their idiosyncrasies, they're very, very good at payouts and not trying to screw people, uh, except for Trader Ruski when it comes to winning uh, uh, tournament tickets. But uh, as far as paying people, they're they're very good with that. So. Now, as a sports book, Bovada isn't good because the, it, it's good to have an account there, but there's not, they're not good to use as a regular book because uh, their limits are low and their lines are sometimes crappy. It's, it's meant more for uh, very recreational sports bettors who don't know what they're doing and, and don't mind a lot of juice. But yeah, there are times they happen to have the best line, especially if you're on the other side of the recreational player, which usually you will be sports betting if you're a knowledgeable sports better. So anyway... If you stick to the big, reputable operations, you're not very likely to get screwed. Even Five Dimes with their recent thing with closing off to American customers, and they, they did a few uh, shifty things regarding the futures that, that kind of sucked. Uh, at least they paid everybody, and I said that the new book that started, that uh, that bet any sports, I said I think that's probably pr- pretty reputable. In fact, I started an account there. So... You need to stick to those. They're not perfect. It's not 100%. You're not going to get screwed. There may be situations that come up where you're really pissed. But uh, if, if you're going to use one of those, that's your best bet. If you ever read about sports books that are currently slow-paying people, like sportsbook.com, anything like that, you hear about happening, don't even get involved. Don't even, No matter how tempting it is, do not deposit on sites like that. Only deposit on sites with an excellent present history of paying people. And ones that have been around a while, not not one that's been up for six months and is paying people. One that's been around for many years and has a very good reputation with paying people. That's what you want to stick to when you're sports betting. So why am I saying all this? Well, one problem that Bet Online has had has been DDoS attacks. And I don't remember when it was. I think it was early this year, maybe late last year. But uh, there was a point I remember trying to log on there and place bets, and it was just brutal. Like, sometimes I could go on mobile, but I couldn't get on through the computer. Uh, like, sometimes I could get on the site, but it'd be really, really slow. Sometimes I'd get on, but then by the time I tried to place a bet, it didn't work. Uh, it, it was really, really tough to use. At first, I thought it was a connection on my end or just an issue where my area wasn't connecting well. No, it was actually just under a major DDoS attack. And it took them over a week to make it right. Like, they, they took them over a week to... Stop this. I don't know what they eventually did. 
I don't know what methods they used, but eventually they righted the ship and uh, the whole thing worked again. But it was more than a week until it acted normally again. And for that time, it was very, very difficult to connect a bet online at all. And when you would connect there, it would be very difficult to place bets. It was just a mess. So they got past that and everything was fine. But now they're getting hit really hard again. And there's different stories as to what is going on. So I'm going to read to you the emails that they sent to me and all their other customers. And then I'm going to read some posts that came from Poker Fraud Alert members, uh, two different members, one of whom you know very well from the show, Bad Guy, and uh, and one from uh, Daily, who's also a longtime poster on Poker Fraud Alert and uh, a big sports better. And uh, we're going to talk about what's the likely scenario, what's really happening here, because it's it's a little bit weird. There's something going on here, but here's what's happening. So first of all, earlier today, if you tried to go over to either betonline.ag or sportsbetting.ag, you got the following message. Valued customers, we are offline due to an aggressive cyber attack. We're taking every measure to resolve this issue, and we will be fully operational again as soon as possible. We appreciate your continued patience, and we look forward to restoring the products and services that you have enjoyed and trusted for many years. So when you see that, it's it's easy to panic, but if that's really all it is, they'll eventually get it right. That doesn't mean that the money's been stolen. It doesn't mean they're about to go down. It doesn't mean they're about to screw you. It probably means approximately what it seems it means, where they're just being attacked in some way, where their services can't operate normally, and that uh, once they put a stop to it, once they shore up their defenses, that they'll be able to operate normally and that uh, you don't have to worry about uh, the money disappearing, especially in a big profitable operation like Bet Online, which makes a lot of money. Uh, believe me, they don't have any incentive to just close up shop and leave. They, but they, it does take a little time to deal with this if this is what's really going on. So that happened. And then I also got these emails, which I'm going to read you. Okay, so the first email I got was on October 17th at uh, 10 a.m. So we're talking about now... Uh, 40 hours ago. Over the last 20 years, BetOnline has become one of the most recognizable and trusted brands in the gaming industry because customer satisfaction is our top priority. Being open, honest, and transparent defines our company, and we will maintain these core values throughout this unforeseen situation. Late Thursday evening, we fell victim to a cyber attack that pushed our product offline. We are working around the clock and in collaboration with a world-class cybersecurity center to restore services as quickly as possible. We apologize for the inconvenience and frustration that this problem has caused and can assure you that your account balance remains secure. We greatly appreciate your continued patience and will provide relevant updates until this issue is resolved. Sincerely, the Bet Online team. Now, the Thursday they're talking about is Thursday, October 15th. So this they were emailing this about 36 hours after it began and they couldn't get a handle on it, so they said that they hired a, quote, world-class cybersecurity center to help them get back online. So that was on the 17th at 10 a.m. Then uh, two hours later, I got another email from them. Todd, as you are probably aware, Bed Online was the target of a cyber attack on Thursday, which has currently forced our website offline. This was on uh, Saturday, just like the other email. Due to this unforeseen situation, we implement emergency rulings for the ongoing football contests that will most likely continue to be inaccessible throughout this weekend. So then they give various uh, 
rules about this football contest, whatever. I'm not going to bother reading those, but this was something which they were afraid of that uh, people weren't going to be able to uh, participate normally in that football contest throughout the weekend and that it was going to mess up the football contest. So that, that was just a little update. So then I got another email on Sunday evening at uh, 5.39 p.m., October 19th, or October 18th, sorry. Uh, the new Bet Online website is live, and the classic version of the site will be back online very soon. Okay, let's, let's stop right there. Bet Online actually has two sites running in a way. They have a new interface and a classic interface. I actually prefer the classic interface. I always click on the uh, Go Back to Classic button. I, I don't like the new interface, but uh, I guess it's actually running on two different systems. So they actually were able to get the newer one online, and the classic one is still down. They said, while there may be periodic outages as we secure a few remaining technical issues, they will be temporary. Moreover, the cybersecurity infrastructure installed during the last 48 hours will prevent an attack of this capacity going forward. We want to thank you for your patience and unwavering trust in us. We're extremely grateful for your valued and continued patronage. We will look forward to delivering the same industry-leading product we provided over the last 20 years. Please don't hesitate to contact our customer service team, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so that's all I've gotten from them email-wise. Now let's go to the thread about this on Poker Fraud Alert, and I'll read you two posts, one from uh, Daily and one from uh, Bad Guy. And remember, these are both uh, regular sports bettors who post on Poker Fraud Alert frequently. Daily posted, My understanding by someone who would know is a team of hackers got into the site and were looking to extort the site. The funds are safe, but the website is a train wreck, and the only option they had was the hard plug pull. Good news is the funds are safe. Bad news is they kind of are fucked. And despite saying that they have no idea when they could figure it out and reopen. Okay. So he's, he was saying that uh, someone just really got in and, and, and fucked the site hard. It wasn't just a DDoS. It's someone actually hacked it. And the only thing that person didn't do was uh, they, they didn't steal any money, but they really screwed the site hard. Okay. So then bad guy said, this isn't even close to true what happened. Not calling you out, but I pretty much have talked to the owner once a week for the past 12 years. That's real talk. I can see something like this happening sooner or later. These legal shops want all the business. A license isn't cheap. So I don't know if bad guy is trying to imply that he feels that this is an attack by the U.S. Because the U.S. is no fan of bet online. Remember, the U.S. is legalizing more and more sports books that are generating tax revenue for the states. Now, the federal government isn't gaining from this, but the federal government permitted this to happen where the states can decide what uh, sports betting they're going to have. And as long as it stays within state borders, that it's fine. Each state can decide for themselves if they want sports betting or not. Like California does not have it, but uh, several states do. In fact, I believe about half the states in the nation now have uh, legalized sports betting, some of which is online, some of which is uh, live, some of which is both. But bad guy seems to be implying that he thinks this is actually being done by the U.S. because the legalized books are tired of losing customers to bet online. Uh, but he, whatever it is, bad guy does not believe that Daily's story is correct and that he claims he talks to the owner of bet online about once a week. So that's bad guy's claim, though he isn't exactly explaining what's really happening here. Anyway, whatever the situation is, it appears to be passed and it does appear to be some kind of attack. I don't know if it was a DDoS attack. I don't know if it was a hacking. 
I do see that you can get on both the main site and the uh, the classic site. So it looks like the whole thing is back as if this all never happened. And that's good news, obviously. Good news for my money sitting on there as well. I didn't think my money was really in danger. It's just kind of like I took a breath going, uh-oh, should I have withdrawn more? Like it wasn't going to be life-changing money. So at least if it did just knock the site out and I was never going to get my money, at least it wasn't going to be devastating. But it would be frustrating. It was more than – it's not like I had $1,000 on there. Like it was – it was. Uh, I'll tell you it was five figures, okay? So I, I wouldn't have been happy to see that go down, but I would have survived it just fine. It just would have been uh, very frustrating. So – Glad to see that it did not actually uh, go down for all that long, but it was knocked out for the weekend, and uh, that cost them a lot of money in bets. Can you imagine, especially during football season? Because that, that's when a lot of sports betting takes place. Football still gets uh, the most action, and then there were the college sports. So can you imagine that they lose this weekend here which with the NFL and the college sports? That's a lot of money to be lost. Funny enough, the two sports I bet on, you know, I bet on uh, the NBA and uh, on Major League Baseball, and those are not as big with betting. It's it's like NFL is much bigger, and I believe I don't quote me on this one, but I believe the the college sports that gets uh, heavier betting as well overall, especially there's a lot more games. So uh, when they can't operate during a weekend, especially when everybody's sitting at home, <laughs> that's uh, that is pretty tough on them. They lose a lot of money. And they are not happy when that's occurring. That also shakes people's confidence in them. It's just kind of alarming. And at least I understand. At least I understand when something goes down for a few days, that doesn't mean I can't trust my money there. But a lot of others don't. They just see it go down and they get very scared and they don't want to leave money on there. So it's very, very bad news for something like Bet Online to have a several day outage. But as I said, this one even wasn't as long as the one that occurred, uh, I think, less than a year ago where it was down for like a week. It just wasn't It wasn't completely down, but it was mostly not working. Had I not received this email and had I not read the thread on my site about this, I would not have known because I haven't been logging into bet online for the last uh, several days because I have not been sports betting. The NBA is over. Baseball, I have placed like one bet on the entire postseason because I just don't do much playoff betting. I think it's too hard. I think there's too much attention on each game. I like the regular season where you can find spots of value. It's much harder to do in the playoffs. So I haven't been on bet online in several days. I would not have noticed, but it's back. So that's good news. I do wonder who did it and why. There is a reason it happened. <laughs> it's uh, Something happened there, and something happened for a reason. Someone was trying to accomplish something, and I wonder what it is. Was it perhaps somebody who was uh, representing the competition? I don't mean the U.S. market, but another offshore book just looking to screw them and drive traffic over to their place, or maybe someone hired by the competition. Could it have been the U.S. government or someone having to do with the U.S. online uh, sports betting industry, the legal industry, that is, that's just trying to attack a site that is taking a lot of the business. Maybe the U.S. government itself is doing this, believing that it's sucking money out of the American economy illegally. That's possible. It seemed like bad guy was kind of implying that was what was happening. Is it possible that this is just 
people hacking or DDoSing strictly for money. They did say it was an extortion attempt, so maybe it was just a direct extortion attempt. Maybe the hackers saying, this is costing you a lot every day, pay us off and we'll go away. I don't believe Bet Online paid them off, but uh, that may have been the attempt. That's probably the most likely explanation. And it also could just be hackers doing it for fun. People who just like disrupting things. Some some people get a big thrill out of causing disruption. They get a big thrill out of uh, making a new story, so to speak. They get a kick out of people talking about what they've done. And in fact, there is something in human nature that drives a lot of people to want to feel like they matter. They want to make people feel like that they're not just uh, another person out of 7 billion on this earth. In fact, uh, some horrendous spree killings have sometimes had that motivation that someone wanted attention. They wanted to be a, a figure that people talk about, even in a bad way, that they wanted to be remembered. And uh, there's even some theories that Stephen Paddock decided to do that for that reason, that he just wanted to, that he wanted to kill himself, but rather than just kill himself, he wanted to commit a horrendous mass murder and have himself be remembered. So he, he wanted to be remembered as an infamous and brilliant criminal. It's possible. So it's possible in this case, it was just somebody who was looking to cause trouble and laugh about it. Who knows? I, th- I think the extortion thing, since they said that's what was going on, is the most likely explanation. But anyway, when it happens to a reputable big site, don't feel too panicky. Because even though it feels weird that you can't connect to it, it's something that's likely going to be solved, especially when there's a lot of money behind solving it, because they're losing money every hour they're down. And it's worth it for them to spend some good money to put an end to it. I don't know if they're employing a cloud solution or whatever to prevent this, but it looks like they have prevented this. So looks like crisis has been averted for the moment, but don't be surprised if this happens again in the future, especially if the U.S. government's behind it. Okay, so uh, moving along here, Doug Polk is on a Twitter trolling spree, and we talked about this somewhat last week, but there's a lot more to it, and I'm starting to understand what's really going on here. Now, of course, Doug Polk and Negranu have been going back and forth regarding the rules of their upcoming heads-up match scheduled for November 1st. And we talked about that last week, and we talked about how this is one of the rare cases where Doug Polk was the one who looked worse in the situation, that when you evaluated what Doug was uh, saying and what Daniel was saying, that Daniel looked a lot more reasonable and a lot more correct. In fact, that was my assessment, that I was on Daniel's side on that one. And usually Doug handles these on social media very well. Usually he's very good at social media and very good at these uh, sort of uh, disputes of coming off as the person who's more reasonable. But last week he did not. Anyway, that seemed to give way to a big trolling spree on his part, where he was attacking a lot of people. Now, I mentioned last week that one of the people he was attacking was Matt Berkey, and I didn't understand why, but it's he was attacking Matt Berkey. Someone texted me that they had previous history, so that probably makes sense, but he went after Matt Berkey, and then, as I mentioned last week, that Kelly Minken 
defended Berkey and, in fact, uh, accused Doug Polk of having a really small penis. She hadn't actually seen his penis, to my knowledge, but uh, very un Kelly Minkin like to do that. I've never seen him attack anyone like that. So that was a weird moment. So that was where we left off last week. That was what I thought was going to be something that was going to kind of die down. That would be that. But no, Doug Polk decided that uh, not only is he going to attack Berkey and attack Negranu, but that he was just going to go off on a lot of people. I think he got the idea after he was also attacked by Matt Berkey's uh, friend and business associate, Christian Soto. What's interesting, by the way, is all these people are, are, are co-defendants in the Postle case, as am I. But uh, Berkey, uh, Christian Soto is not named, nor is Berkey, but their Sulfur Y company is. Uh, Doug Polk is named, Negranu's named, <laughs> and even I'm named. So it's, it's funny there's that connection. That had nothing to do with any of this. I'm just mentioning as an aside. But uh, Doug Polk, uh, after going back and forth with Christian Soto, I think decided that he's just going to be full troll. He's just going to start hammering everybody. So this started with uh, Christian Soto was going back and forth with him, and then he challenged Christian Soto to play heads up. Christian Soto wouldn't do it. Then he challenged Christian Soto... uh, play a little bit lower. He still wouldn't do it. Then Christian Soto said he'll play something like 5'10". Doug laughed about that, saying it's way too low, and it was mocking him for it. Uh, then Christian Soto said, okay, I know who would really crush you, and his friend uh, Kevin Rabichow would kill him if they were to play heads up. And, and Kevin had not said he would. He was just kind of thrown into this by Christian Soto, like, okay, you know, if you play Kevin Rabichow, uh, you, you would really get killed. So then... Not only was Doug Polk willing to do this, but he said that, uh, okay, how about cross-booking then? Basically saying, uh, let, let's have a bet on the side of uh, whether I'm going to beat Kevin Ravichow. And if uh, Kevin wins, then you win money off me. And if I beat Kevin, then I win money off you. And depends how much I win. You know, it's, it's called cross-booking where you're basically uh, tying yourself to the action, even though you're not part of the game. Sometimes people even cross-book in the same game, like in a ring game. Sometimes like two people will cross-book against each other. Uh, they'll cross-book overall how they do in the game. Like if you have two people who one thinks they're better than the other and they're going to win more than the other in the game, they'll, they'll cross-book with each other. But uh, then Chris and Soto would not cross-book involving Kevin Ravichow. Then uh, Doug Polk was mocking him, saying, oh, you're saying this guy would kill me in a heads-up match, and yet uh, you still won't bet on it. So you won't bet on yourself, and you won't even bet on your friend who said would kill me. So you keep saying these things, but you won't put your money where your mouth is. So I'll admit that Doug Polk got the better of this exchange. But uh, it looks like this may actually happen. It looks like uh, they are actually they may actually have this match. It looks like that Kevin Rabichow may be uh, willing to do it. But anyway, that's not my point of this whole thing. After that, Doug just decided he's going to start trolling a lot of people. So... He wrote on October 17th, we, I'm not sure who the we is, but we have lost a couple hundred K over the last couple days. So at this point, there's no option but to have a little common decency and take the Twitter trash talk down a notch. Not up a notch, but down a notch. So I guess he's saying that he's just going to start attacking everybody. So he went on to say, I have a lot of respect for Daniel Negranu. He's a man of his word. It's one thing to talk about fucking the pros. It's another follow through. <laughs> so he's referring uh, to 
how Negreanu once had his then girlfriend, not Amanda, but the girlfriend he was with at the time. He whispered in her ear to say "fuck the pros" on camera, and she did. And Doug Polk kept playing this on videos, and then he's saying that uh, not only did Negreanu say it, but then he actually did through the Supernova Elite thing. Which, which by the way, he didn't really do that. That's not a completely fair statement. But anyway, going on, then he went on to say. I'm expecting this challenge with Negreanu to be a real clash of titans similar to Mayweather versus McGregor, referring to the boxing match where uh, Floyd Mayweather went against Conor McGregor and uh, easily beat him. He says, uh, Christian Soto never gives up. He may not have the talent or the bankroll or the heart or the good comebacks or dot, 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 but he's still out there every day trying his best, and that's something. Then he goes on to bash Matt Berkey. Matt Berkey is a class act. There's a lot of training sites these days with people trying to profit from quality products that make the games tougher. Instead, he made solve for why. <laughs> so you see the tone of all these, where he says something that sounds like it's a compliment, and then he says something at the end that uh, really makes it into a big insult. Then he went on about Luke Schwartz, who's been talking a lot of trash to Doug recently. Luke Schwartz is an inspiration. Most losing players should throw in the towel, but not Luke. He keeps getting back up, stepping in the ring, and losing some more. That's determination. And then he posts the graph of Luke Schwartz losing like 800K over some period of time. One of the most important things I learned in my life, I learned from Charlie Carroll. I would tell you what it is, but I'm not going to. It is there, though. I, can't, I just can't say what it is. And then he posted a, a picture of Charlie Carroll. That, that's mocking Charlie Carroll's uh, kind of wishy-washy uh, psychobabble that he's always spouting off. He actually could have been a lot harsher on Charlie Carroll. They, they've argued before, too. Um, then he posted, You can't go about life without purpose. You have to have an angle. I learned that from Alec Torelli. And then he posted a picture. I think it's a real picture of Alec Torelli uh, being in Italy pretending to hold up the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And he says, Got to get the angle just right. And it's showing him taking a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge. Um that is referring to Alec Torelli's infamous angle shot in that uh, one streamed cash game, which Doug really hammered pretty hard. I will say this, by the way. Doug loves to hammer the competition. Notice there's something in common with a lot of these people. Alec Torelli has a training site. Christian Soto and Matt Berkey have a training site. Uh, Charlie Carroll and Luke Schwartz do not, to my knowledge. But uh, he does like to go after people with training sites. Negreanu had, had a training thing and has that master class. So uh, a, a lot of attacking the competition. Then he goes on to say, A true sign of poker greatness is standing the test of time. Johnny Vibes is the king of the throne. He's been winning at $2, $5 for 12 years. <laughs> That's a pretty good one, actually. Of course, making fun of Johnny Vibes there for never moving up. Just sticking at uh, low stakes poker for 12 years. And uh, sarcastically saying that he's to the test of time. Phil Galfon is a really nice guy. What? You were expecting more? <laughs> when I read that, I'm like, wait a minute. Is he going to bash Galfon? Like, I didn't know they had an issue. But no, he just he just threw that in there to shock people like he's about to. And he said, no, nope, he's just a nice guy. I didn't expect him to bash Galfon. I didn't think they had an issue. And, you know, Galfon, he's such a mild-mannered guy. Most people aren't going to bash him. The high-stakes poker community taught me a valuable lesson, that even if you didn't go to Burning Man, 
you are not going to be able to avoid hearing about it. And then he posted a picture of uh, Antonio Esfandiari at Burning Man posting a picture about it, which I don't really know much about this story, but it does look like uh, Antonio was at Burning Man. Was nice spending a day working on my game, just studying. Learned some more good stuff to implement moving forward. While I think overall solvers have really hurt online poker, it's nice to be able to use them to learn so effectively. I guess that's. I guess he was done with the trash talk. I guess. I, I don't think that was an insult to anybody. Who, but who knows? Who knows with Doug? But uh, anyway, he went through all that, and it looks like that was the end of his trash talk. But okay, so what's he doing here? He was just. Going off on a lot of people who admittedly, aside from I think Antonio, who uh, I don't know if he had a beef with him before, pretty much everybody else I've seen him argue with before on Twitter. Some recent, some not so recent, but I've seen all, all these people were ones he had issues with at some point. So why did he do this? Was it really just to blow off steam after losing a few hundred K online? Or was this uh, was there a different purpose here? I think what Doug is doing is trying to get attention. I think this is all part of a plan to really work people up and to want to pay more attention to the upcoming match with Negranu. So I think this wasn't premeditated as far as riling everybody up last week with the whole thing about the charts with Negranu and having people get mad at him and then the you know, the bashing with uh, Christian Soto, which actually went pretty well for him. The, the Negranu thing with, about the charts went badly for Doug. The thing with Christian Soto went pretty well. So I think after the Christian Soto thing went well, Doug was like, hmm, you know, people are enjoying the trash talk to Christian Soto. Okay, I'm going to start trash talking other people. And he stuck to people that he had already fought with before. So he wasn't burning new bridges or making new enemies. And uh, in some cases, people who were going to have a hard time responding or he felt probably wouldn't respond. Ones who either just don't answer or ones who are not very good at responding to these type of insults. So I, I think he was just trying to really come off like as brash and as uh, controversial and as aggressive. And he's just trying to get attention, get people looking at him, get people following his Twitter, get people watching his every move as we get within the final two weeks before the epic heads-up match with Negreanu on November 1st. That, that's all I think it is. I don't think he tilted off because he uh, lost money on that day. I don't even know if he really lost money on that day. It's possible he's just making that up as the excuse that he is doing it. You have to understand that Doug Polk himself is a carefully marketed product. And it's not just him marketing himself. He has Seriously Serious working behind the scenes, who's uh, very good at uh, social media and understanding uh, how to get attention on social media and stuff like that, uh, advising him on uh, what he should do and what he shouldn't do. And they must have decided that this is a good tactic to get attention before the match. So I don't think Doug Polk goes off very often without thinking about it first. I think everything is pretty well planned with him. I think the charts thing was an exception. I think the charts thing, it kind of looks like he just kind of was spouting off and uh, wasn't thinking very well before he was writing what he was writing. And I think that might be one of the reasons that he was not uh, looking as good in that one. So sometimes what appears to be spontaneous with Doug probably is not. In fact, that is probably the case most of the time. And you should understand that. I don't think Doug is a bad guy. I think overall he's probably a good guy. People who have worked with him and have been friends with him have told me good things that they uh, think highly of him as a person. So 
I will keep that in mind, and I'll share this with you here. I do think that he likes to troll. I do think that he likes to uh, agitate. And uh, I do think that he will try to increase views and his uh, notoriety at the expense of others, but he likes to do at the expense of others that he feels deserves it. So he, he doesn't pick on those that he believes are really innocent. And I think even the Galfon tweet kind of shows that. Like he's not, uh, and for, first of all, attacking Galfon would probably make him unpopular. But aside from that, like anyone he thinks is legitimately a good or nice guy, I don't think he's going to attack. But but someone who he just doesn't like, he's like, okay, if I can get more views, if I can get more popularity, if I can get more notoriety attacking this person and making them look bad and humiliating them, I'm going to do it. If I don't like them already, I'm going to do it. And if you look, you know, Alex Torelli and, and uh, Daniel Negreanu and, uh, you know, he, these are people he already didn't like and already didn't think highly of. And in some cases, it helps his business, too, because he's bashing the competition. And uh, I think I, I don't know how much he owns of upswing poker anymore. He may not own any of it anymore. But uh, I know that uh, Matt Berkey's solve why is competition for upswings poker. So uh that may have something to do with it, or I, I did hear, though, in a text message to me, that it's very possible that he just doesn't like him. <laughs> okay, so uh, moving on here. At some point in your life, you may have played poker for something other than money. Obviously not at a live card room. Maybe you've done it online for play money. But you may have also played poker at some point, even maybe when you were very young and too young to actually gamble, for something that uh, is not money or even play money. Maybe you played for uh, some kind of uh, objects or maybe you were playing for uh, some kind of food or, or, or treat or candy. Uh, there's a lot of things you can play for. But something I bet you never did, some a form of poker you never played. You may have even played strip poker where everybody takes off their clothes. Hopefully, uh, if you're a straight guy, you're not just doing this with a bunch of dudes. But uh, nevertheless, one thing I bet you never played for was poker for stolen IDs. But that game exists. That game exists where you play poker and the loser has to give up stolen IDs that they have accumulated to others. And the goal of the game is to win... And this way, you don't have to give up stolen IDs that uh, you have obtained, and others have to give you stolen IDs that they have obtained. So this was from uh, Poker.org. A guy named uh, John Pill published this on October 14th, and he wrote, It turns out that black hat hackers, and those are, a black hat hacker, by the way, is like an evil hacker. It's like a bad guy hacker. A white hat hacker is, is a hacker, but who's doing it for good. A hacker who's uh, like a white hat hacker would be someone who finds a way to break into a company, but then instead of doing anything bad with it, calls up the company and says, "Hey, uh, here's a vulnerability I found. Go fix it." That that would be a white hat hacker. A black a black hat hacker would steal their data and then sell it on the black market. So it turns out black hat hackers, like the rest of us, enjoy a game of online poker now and again. Although when you win one of their games, you don't come away with a fistful of dollars and a branded hoodie. Always about a hoodie. Uh, according to a recent article from Trend Micro, a cybersecurity firm, the winners in these games get hacking-themed prizes. For example, credit cards set up with leaked IDs, 
licenses for phishing software, that's PH phishing, not uh, with an F, or a code for uh, automating the creation of cloned websites. Like the rest of us, the COVID pandemic has left hackers with extra time on their hands. They fill this time with all manner of relaxing competitions. By by the way, I don't believe that. A lot of these hackers are are sitting in their basement, COVID or no COVID. These include rap battles and in-person sporting events. It seems MMA is a popular example. And of course, online poker tournaments. Trend Micro's underground monitoring noticed a recent uptick in advertisements for the various games and uh, contests in recreational sections of hacking forums. Their report reveals some of the stranger details. So it turns out that uh, things you could win in this game include access to cloud-based logs of stolen data, uh, which includes personal identifying information and stolen credit cards, uh, licenses for Lincoln Sphere, a customized browser that uses stolen credentials and system fingerprints to avoid anti-fraud detection system, two airplane tickets purchased using a stolen credit card, and uh, monetary prizes that were originally accumulated through criminal activities. It also showed that uh, someone donated uh, three liters of any alcohol to any first-place finisher. And uh, someone else put a bounty on someone else in there that anybody who knocked out a guy named Billy Bones got a copy of uh, a software package called Anti-Detect 6.5, which is used with uh, stolen credit cards to avoid being detected because a lot of... uh, Companies use uh, fraud detection systems, and anti-detect is some piece of software that uh, prevents that from happening. I'm not exactly sure how they would do this. I'd have to think about how that would even work, this anti-detect software, but uh, apparently exists, and uh, you get a copy of that. Uh, apparently, there is a lot. Of, there were a lot of uh, Russians in this, which is not surprising, and in fact... One of the tournaments that took place was advertised of starting at 8 p.m. Moscow time. <laughs> so I'm not at all surprised this is Russians doing it. It wasn't all Russians, but it was a lot of them. So, uh, yeah, that game apparently is real. Like, uh, apparently they, they play poker for hack stuff. Strange, but... Not hard to believe. You can find the full article on uh, trendmicro.com. They also had other contests, like poem contests, and uh, and I mentioned the online rap battles. And those also could uh, could win some of these prizes. It wasn't just poker. Uh, someone posted a screenshot of uh, one of these uh, forums, and it had a lot of uh, different things about poker in there. Here are some other prizes that were offered, other than the ones I mentioned. A Visa Gold card with a seven-month warranty, I'm not sure what that means, registered using uh, stolen IDs. They they also had a script to automate the creation of cloned websites and e-shops. Then uh, verified Yandex money and Kiwi wallets registered to Money Mules, and uh, these would be used for, for money transfers for uh, whatever's needed or to, or to buy assets that they're going to be using for their various nefarious activities, such as uh, virtual private servers. I don't know how these would be valued in a poker game like this. I'm not exactly sure how they would do this, like like what's worth what and uh, 
how do you, you know, how are you betting here? But, uh, it actually took place on, on poker stars. Funny enough, one of these contests in a, in a play money room. One of them actually says, uh, pokerstars.com. And that's where they held the tournament. And of course, poker stars can't really police this unless they know what's going on to poker stars. It just looks like a, like a private play money game. There is a, a $10 entry fee to uh, get into this tournament, which again took place on the poker stars home, home games. And uh, it costs $10 to get in. You have to pay by Bitcoin. And you it's a tournament where you start off with uh, a stack of 2,000 chips and the blinds go up every 10 minutes. There's no add-ons or rebuys. So it's some kind of sit-and-go, it looks like. I think it's a sit-and-go. At the very least, it's a nine-handed tournament. It's either a nine-handed tournament or a sit-and-go nine-handed with a $10 entry. So they're they're doing this just to have fun. Uh, trading is very common in uh, black hat hacker communities because each person can only do so much. And uh, let, let's say you have obtained more credit cards than you could ever use. Let's say you obtained uh, six hundred fifty thousand credit card numbers and and the identifying information going along with them to where they're all usable. Okay, so let's say you have that. What do you do with six hundred fifty thousand credit cards? You can either sell them or you can trade a lot of them for other stuff that's valuable to you as a black hat hacker. And that's uh, a lot of how all that works, where people get a lot of one thing and then they trade them with each other. I've mentioned before that I was part of the phone and computer hacking community in the 1980s. And of course I was very young then. And uh, yeah, some of the stuff I was involved with then I wouldn't do today or I wouldn't even have done uh, 20 years ago. But, uh, you know, back then I was a teenager, and uh, it seemed cool. But I saw a lot of that going on back then. It was uh, not as uh, – it wasn't really being done for monetary reasons. So, like, there there wasn't really credit card fraud going on, or at least nothing I was involved with. But uh, yeah, there were things where people would trade uh, a calling card to make long-distance calls anywhere for free, which was a big deal at the time. Now, now it's not really worth very much, but back then it was worth a lot. Uh, you, you trade that for a, a stolen voicemail box that you could use as your own personal voicemail that uh, people could contact you without you giving out your own personal information. So, like, people would trade that type of thing back back in the 80s when I was involved with that. So this, this is the same thing just uh, many years later and uh, with a, a more nefarious purpose to it. So this is actually being done for profit rather than for fun. And a lot of these people in Russia, this is uh, this is how they make a living. Like, there's a lot of Russian hackers because Russia has a very large population. There's a lot of poverty there. There's not a lot of opportunity. And it's kind of in the culture in Russia that you have to hustle to make it. Even if you're not a scammer, just a, you've, you've got to be... You, you can't be a mark there. You've got to be very aggressive. You've got to constantly uh, be looking out. You've got to constantly take every opportunity there is in front of you or make your own opportunities or you're going to be left behind. It, it's a constant matter of hustle or be hustled in Russia. And uh, people learn that. It's in the culture. So it's not a big jump to go from there to scamming, especially when you can scam internationally and uh, cheat people in other countries where there's likely to be, not be much consequence. So you can you can be a Russian and 
victimize people in the U.S. and the U.K. and everywhere else that's not Russia, and it's not likely much is going to happen to you. You're not going after Russian citizens. And there's a lot of rationalization, too, that uh, this is uh, what you need to do or that uh, these company, th- these other countries, they it, it, that's unfair, that they've uh, unfairly uh, uh, positioned themselves in the world to, to have more than they deserve while Russia suffers. There's, there's a lot of different beliefs about why it is just to scam Americans and Europeans. And uh, there's also those who aren't trying to justify it and just think, okay, if I can do it and if I can uh, make money this way, make a living this way and live well because I'm doing this, okay, I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to care about uh, who I hurt. Some people who just feel that way. Not just in Russia, but uh, in general, those who engage in these types of activities. Some of them also justify it that often these are crimes that are against corporations. For example, if you steal credit cards and run up uh, a bunch of charges on them, in most cases, the person's going to catch it and not going to pay it and report it to the credit card company. And while it's a pain in the ass, when the whole thing's said and done, the victim of, with the credit card is not going to be out of any money. And it'll be the credit card company that has to eat it. So they may think, okay, we're, we're, we're ripping off giant American banks. Who cares? So very common. In fact, uh, a lot of the cyber attacks against Poker Fraud Alert have been from Russia. Most of them have been from Russia. And these are not attacks aimed at me personally. The Russians who have attacked the site don't know me and have no issue with me personally. They, In fact, uh, I doubt they even know who runs Poker Fraud Alert. They just see it's a site that they were able to uh, attack in some way. And they were trying to utilize my site to do some of the stuff, uh, some of their dirty work. They were trying to uh, use it to spam or use it as a relay for various things. I won't get into everything they were doing, but uh, that was what they were going for. They were going for uh, making Poker Fraud Alert uh, kind of a a computer in their uh, cyber army. And and at some points they succeeded until I would catch it and then uh, throw them out. And in fact, we had one uh, fairly recently, right, to throw some Russian hackers off the site. Nobody's personal information was obtained from what I could tell because they weren't interested in that. They weren't looking to grab things off my site. In fact, it it doesn't look like my site would have any valuable information to get because there's no payment information to get. There's no credit cards in my site to get. So that wasn't what they were after. They were just trying to use my site to transmit things and they would uh, find creative ways to break into it. And then I would uh, notice something isn't quite right and I would uh, do some investigation and I would find it and I would throw them out and then I would take countermeasures to prevent the same thing from happening again. So, uh, I have had to deal with Russians, as I've mentioned before on this show. And, uh, of course, I don't bother reporting this to anyone because nothing's going to be done. Like, some people want to feel good that they report things. Like, there's a lot of people, if this happened to, they would call the FBI or they'd, uh, they'd send, actually, you can't call the FBI. They make it very hard to reach them. But they, you, you would submit a form on the FBI's website and they would, uh, and you'd feel good that maybe they're investigating. No, they're not. They, They would never investigate. It'd be a complete waste of time. So I don't even bother reporting it. When I see it's Russians, I think, okay, it's Russians. Nothing I can do from a law enforcement standpoint. Let's figure out how do I undo the damage they did? How do I throw them off of here? And how do I take measures to prevent them from doing the same thing to me in the future? That is what I do when I find that uh, Russians have uh, breached PokerFraudAlert.com. But the good news is they're not after your info. (laughs) They never have been. Moving on, parlays, sports parlays are a form of a bet 
where you bet on a bunch of teams at once and that every single one of those bets has to win or your bet loses. So if you do a five-team parlay or a five-game parlay, then all five of these games have to go the way that you pick. If four of them go the way you pick and one does not, if you go four and one, then you lose the entire bet. So it's all or nothing. You have to either have a perfect record on that parlay or you lose. Now, if there's ties, then usually what happens is they just drop that off as if it was not bet on. And so like a, let's say you had a five team parlay and four, four winners and one tie in there, they would just turn into a four team parlay and pay you. But uh, aside from that, uh, you have to win them all. You have to win or tie them all, I should say. If you lose even one, then it's out. So this makes winning parlays tough, especially multi-way parlays that are more than a few ways. So like an 18 parlay would be very difficult to win because you're having to win or tie all eight games or else the whole thing loses. Uh, if we're looking at games that have a 50-50 chance to win, which would be like spread games, like when they have a point spread that's done so each side is 50-50 to cover it. So let's say a, a football game where let's just say you're betting on uh, the Raiders uh, minus seven and a half. And uh, in that game, if the Raiders win by eight or more, then you're the winner. If the Ra- Raiders either lose or win by seven or fewer, then you lose the bet. The sports book by offering that bet is considering it that this is basically a 50-50 proposition who's going to win the way they make the money is that uh, they take juice from each side. So if there's an equal amount bet on each side, they're guaranteed to win about 10%. So that's that's the way it works. So let's say you did eight of those type of bets. You have a 50% chance, roughly, to win each of those eight. So the chance of winning this is one over two to the power of eight, one in 256 to win a eight-team parlay, which are by the spread. Now, it can be even longer odds if you are putting underdogs in there. And it can be lesser odds than that if you put in uh, big favorites. Because big favorites, uh, let's say you're just betting without a point spread. Let's say you're just being a, betting a very good team to be a very bad team without a point spread. Then there is uh, a much better chance than 50% you're going to win that game, but then you're not going to get paid uh, as much money on it. You're going to get paid much less. So that, that's, that's just basics of sports betting, and parlaying is just combining all these together where they all have to win, and this way you get a much bigger payout. Now, a lot of degenerates love parlays because it's a way to get out of the hole. So let's say you just get clobbered this week in sports betting. You're, just, you're betting normally. You're not doing parlays. You're, just, you're betting normally, and you're getting beat, 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 and you just go, oh my god, how am I going to get out of this? I, I've lost so many games and uh, I even upped my bet to try to get out of the hole, and I still lost. And now I'm way behind, and, and I don't even have the bankroll to get back all this money I lost. So how am I going to do it? I don't have the bankroll. And even if I did, I'd have to get really lucky to uh, win this many times in a row. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this to get back out of this hole. And they go, oh, parlays. Yeah, it doesn't require a lot of money. And I will win uh, a very large sum of money if I get very lucky. So I can get very lucky, get out of the hole, and not risk much if I lose. Only downside, of course, is you're very likely to lose because everything has to go perfectly. Some guy decided to wager $1 on a 20-team parlay. 20-team. It was in golf, by the way. (laughs) Which you might be better off betting golf because it's a little – 
easier to handicap that probably if you are very knowledgeable in it, which I am not. But uh, if you are, then you may have uh, a decent edge there because there's less attention paid to it. The, the rule of thumb in sports betting is that the more focus there is on the game in general, the higher profile the game is, the higher profile the sport is, the harder it's going to be to beat the books. Because the way you beat the books long term in sports betting, other than things like props, but uh, in in normal sports betting, the way you would beat the books long term is by finding weakness in the lines they set where you know more than the sports book. And the sports book is going to usually know more than you uh, unless you're picking games where you happen to have some more knowledge about it than they do. And games which are less commonly bet or ones they're less likely to pay that much attention to are more likely where you can get an edge there than uh, something like, for example, the Super Bowl, where all eyes are on this and it's very unlikely there's going to be a soft line. So getting back to this parlay, someone bet $1 on a golf tournament. So this guy bet uh, $1 on uh, 20 head-to-head pairings in golf. And these golfers were not actually playing against each other directly, but basically you're betting who's going to do better of of these two golfers, this guy or this guy. So this person took 20 different head-to-head matchups, which are imaginary matchups. It's taking their real results in this tournament and just making it as if they're the only two players and who did better. So they're doing, uh, the the guy did 20 of these involving uh, 40 different golfers. And keep in mind, you, you, you would have to do with 40 different golfers because you cannot use the same golfer twice, otherwise that would be what's known as a uh, uh, coordinated parlay. And that is where uh, that's never allowed in sports books because that gives you an edge because this way if one wins, then uh, the, another one is going to win. So like for example, you, you couldn't do a 20 parlay like this with the same guy for all 20. Otherwise, if he wins the tournament then you've won a 20 uh, 20-team parlay and you would, and of course that you getting much better odds than you should if you just bet on him to win so that's not allowed but uh so he actually, they actually had to bet on 40 different golfers with uh you know, two by two of who's going to do better and they had to get all of them correct all 20 matchups there all these 20 hypothetical matchups in that tournament they had to get correct of who's going to do better incredibly hard so he bet a dollar and he was going to get paid $679,894.66 if he were to win that parlay. <laughs> Believe it or not, he won. So he bet on the following golfers. Graham McDowell, Marcus Kinholt, Richard Ramsey, Mashahiro Kawamura, Pablo Larazabal, Ian Poulter, Burned Weisberger, Tommy Fleetwood, Kiradech uh, Apu Baranat, Patrick Reed, Lee Westwood, Scott uh, Hend, Martin Kamer, Eddie Pepperell, Andy Sullivan, Joaquin Hansen, David Horsey, Tyrell Hatton, Robert Rock, and Shane Lowry. These were the ones he chose to win. And all of them won. Every single one of these guys did better than the person he had the parrot against. Now, I'm not sure what the uh, the favorite versus 
underdog status was in all these. Maybe he bet on the 20 best in these, but uh, it couldn't have been too big of a favorite because one one dollar won him 680k, and uh, I put this into a calculator in that if they were all even matchups, it would actually be a 1 in 1,048,000 chance that you would hit them all. And so he got paid 680,000 to 1. So I, I can't imagine the juice was that high. It probably wasn't 30%. So he probably bet a little bit more on the like on the favorites, but it didn't look like big favorites. Probably some small favorites in there. And I don't know enough about these golfers or anything about these golfers to uh, tell you who was favored over the other. But it looks like these were all relatively even matchups, or at least most of them were. And he hit this for $1, got $680,000. It's amazing. Now, you may hear this and think, oh, I'm going to do this next time. I mean, that's that's crazy just for a dollar. But listen again, it's one in a million, literally one in a million to hit this. And he did. It just got, The guy got super lucky. You could do this for the rest of your life. You're not going to hit it. You're not going to hit something like this. Uh, you could do it every day for the rest of the your natural life. You won't hit one. Why? Because it's one in a million. And you're not going to win. You're not going to live anywhere near a million days. <laughs> so that's that's that. Uh, to show you how hard it is to win that, like even if you bet that every day, if you live another uh, fifty years, you are going to be living uh, about another eighteen thousand uh, two hundred days. That's all the days you have left on this earth if you're going to live fifty years from now. Which, by the way, I'd be thrilled to live another fifty years. I'm forty-eight and a half. So I would be thrilled if I make it a 98 and a half. I probably won't. In fact, uh, the odds are very much against me making 98 and a half because uh, if you look at most men who make it to 100, which 98 and a half is very close to, there's something that is different about them than me, and that is they are short. So if you are tall, if you're well over six foot as I am, your chance to make it near 100 is very, very low. Not impossible, but very low. Your chance to make it to 100 is not very high anyway, no matter what height you are. But uh, being uh, well over six foot, your chance to make it to 100 is very low, at least at the moment. Maybe some kind of uh, miracle uh, treatments will come out for things like cancer and heart disease while I'm still alive, which would make the chances higher. But uh, at the moment, chances of making it another 50 years for me at this age is pretty low. But even if I were to make it another 50 years, there's only about 18,200 days left in my life. So I could bet this every day with a one in a million chance, and it would be a very low chance that I would uh, hit this even once. So uh, don't try to emulate this unless you want to throw away a dollar at a time. But every once in a while, a feel-good story like that happens in gambling. Every once in a while, someone will get super lucky. And, of course, there are so many bets like this placed over time, and eventually you hear about one that hits. You don't hear about all those that get placed and are wasted. So that is not the way to riches, but uh, on the other hand, you're not risking very much. You want to throw a dollar on something like that. It's not exactly it's not exactly going to break you no matter who you are or no matter what your financial situation is. And it can be fun just to follow the whole thing, but it can also be frustrating. Like, let's say you start off well and, and win the first seven. Well, it's such an uphill battle to win the next 13 at that point. Like, it, it's still very, very unlikely. So to, to win the first seven is, is great, but then you still have 13 more. And the chance of uh, winning the next 13 would still be 1 in 8,000 or so. So that's that's a lot better than 1 in a million, but uh, 
you, you do something unusual, win the first seven, you go, crap, I've still got a one in 8,000 chance of winning. <laughs> so, so much for that. Good to see that someone hit that. Must have been very, very exciting for him. And this was one on an online sports book in Australia. This was not even an American winning. It was an online Australian sports book. By the way, this is at the uh, BMW PGA Championship on Saturday. Moving on here. We're going through these topics fast. Yeah, I, that's why I wanted to have Clayton Jang on tonight, because I knew we weren't going to have a long show. I knew it. We just don't have a lot of long topics to talk about this week. What can I say? A new thread was created on the Poker Fraud Alert Scam Scandals and Shadiness Forum, and I thought it was pretty interesting. I always like when new threads are created about things I haven't heard of, especially kind of shady things happening in the world of poker or gambling that I wasn't aware of previously, and it kind of opens opens up a whole new world to me of things that are going on. Jeff Dime did this with the Christopher Mitchell thread, which is now more than 100 pages long, and has actually brought some new people to Poker Fraudler to discuss it, because uh, a lot of people have been outraged about Christopher Mitchell for a long time and didn't really see a place to discuss it, so they'd find Poker Fraudler and go, oh, cool. And they would uh, they don't really participate in much of the forum, they mostly stick to that thread, but has attracted some people over to all get together and discuss their mutual hatred of Christopher Mitchell. But uh, we're, got, we're not going to talk about Christopher Mitchell tonight. We're going to talk about the YouTube slot community. I was not aware such a thing existed. You may wonder, well, what is that? What is the YouTube slot community? Well, I'm glad you asked. I will explain it to you. On YouTube, there are tons of different niche topics that are talked about. Tons of different niche channels. You'd be surprised how many channels there are on YouTube that have a significant following, which people can sometimes translate into uh, a good deal of money. And it never surprises me when I hear about a new niche community on YouTube, which is attracting a lot of people. And that's what Christopher Mitchell was trying to do. He he never got a lot of people. That's why he charges things like $1,000, $2,000, because he doesn't get that many people who are willing to pay him and he's not a big YouTube personality. The only reason people like talking about him is because his whole uh, his whole act is so outrageous and stupid and unsophisticated, and it actually pisses people off because of uh, how ridiculous it is and how smug he is about it. But uh, but he really isn't that a big of a deal. However, there's people who are much better known than him, who are going about it a different way. So a guy named New Guy, that's actually his name, New Guy, and right now he is a new guy. He's signed up to Poker Fraudler in September of this year. He wrote the following on a thread called YouTube Slot Community on the Scam Scandals and Shadiness Forum. The YouTube Slot Community has many shady creators who prey on a demographic that views slot machines as easy money and have a weird parasocial relationship that treats the audience as a piggy bank. Hmm. A surprising amount of personalities that are, quote, professional slot YouTubers are incredibly unethical and would have been shunned in any other avenue for their antics. This thread was inspired by uh, by Cheetos Baccarat, who's like a, kind of like a guy on YouTube who likes to expose people in gambling who promote scams, doing a rather lazy attempt on exposing YouTube slot vloggers as scammers. I'm not here to clown on the guy, but his videos managed to get deluded acolytes of some of those channels uh, berserk for stating obvious facts 
this inspired me to detail some of the shadier stuff that happened that I found. Please chime in if you know more. So basically he's saying that he doesn't really like the job that Cheetos Baccarat has done exposing this. And by the way, Cheetos Baccarat has never been on this show. We've, we have had somebody else on the show before who was involved in exposing Christopher Mitchell. It's a different guy. We've never had or talked about Cheetos Baccarat before, to my knowledge. We've definitely never had him on here. So this guy, new guy, is saying, uh, Cheetos Baccarat, you know, his art's in the right place, but he, he didn't do a very good job with this one, so let me do a better job, is what he's saying. So the first one he profiles is named uh, Brian Christopher. And this is what he writes about Brian Christopher. Brian Christopher is a former struggling actor that hit it big filming himself playing slots. He's a narcissistic, charismatic individual who films himself playing slots. He's managed to accumulate 290,000 YouTube subscribers, making him the self-titled number one slot YouTuber. Wow, 290,000 subscribers. That's pretty big for just playing slot machines. I mean, like, I would have had no idea someone got 290,000 subscribers just filming themselves playing slots. He managed to monetize recording slots enough to make this his full-time job. The thread was not made to detail this man's achievements, but to note some of his behavior. Back in March 2020, Mar- Brian Christopher told his fans that he managed to get some hand sanitizer with a BC Slots logo, BC presu- presumably it's at British Columbia, uh, at a cost of two ounces for two ninety nine plus shipping. This is during the hand sanitizer shortage, so you would think this was altruistic for his loyal Rudies. That's a term for, of endearment for his fan base. But you could find cheaper sanitizer in bulk on the internet for about $1 according to the video. Brian Christopher was using a global pandemic and the shortage associated with it to pretend to be altruistic while charging triple the price you could get them online. Okay, let me stop here. Um, I agree with just about everything New Guy has said in this thread, like from what I can tell. I haven't researched this at all. I'll, t- I'll tell you this right now. I'm just going by what he's saying. I have not uh, done any research on this whole slot thing, though I, I am kind of fascinated by it. But I will say that this part, while uh, yeah, a little bit questionable, this is not all that bad, in my opinion, because he wasn't marking it way up. Like, if he marked this up uh, like $20 per bottle, which people would have paid at the time when you couldn't get hand sanitizer early in the year, uh, then I could see, uh, wow, what a scumbag. He's gouging people on hand sanitizer and say, hey, I have it, but it's $20 per bottle. Like, here he's marking it up uh, a little bit, or even by a few times. He's still selling it for $3 plus shipping, which isn't terrible. So, uh, and he, as far as I know, he was really shipping the product. And uh, so, yes, that was, he was doing this for a profit and profiting off the pandemic and, and making it seem like he's being nice to his followers by selling it to them so cheap. But the truth is he was selling it cheap compared to what I was seeing on eBay and other places uh, when people were selling hand sanitizer that they accumulated. So, yeah, whatever. I, I think that's kind of bad form to profit off of a pandemic and a shortage of something because of a pandemic. But... You know, I've uh, I've seen worse. Going on. Thankfully to his deluded fan base, the hand sanitizer was not able to be procured. So he posted about his gambling cruise in March that was slated for October for his Rudy's to go on. Remember, Rudy's are what uh, – I don't know why they call them Rudy's, but that's the nickname for the people who follow him. The same cruise where he gets a kickback from all the gambling going on by the company hosting the cruise. Presumably the cruise won't happen, but it shows that Brian Christopher views his loyal audience as suckers to extract money from. That that part, I believe. Another shady thing Brian did was during early May, he flew from L.A. to Spokane, Washington, and drove to a Native American casino without quarantining at all to film for content for his YouTube channel. This is during the time that all the California and Nevada casinos were closed and he was running out of content. He broke multiple laws to enrich himself and even said that this was business, so it was okay for him to do that. So, okay, 
let, let's let's stop here. So none of this stuff approaches scamming level. Obviously not. Like he he wasn't asking people to pay him to learn how to play slots. He wasn't uh, charging people for this content. Uh, he was basically filming himself playing slots, getting a big following. I don't know how, but somehow he's. Uh, I mean, he mentioned the guy's charismatic, so he must be. He must uh, be interesting for people to watch. And then goes on to monetize it by uh, pretending like he's doing people a favor, selling them cheap tan- hand sanitizer, when in reality he's making money off of it. Uh, you know, promotes this cruise that uh, that he talks about that you know they they can go on and, and meet him. And that it's it's a great cruise to go on. In reality, he has some sort of deal where he gets a kickback from it. And uh, the, the COVID thing, you know, whatever. If they're, if they're going to let him uh, – if the place is open and they let him go in, then he does. So I, I don't see that as being a big deal. But, uh, like, none of this is a big deal. But uh, here's the question. And, and this is what's more relevant to me. So obviously the guy profits off this channel, makes a living off this channel. But whatever. A lot of people do that who, who do who – do, uh, popular YouTube channels. And a lot of them are do kind of like backdoor promotions of things. So I, I like the stuff he's written so far, I can't criticize much. I really can't. I'd like to, but I can't. <laughs> um, I, I'm being fair here, but if Brian Christopher is selling his channel from the standpoint of I'm winning in slots, watch me and I'm not going to charge you for the information, but uh, you can be like me, watch what I do. And that's a draw to his channel. Then it becomes shady. I don't know if he does that or not. I haven't watched his channel yet. But uh, there's a big difference between just, hey, watch me play slots. And then he gets a big following people watching him. And then go, hey, you know, while you're here, do you need hand sanitizer? You know, I'm going to be nice to you guys. I'm going to sell it to you real cheap. And then you're really making a profit. Or, hey, anyone want to go on a fun gambling cruise? I really love this one cruise line. You, you should take them, you know, and, I, and I, it's a great deal right now. You should really, really sign up. And then it turns out he's getting a kickback. Okay, you know, he's just promoting crap and selling crap once he already has a following to his entertaining channel. Okay? Like, whatever. But if he is getting that following by misleading people into believing that uh, what he is doing is profitable, that's a problem because then he's uh, basically – selling him himself on a false pretense. Even if you're not buying anything, he's he's bringing you over there and making you believe something which will be harmful to you if you try to emulate it. And uh, that that could be the potential problem with that. Nothing about that's illegal, but it's, it's just unethical in my opinion. So he goes on then to mention uh, this female uh, slot YouTuber named Slot Lady. I know, very, very... Very, very <laughs> creative name here, Slot Lady. He said she's an above-average woman in both intellect and looks who realized that she could subsidize her real-life vice, that is, slot play, by making YouTube her genuine career. Now, the first picture he posted of her, she was really pretty. Then I looked more closely. I'm like, oh, okay, it's a filtered picture. The, the women these days love filtered pictures, especially if they're over 30. And... uh You'll see a filtered picture and just go, wow, this is like one of the hottest chicks I've ever seen. And then you'll see real pictures of them. You'll go, okay, well, she's pretty, but she's not like stunning like she looks in the filtered picture. So uh, the the picture he posts first is a filtered picture. I go, well, okay, she's not just above average looking. She's like really, really like model pretty. Then I saw the other pictures of her and I, I agree. She's uh, she's attractive, but uh, she's not as pretty as that in that main picture. Anyway, uh, she realized what he claims is that still – by being an above-average-looking young or semi-young female who also uh, 
has some hustle to her that uh, that by itself can get her views. It's a lot easier to get views if you're a pretty girl on YouTube than it is if you're just some dude. That's that's a fact. In fact, uh, you know, I I would probably have a YouTube channel if I was a uh, 25-year-old, 30-year-old female who was pretty. I could talk about a lot of uh, mundane things and probably get a lot of people watching my channel if that were the case. But but I'm not. If I if I did a YouTube channel and put myself on video, no one would be very excited to come over and see me. So uh, I don't do that. But uh, anyway, I, I don't blame her for recognizing that this is a niche she can get involved with too, and she could use her looks to do it. And he actually says this. New guy says, I'm not knocking her for that. She actually seems enthused when playing, unlike uh, Brian Christopher, who uh, does an excited shtick 90% of the time. So he's saying that uh, this slot lady actually seems to really be into slots and probably chunks off a lot of money on slots, and that uh, this is a way she's found that she can play slots, have the fun of playing slots, and then uh, basically reimburse her losses through her channel, whereas Brian Christopher, the whole thing is just a, a ruse that he really doesn't like slots very much. It's just just, just a gimmick to get him uh, views, and that it looks like 90% of the time he, he's faking enthusiasm. That With her, it looks like she's legitimately enjoying herself. My issue with Slot Lady, he writes, is the fact that she will say one thing and do another completely. And uh, then he mentions that uh, if you go to her website, she has online casino promo codes with her name on it. And she has yeah, my favorite online casinos. I haven't heard of these. Party Casino, which I think is not related to party poker. Uh, Casalando, I've never heard of them. Mr. Green and Play Ammo, I've never heard of any of these. And that's that's always bad news. When there's an online casino that is not very mainstream, like that is really, really an invitation to get ripped off. There are a lot of shady online casinos out there because no one's regulating them. They can do anything. They can set the odds to anything. They can cheat you all they want, and there's no way to know if they're doing it because the odds are against you anyway. So there's no way to know. If uh, you're losing, is because of being cheated or just bad luck. There's no way to know it. Online casinos, you're playing directly against the house. It's a horrible idea to play online slots in general. But to do this on, on small sites is a huge mistake. And also, if you hit some jackpot, there's a decent chance you won't get paid. So if you are going to play online slots, at least do it on a large site. I say don't do it at all. But if you can do it, doing it on a small site is throwing away your money. And, and he's showing that she has links to that. But okay, you can say maybe she's not aware of that. She's not as... Uh, Savvy with this stuff as I am. Possible. But then she she has a Patreon. (laughs) Her Patreon talks about getting a promotional offer from El Cortez that sounds like she's getting something on the back end. So let's go to it. Let's go to patreon.com slash slot lady and see what's being offered here. The El Cortez is a hotel in Vegas, in downtown Vegas. So on her Patreon, you can give her the following uh, donations. Her Patreon is a site which you can use to fund people who are doing some sort of uh, performing, some kind of art, some kind of performing. Uh, Usually they're doing it online in some way, and this is a way you can help them. In fact, I could have a Patreon. I could have a Poker Fraud Alert Patreon where I say, look, this site loses money, and uh, I'm not charging any of you to access it, and I don't have any sponsors. So and, and I don't want to take sponsors and, and make it to where I have to uh, kiss their ass or never say anything bad about them if they do something wrong. So uh, how about supporting this show through Patreon? And I probably would get some people donating. I, I, In fact, I'm sure I would, especially because the demographic of this show is an older demographic, uh, many of whom are professionals who have money and enjoy this show. And probably there would pe- be people who would uh, send me that money. 
I don't do it because, uh, I don't know, I, I just don't feel right doing it. I could do it. There'd be nothing wrong with doing it. But uh, if I'm ever going to get money from this show, I prefer it to be from sponsors who actually feel like they're getting something. Uh, listeners, I'm, I'm happy you, you just listen. I'm not looking for you to pay me to listen to the show. So, uh, and, and I don't need the money that badly. So, you know, so like, yeah, it would be nice to make money from the show, but, but that's not why I do the show. So I don't do a Patreon. To me, a Patreon kind of feels like begging, and I, I don't want to beg. So, like, if I was broke, and a lot of people enjoyed this show, then I'd consider, I'd consider a Patreon because uh, I would rationalize, well, look, I'm having trouble paying the bills, and people really enjoy something I'm doing, so maybe those who have more money than me can uh, kick some money my way. But, but when I don't need that money, I, I just kind of feel crappy about having a Patreon, so I don't have one. Anyway, she does, which by itself is fine. I'm not – others who have a Patreon, whatever, that's their right to do, and uh, I'm not going to criticize it. I was just telling you my opinion of why I don't have one. But here are the different things you can get. Now, usually Patreon is just about donating, but uh, they're allowed to give you something related to uh, what they're doing there for Patreon donations. For example, uh, someone who does a podcast could say, uh, you know, donate $100 and I'll give you a shout out or uh, donate $100 and, and I'll let you, you know, you can co-host with me for, for half an hour one day, something like that. So here's what you get for uh, if you do it $5 per month. Uh, I, I guess this is recurring or something. I don't understand the per month thing, but it says $5 per month if you use that level. Free room and $100 a day in free play at El Cortez in Las Vegas. But then it says must earn 3,000 slot base points per day to qualify. What? This promotion can be used for video real slots and not video poker. That's lovely. Rooms are based on availability. Blackout dates may apply. Help me pick which slot machines to play and access the private behind-the-scenes videos in my secret Facebook Patreon members group. So, okay, you're not getting very much for this. So, obviously, helping her pick which slot machines to play, you probably just get a vote on something and then access to her private behind-the-scenes videos in her Facebook group. Who cares? Now, it's only $5 per month. But what about this free room? Doesn't that sound like a good idea? Doesn't that sound like a good deal? You give her $5 even per month and uh, you get this free room and $100 per day of your room? $100 per day in the casino at, at El Cortez? That sounds great. Why don't you do it? Well, because of this parenthesis she puts afterwards, must earn 3,000 slot base points each day. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot of points to earn. I don't know how fast you can earn them, but I have to imagine that's uh, a good deal of play. So basically, the, the free room and the $100 a day in free slot play, you're not getting this really for free. That in order to get all these things, you have to stay there and then earn it back through play and if you don't they charge you something something like that where you, you only get your hundred dollars free play after you've you've played this and i presumably they're going to charge you for the room if you don't play this so and you can't even do it on video poker so you've got to do it at slot machines which you lose a lot more than video poker on average so i'm sure that your uh, expect, expected loss for three thousand slot points at el cortez is a lot more than $100. So this isn't any kind of deal. And there's even blackout dates. You can say, well, okay, well, I'll stay there on New Year's, so it'll be worth it. No, that'll be blacked out, I'm sure. So this is this is a fake free offer, is what it looks like to me. Now, it's only $5, but it, right there, it's a little bit shady. Because I've never heard of uh, free room and $100 a day free play if you earn 3,000 uh, slot base points per day. That's that's not free. That's you play this much and you've earned this for playing this much. That's not free anything. That's earned something. Very different. Free means 
you can just stay there and get it, and it's not dependent upon anything. Okay, then the $10 per month level, you get everything I just said for $5, and then there's also access to private behind-the-scenes uh, in Facebook. Well, that's the same thing. Well, wait a minute. It looks like it's the same thing. I don't know what she's doing there. Because it's, that's the only additional thing, and you still get that in the $5 level. She must have messed up. Okay, the $25 level, which is called Major. You choose which slot machine features in a video, provided they have it in the casinos I play, and then everything else that was described previously. So that's that's Major. Wait, there's more levels? Oh, wait. <laughs> Boy, there's more levels. I didn't realize this. Then there's also Grand of $100 per month. So that's, that's a lot more than five per month. Uh, $100 per month. You get uh, $100 live streaming gameplay on a machine of your choice. Hmm. Now, I, I guess she's playing for you. I don't quite understand that. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's what she's saying, that you're you're basically giving her $100 to go play with in the slot machines. Okay, and then there's Mega, which is $1,000 per month. One private one-on-one online slot session with Slot Lady where she will play with $250 on the machines of your choice. But then you must be a member of this level for six months. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get the, all the other stuff that uh, was mentioned before. So you don't just get this for $1,000. So hold on. This sounds like a terrible idea. So the grand, you give her $100, and then she plays $100, I think, for you. Maybe not for you. I can't, I can't tell if she gives you the money if she wins. At least that's a hundred for a hundred. Here you have to be a member for six months at a thousand per month, so that'll be uh, six thousand dollars to have her go one on one with you and run uh, two hundred fifty dollars on machines of your choice. It's not a very good deal. Six thousand for two fifty, and then uh, wishing well, ten thousand dollars per month. Come on, <laughs> but. She has a good sense of humor about it. She puts, a girl can dream, can't she? She doesn't even put what she'll do for the 10000 I don't know. Maybe, maybe for 10000 a month, she'll come over and have sex with you. <laughs> I don't know. 10000 per month, not just 10000 I think that part's a joke, though. So, all right. Let's, let's cut off the 10000 And uh, the 1000 though, that's crazy. So I, I wonder how many people she has subscribing to these things, especially at the higher levels. But you can see how she's trying to monetize this. And uh, this one, to me, is a little more interesting than this uh, Brian Christopher. Apparently, she was mad that Cheetos Baccarat uh, was, quote, exposing her. And I watched Cheetos' video. I admit it wasn't that well done. It's kind of like Cheetos just ranting for eight minutes and not making a lot of sense. But uh, someone mentioned to her in the YouTube comments, Dear Slot Lady, yesterday I saw a video where a guy said you are a work of the Cortez Casino in Vegas and they give you money to play and promote gambling. Because that, that was an accusation that uh, El Cort – this isn't just like a thing where she's giving people away something that El Cortez lets her give for free, which is probably true, but that she's actually being paid to make these videos to encourage people to come down there, which is very possible. I don't know if it's true or not true, but it sounds – there's a reason it's just the El Cortez she's promoting here. And then – Someone else said, uh, some jerk was calling you a fraud on YouTube. He said, you only show your winning sessions. And I was thinking, obviously, he doesn't watch her. I hate mean people. And she wrote, yes, I've reported the video to YouTube. Anyone can call the casinos I play at and ask them if I gamble with my own money. I also post losing videos all the time. So uh, I don't know how often she posts losing videos. Uh, this new guy claims she does sometimes, but she posts far more of winners. And... 
Um, I don't think it was accused that she's uh, only playing with house money. Like maybe it was, but uh, that's different than getting paid a promotional fee. You can play with your own money, but also be getting a promotional fee or some kind of loss rebate or something like that. Uh, I would be very surprised if she is just choosing the El Cortez, which is kind of a shithole, by the way, that she's choosing that to play at and that to give this offer for, and she's getting nothing for it in return. So this does sound to me like uh, there's there's some sort of promotion going on here. Um, I'm going to play you uh, one of her videos. This was uh, her doing a blackjack live stream at... Cadillac Jack's Casino in South Dakota. Welcome to tonight's live stream. I am playing Blackjack here at um, Cadillac Jack's. First of all, there's a little bit there's a little tilting here. Zoom it in a little bit more. Wasn't letting me pause here. Anyway, uh, you can't see her lips moving with her words very well. It's like the audio is a little bit off. She needs to work on that. And welcome to tonight's live stream. I am playing Blackjack here at um, Cadillac Jacks in Deadwood, South Dakota. And I see we have some super chats already. My goodness. Thank you, Michelle, for the $3 super chat. She says, how's it going? Thank you, Jeff. Good to see you for the $20 super chat. He says victory. <laughs> Let's hope. Anyway. Uh, so, yes. So here we go. Um, so, yeah. And there's actually a progressive at this table. And I will quickly show that to you. By the way, as was pointed out in this thread, there, what's unusual here is that she's able to do this. You cannot usually have your phone and film at the table. Usually casinos are very anti that and will tell you to stop immediately. If you don't stop, they'll kick you out. So the fact that she can do this shows she got some kind of permission because she's just doing it very blatantly like she's not trying to hide it. So it really looks like that uh, they are allowing her to do this, and that is uh, already suspicious that they allow her to do it because that does kind of make it look like that this is some sort of deal, some kind of promotional deal. And you may say what's wrong with that is because whenever anyone says anything good about a casino or is demonstrating how they're winning at the casino and you know, they're getting some kind of deal out of it, then you can't trust anything they say. Then all of a sudden everything's suspect. All of a sudden you cannot uh, believe anything that they are telling you on the video or showing you on the video. Now it says here that at, Deadwood, South Dakota, she was doing a live stream and made $147 from the Super Chat, which is a chat room where people could donate, and that she actually got kicked out in the middle because they didn't like her looking at her phone. Let's take a listen to this. Do we have to stop the live stream? Or, like, well, I'm confused. Stop the live stream, but, but like, I just have upper management watching from the cameras and they don't want to see Okay, but did you tell them that, like, the whole point of a live stream is, like, interacting with the chat and, like, this is how... I'm just watching my video. I know, and I understand that, but that's just what I'm getting from Okay, well... I- so, so, that's interesting. So, at the end of this video, she has an issue here where they tell her she has to uh, stop the live stream. And she's saying, don't you understand the point of the live stream is to interact with the chat? And she is not saying directly that she's getting she's gotten permission beforehand, but it, it seems like she's surprised that they're stopping it. I, I'm gonna have to end the streaming. <laughs> All right, thank you, Corey, for the ten dollars super chat. He's twenty one. All right, guys. Uh, unfortunately, there seems to be a misunderstanding about uh, being able to watch the chat. Thank you, Nate, for the two dollars super chat. He's asking how the side bet works. Um, 
yeah, so uh, unfortunately, I think I'm just going to have to end the stream. Uh, okay, I see what the problem is here. It looks like they let her do the live stream, but they didn't want her staring down at her phone because they're afraid that maybe she's uh, getting information, that they thought she's just going to film it and they were okay, but they didn't want her looking down at her phone of what's on the screen while she's playing. That was probably the agreement. That's why, she, that's why they're talking about the chat, and she's saying she has to look at the chat because she has to thank the people who are donating to her. Interesting. Because, uh, obviously, that's kind of part of it. <laughs> uh, so, all right, uh, can we just color those up? All right, so we are ending with 6, 7, 25, uh, 45. And that's for you. Thank you. All right. All right, guys. Sorry to end the stream so early. Um, I'll just have to work this out um, with the management here. Uh, no big deal. But, um, yeah, have a good night, guys. Thanks for joining in the stream. Uh, and I will see you next one. Bye. Yeah. So he mentioned she does a really phony smile at the end. And I, I think he was making more of it than it deserves. She, she clearly was upset and then was kind of realizing that she was looking bad on camera by ha- having kind of a eh, kind of a semi-unhappy face. And then she's like, oh, better do a smile at the end. It, it looked very phony. But uh, it, it is interesting that she obviously got permission beforehand to do this and that they just didn't realize that she was going to look at her phone. They got nervous about it and now she has to go uh, speak to upper management about it. I would be very surprised if every place she played didn't have some sort of deal with her. And I have to imagine that she goes to them beforehand and says, hey, I've got a big following. I'm going to stream videos. Can I do this? And and also, will you give me some either loss rebate or some free play to play with? So it's worth it for me to come here and do this. And if the answer is no, then she'll say, okay, I'll go somewhere else and do it. And then she probably finds whichever is willing to do it and plays there. That's just my guess. I don't know. But uh, uh, so some people responded in the thread saying, well, what's the problem with this? Like some people were saying that this is this is all standard for YouTube people. And I, I can understand that. I was kind of saying that myself. However, he does mention that uh, it is technically illegal to um, – to not uh, state that there's uh, some sort of compensation being provided if uh, if there is for these type of things. But then you can question what really is compensation. If they're not directly paying her, but they're just giving her a loss rebate or they're giving her some free play, is that really compensation if it's not real cash? So I guess those could be some legal ways around it. Uh, now, a lot more videos show uh, her winning than losing, apparently. I haven't verified this myself, but that's what this new guy claims. And uh, also someone in the thread saying that this, quote, super chat, where she is getting a lot of donations, is where uh, a lot of this money is made, and that uh, this might be really what is, uh, between that and some kind of deal made with the casinos, might be how she's making good money here, that she gets these donations, Plus, the casinos give her a good enough deal where she uh, doesn't lose or doesn't lose much. So that is interesting. Like, it, it isn't necessarily shady or, or bad, but it is a little misleading. And that's, that's where some of my issue comes. That's where some of my issue comes is that uh, if you show yourself playing slots or other casino games and you just seem to win more often than lose, then you are misleading your viewers because they're going to want to go out and do it. 
Some of them will just watch and enjoy watching you. Others will think, wow, I can't wait till I can come to Vegas or some other casino and do this myself. And look how easy she makes it. Look how easy it is to win. And even if you kind of know deep in your heart that uh, that the odds are against you, if you see someone just going there and winning over and over and over again, you may say, well, okay, maybe it's easier to win in these casinos than, than it appears to be. So maybe let's go play the game she is. And I would not feel good doing videos like that. So he mentions other people. He mentions uh, someone else, Mr. Jackpot, Mr. Big Jackpot and Raja. <laughs> His real name is Scott Richter. And that uh, he was apparently a big uh, spammer, email spammer, not a scammer, but a spammer, back in the 2000s. And in fact, uh, got into some uh, hot water over it. Microsoft even sued him. In fact, he's, there's even a, a YouTube, uh, not YouTube, a Wikipedia about him, Scott Richter, R-I-C-H-T-E-R. And now he's one of these slot guys. <laughs> That's what he's doing now. So now he is uh, doing videos and uh, he has tags on these videos like how to win a slot machines, best slot machines to play, uh, things like that. So again, he's not selling any systems. He's not directly selling you anything or directly tricking you, but uh, it does seem like he is uh, making it seem like it's a lot easier to win and trying to gain a following. So uh, let's just stop here and talk about uh, where does the uh, where's the line between entertainment and promotion and unethical behavior with something like this with someone who goes to casinos and shows more winning than losing and does this as an entertainment product and even if they don't directly say this is how you win or do what I do and you'll win but what if they put tags in their YouTube videos like how to win at slots. So if somebody searches for how to win at slots, your video might come up. So they're trying to attract people who are looking about winning at slots and then they show themselves winning at slots and they don't directly tell you that this is how you win at slots or that this is a winning system, but it's kind of implied in some way. So is this bad? Is this unethical? Is this scamming? And I'll say what I said a little bit earlier. I feel it's somewhat unethical. It's not terrible. It's a lot better than outright scamming. It's a lot better than selling BS systems like Christopher Mitchell does. But uh, it's not good. Any entertainment product that you put out there that misleads people into doing harmful things, and that includes financially harmful things, even if you don't directly tell them to do it, even if you think a likely result is that some of your followers will try to imitate you and not understand that you have certain things in place to where you don't lose money, but they will if they try the same thing, uh, then you are harming some of your followers. And I could not do that. In fact, I try to do the opposite, if you guys notice. Uh, I always try to tell you about good deals. In fact, we we're going to have a good deal for people in New Jersey at the end, something I don't gain from at all, but I'm just going to let you guys know. Uh, I, I like putting out information that you can use to get things cheaper, to uh, get statuses at casinos for less money. And these are not things with affiliate codes or anything like that. I I put these out just uh, because I want to help people. And it feels good to me when I know that people who have uh, listened to my show and given 
me their time, even though I'm not uh, physically present, uh, but they're listening to me. They have made a choice to listen to me, which I appreciate, that I'm giving them something back. I'm giving them some information that they may not have known. And uh, I would never put out anything that would make people go out and do something that is going to make them lose money. And I even try to say, if I think there's something that I'm putting out on the show that could make people want to try it, but then they'll lose. Like I I try to make people always understand the risk involved and also uh, whether they're likely to be able to duplicate what I'm talking about doing. And I, I really would never want someone to take any advice on this show, which is likely to harm them. I'm not talking about something positive expectation where you happen to get the bad end of it. I mean, that happens to me sometimes too. I'm talking about I would never give you advice or even imply something that would lead you to do something harmful. And I think having a channel like that, which is dedicated to making money for yourself, and that a side effect of it, which you know will happen, is that some people will lose money they otherwise would not have lost because they're imitating you and because you're kind of misleading them about the true situation with your gambling, I think that is an unethical thing to do. And uh, I think that to do such a thing is either it either requires delusion or it requires just uh, a type of personality where you don't give a shit about anyone else. Maybe a sociopath, maybe less than a sociopath, but just kind of someone who's cold and callous. I don't want to say these people are sociopaths. I don't know enough about them, but I, I will say that they have to know that they're not uh, being fully honest about all this. Like if they did this, if they said, okay, just to let everybody know, I'm getting some promotional kickback from the casino. So uh, um, while slots are a very bad proposition normally, uh, I'm actually getting enough back from the casinos and I make enough money from the promotions from this channel so it's worth, worth it for me to play. But I don't recommend you go do the same unless uh, you know you're going to go in losing money. Like uh, if they put a disclaimer like that and, are, and sound serious, then fine. Whatever they want to do from that is totally fine. Or if they show an accurate report of how they're doing, if they show – as many losers as winners, or I should say more losers, probably more likely, if they show all the recessions, of which most will be losing, then people will watch and can judge for themselves. But uh, if you're selectively putting up certain sessions and not others, and you're mostly choosing the winning sessions, then that can be a problem. Now they could say back, well, winning is more fun to watch. Winning is more exciting. Yeah, Losing, not only is it not fun to watch, but it's also not exciting because losing happens slowly. Losing happens when you in, – in slots, you lose because you spin a bunch of times and hardly get anything. That is both boring and – it's boring to watch and it's bad for the person spinning because they lose money. Winning is exciting because you hear you see some big jackpot hit and you see all these lights flash and uh, it, it looks it, – you just think about how great it is for the person who has won and you hear all the bells ringing. That's the exciting part. So they can say, well, we're just showing the exciting stuff. Losing is boring. But – it's also misleading not to show that you're losing. And you can't say, well, I post losing sessions too. Well, if you're posting 85% winners and 15% losers, then that is not being honest. So any of these YouTube gamblers, uh, unless they have a reputation in the gambling world that they are legitimate and that they are real winners in gambling, they're probably lying to you or misleading you in some way. There's a reason that Slot Lady and Brian Christopher are not titans in the gambling community. They maybe have big channels on YouTube, but their followers are people who are not knowledgeable. But if you go to any knowledgeable advantage player, 
and say, hey, how about that slot lady? She knows what she's doing. Everyone would laugh. They'd either say, who is that? Or say, oh, that YouTube person who uh, who just plays slots and gets donations? Like, that's nothing skillful about what she's doing. And same with Brian Christopher. Like, that, that's the reaction you would get if you were to ask any legitimate advantage player about uh, these people. None of these are, like, respected advantage players. These are losing slot players who are parlaying those losses into uh, being able to make more money than they're losing. And this guy's theorizing that uh, Slot Lady is just doing it to kind of be a degenerate and fund it, and that Brian Christopher's doing this for a living. So uh, here's a a comment from Mickey Krim. Mickey Krim is an older guy who is a well-known advantage player. In fact, he's like a traveling advantage player. And this is what he writes. I've been cruising through the YouTube slot videos for a long time. I'm basically looking for new exploitable games. I might pick up some chatter on the internet about a new exploitable game. I look for it on YouTube. I like Slot Lady's videos because she plays for several minutes and you can view the regular game plus the bonus rounds. With a lot of the YouTube videos, they only put up the bonus rounds and that sucks. So Slot Lady's good to get an idea of how the game plays. Now notice, he's not praising that she's doing anything intentionally good for the viewer. He's saying if you're an advantage player and you want to see slots in action without having to be there and stare at them and and arouse suspicion or have to go through the trouble of going to the casino and doing this, that now you can sit in your own home and watch someone play certain slots for for a good amount of time. And if if you know what to look for of when they'll be in an advantageous state, she happens to provide enough footage to where now you can get that out of it. So (laughs) that's that's an interesting point from Mickey Krim. He says, I recently got wind of an exploitable slot game called Regal Riches, so I went to YouTube. I found it on a Slot Lady video. The game had to be an advantage mode when she sat down on it. Whether she knew that or not, I don't really know. The 9 blue wild and 59 minor wilds is big enough to play for. She hit the blue on the first spin, racked up $100, then shortly thereafter busted off the minor for 61 wild and racked up some more. Uh, she kept playing for a while and ke- after hitting the minor, which put the game back into negative expectation, and that leads me to believe she didn't know anything about the advantage. <laughs> so, so it's funny. He's saying she happened to stumble on an advantage play. She sat down to a machine in an advantageous positive expectation state, played through it, won money, but then once it went into negative, she kept playing, which made him think that she probably didn't know what she was doing and happened to luck into it. But that when he hears a rumor about a slot possibly being advantageous, he searches for it on YouTube and happens to hit on some of these videos, and Slot Lady's one of the best ones. She, she sits with it for a while. That's interesting. I didn't think of that. But uh, leave it for the, to these slot advantage players. They, uh, they think of all the angles. And... Uh, so sometimes even these <laughs> these slot YouTubers can be of some benefit without realizing it. They're accidentally doing something good. <laughs> but not for most people. But for the Mickey Crims of the world, I guess they are. So Slot Lady Mickey Crim is a fan of yours, but not for the reason you think. By the way, for those wondering, I'm not going to go into a whole uh, tutorial on this, but the way slots can be in, in an advantageous state is when... Uh, Slots will build up uh, certain counters to where uh, a bonus round is more likely to hit, and there it's not hiding it from the player. Like you, certain things will light up on the screen as as you uh, accumulate certain uh, when you know, when you hit certain things, and when you get everything lit up, then the bonus round starts and you get a bunch of free money. So players know this, and when you play the slot, you understand how it works. But what most people don't understand is. Uh, 
that you need to sit down at one of these when they have a certain number of these things already lit before you start playing, and at that moment, it's in an advantageous stage. And some people will just keep playing until they run out of money and then leave it in a plus EV state, and the slot hustlers will find it in that state and then sit down and play it while it's still advantageous, and then once it's not anymore, they get up and leave regardless of the results. And that's what uh, slot advantage players do. And... He's saying here that uh, figuring out these opportunities is, is better if you have these on video and you can analyze them without having to be in the casino. So that is interesting. Okay. I will uh, move on here. 775-FRAUD55 is the phone number. 775-372-8355. You can call. You can text if you would like to communicate with me during the show. If you want to call, please do it in between segments. If you want to text, you can do it at any time. Okay, so moving on here, I want to talk about the Encore and a decision they have made. This is not Encore Boston, as uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier during the Clayton Jang segment. This is the Encore Las Vegas and a decision they made. Of course, the Encore being the second hotel that is connected to the Win. The Win started first. The Encore is uh, the second hotel on that same property. Operates as a separate hotel, but at the same time, it's associated. It's very similar to the Venetian and the Palazzo, which came a little bit later. So uh, the Encore has actually made a decision. And I think we're going to start seeing this with other casinos as well. The Encore has decided that they are going to close the entire casino and hotel starting every Monday at noon and leave it closed for over three days, not reopening until Thursday at 2 p.m. Wow. They've decided that it's not profitable to remain open right now during times of COVID between Monday at noon and Thursday at 2 o'clock. Now, why Monday at noon and Thursday at 2 o'clock? Well, let's think about it. Over the weekend, obviously, the biggest time. In fact, I hear that these are bu- these are busy during the weekend. Still, some of these have uh, lower prices, which is what's spurring the business, but still, they're busy during the weekend. Then you have some people that stay over on Sunday night, like Sunday night's a lot busier than a weekday night. Some people want to make an extra day of the weekend, so they'll stay till Monday. What happens Monday at noon? Well, Monday at noon is when everybody's checked out, because you have to check out by noon. And uh, so Monday at noon, everybody checks out, and they go home, and there probably are not many people staying over past that point. So they have figured out there at Encore that not only don't they want the hotel open past uh, Monday at noon, but that the casino is pretty much a ghost town during that time as well. So they are going to close the entire Encore Las Vegas from uh, Monday through Thursday afternoons. Why do they reopen on Thursday at 2 p.m.? Well, people start their weekend on Thursday sometimes, much like People uh, will stay through Monday. Sometimes people will show up to Vegas on Thursday. So the deadest time is between Monday at checkout, Monday at noon, and Thursday at check-in, which is probably around 4 o'clock. So they're reopening slightly before that at 2 o'clock. So the entire casino floor, the entire hotel are going to be closed. They said that this new schedule will remain this way until consumer demand for Las Vegas increases. And... uh, it's very possible that other casinos will follow with this. Uh, Planet Hollywood, which 
reopened just uh, last week as the Caesars property is doing something a little bit similar. They're actually not going to close the casino floor, but the hotel is actually only going to be open Thursday through Sunday. I don't know Thursday through Sunday if that means that uh, you have to check out on Sunday or if that means you can stay Thursday night through Sunday night. I I presume the latter. The uh, CEO of Wynn Resorts, Matt Maddox, remember Steve Wynn is not involved anymore because of the uh, sex scandal he's involved with, but uh, CEO Matt Maddox wrote uh, a potential plan to bring conventions back to Las Vegas. I mean, that's what's really killing him. Las Vegas was really making a lot of money from the conventions. They were transitioning over the years from being all gaming-based to being diversified. And unfortunately, that diversification has hurt them in times of COVID. That was one thing they didn't think about. You would think that diversifying the ways that uh, you are making money is smart and not have all your eggs in one basket, which is gaming. And that's smart until uh, something like a, a pandemic comes and decimates all the aspects and where gaming is the least affected. But when you're counting on conventions, when you're counting on restaurants, you're counting on clubs, you're counting on hotel stays, and all of that is greatly affected by a pandemic, and you've been uh, letting the gaming be a much smaller piece of the pie, then uh, you're going to get clobbered. And the the casinos that are doing the best are the ones that are mostly focused on gaming, mostly the locals' casinos that don't make as much money from the other parts because the locals mainly just go down to gamble. So the strip resorts, which are all – uh, they're not just there for gaming anymore, especially the big ones. One of the big pieces that they have lost has been conventions. Conventions have just all but stopped, and that has become a, a big portion of revenue for Las Vegas. Not just the conventions themselves, but everything associated with the conventions. All the people it brings, all the gambling it spurs, all the uh, expenses that come with the convention, such as... uh uh, hotel stays, restaurant uh, visits, things like that. You take away the conventions, you really take away a huge piece of the profit for Vegas. So uh, what was really helping Vegas during the midweek prior to the pandemic was that conventions would often take place during the week. They wouldn't only be on weekends. And the reason for this is that uh, some convention, a lot of conventions would have to do with business. So people could take business trips to go to conventions, and they would do it during the week. They would be considered a valid work week activity. It's not just a vacation. People kind of turn them into a vacation too, but uh, there would be a convention that's in a certain industry, and it would be seen as perfectly valid to go to a convention from Monday through Thursday, Monday through Wednesday, whatever it is. Whereas uh, just taking a Vegas vacation, you you normally can't just go do during the week work week without taking a vacation time. So – the midweek convention uh, market is gone, and that's a killer for the Vegas Strip during the midweek, and they just are, are not getting much activity there. The the casino, they're not getting much activity. The hotel's not getting much activity, and the expenses of keeping all this open is obviously dwarfing the profit there the, that they could make from it. In fact, uh, or should I say the revenue? There is no profit, but the revenue they're bringing in is obviously much less. And when I say much less, if they were close to breaking even, they'd stay open because – uh, they could hope for a turnaround. They, if it's a, they're only losing a little bit of money, then they might as well lose the money, but keep the reliability of being open twenty four seven, always being available, not uh, having people have to worry whether they're open or closed. There's there's some value in that. 
So they must be losing a lot of money during that time period, and they must have figured that out and said, okay, these are the hours where we're getting clobbered, and we're just going to close. That's that's the smartest thing to do for now. And if things improve in Vegas, then we will uh, reopen. I have a feeling this is not going to reopen uh, fully until there is a significant improvement in the COVID situation or it's pretty much done uh, or like, you know, vaccine comes out, something that, that really changes the game. And we haven't had any game changers in COVID yet. We really have not. So here is uh, here, here's some of what uh, Matt Maddox wrote regarding the conventions because the casinos have been scratching their heads going, well, we got to get these conventions back here somehow. How are we going to do this? So, Matt Maddox wrote in the uh, Nevada Independent, uh, As a long-standing member of the Las Vegas community and the current CEO of Wynn Resorts, I have been deeply entrenched in the economy and culture of Las Vegas for almost two decades. This is not only a place I love and call home, this is a place that I understand. Without any doubt, Las Vegas is the most distinguished destination for uncompromising fun and unique experiences that cannot be found anywhere else in the world. That is why we are famous across continents and why we can depend on throngs throngs of visitors from every walk of life to arrive, ready to be entertained. We must remind ourselves that our guests don't just travel to Las Vegas for small events, for our casinos or or, or fantastic restaurants, but also for our confluence of musicians, artists, acrobats, nightclubs, pool parties, the Golden Knights, the Raiders, NASCAR, and the multitude of festivals. Without argument, Las Vegas is unrivaled in our ability to bring people together with razzmatazz, come on, razzmatazz, <laughs> that exists only here and with the spirited level of service only offered by the hardworking Las Vegas hospitality community. What Las Vegas does better than anywhere else in the world is to provide a fun escape. Now more than ever, people need to unwind and switch off from the stresses and strains of daily life. It's clear that corporate travel and conventions will slowly ramp up over the next few months and into 2021. First of all, that's not that's not clear at all. I don't see that happening. That's only, that's really only going to happen once people really feel comfortable with getting on an airplane and staying in a hotel. And at the moment, people do not feel comfortable with either. People feel like they don't want to be indoors with COVID. They don't want to be in a plane with COVID. People feel real leery about anything where COVID can just be in the air and you're closed in somewhere. People just don't like that idea. And they're they're right to feel that way because that's the truth. However, we are seeing some signs of leisure travel increasing, and I believe that Las Vegas should be the go-to destination to have fun and unwind during this stressful time. Yet right now, many of the city's unique and fun experiences are not operating at all because they are mass gatherings. Our elected officials are rightly focused on keeping people safe, and I'm happy to see the progress moving the mass gathering limit to 250, but hoping our government alone will solving... Hoping our government alone will solve getting Las Vegas back on track is not viable. Hope, as the saying goes, is not a strategy. Instead, community leaders must present science-based options that advance our broader goals to reignite our city. So you see what he's saying here, that he doesn't trust the government to do what's right and sensible that will get the economy going again in Las Vegas, which is really struggling. He's saying, we've got to figure out ourselves how to work with the government to open up a lot of things that are closed and increase certain limits and propose certain safe alternatives of what can be done rather than wait for the government to tell us what we can do, which I understand. That's that's not a bad point. Wynn was one of the first to pr- produce a detailed reopening plan in April that is now the foundation for similar pl- plans across many industries, not just hospitality. We reopened with top-notch health and safety protocols, stringent employee testing, a dedicated contact tracing team, and rigorous sanitation plans. 
Our advisory group, group of leading external health experts all agree that Wynn is likely one of the safest places our employees go in Las Vegas outside of their homes on any given day. Okay, that's that's not true. I haven't been to Wynn since the pandemic started, and this is nothing against Wynn itself. I'm sure that uh, compared to other casinos, they probably do a good job. However, let me say this. Anywhere indoors right now where there's a lot of people, where there's an air conditioner or a vent or a heater, you're taking a risk. From what we know of COVID right now, from what has been studied of COVID right now, that appears to be the case. So there's no way around that. You can you can clean all you want. You can you can have social distancing measures. You can have mask wearing measures, and these things can all help. I'm not saying they're useless, but uh, the bottom line is that with a bunch of human beings in there, a lot of different human beings in a place indoors, all breathing, and a system that is circulating the air around, that if someone has COVID, you might catch it. In fact, as I mentioned, I know somebody who someone I've known a long time through poker, a female, her husband went to Vegas, took every precaution, was very careful, and he caught COVID there. He caught COVID at the blackjack table. Doesn't know how. You know, COVID doesn't tell him this is how you got it. But he caught it in Vegas and brought it home, and then she caught it, and the kid caught it. Fortunately, they, they all seem to be okay. But uh, it, it could have been bad, especially for the friend of mine, because she's around my age. Uh, he he was younger than her, so uh, he had a better chance of not having that bad of a case. But uh, she was worried when she first got it, and for good reason. So you can do all these things, because believe me, this this guy was very careful, and he got it anyway. Some of these things are almost performative at this point, like all the sanitation. You can watch them cleaning and sanitizing, but it, it's been theorized now and, and pretty strongly that this is not really transmitting much on surfaces. This is mainly through the air. So it can look good when everyone's cleaning around you. It can look good when everyone's wearing masks around you. But uh, if, if the truth is that the air conditioner is spreading it around through the uh, casino and you're walking around and, and breathing in with the air conditioner is, is shooting around the place, then you might catch COVID, especially with a lot of people there that can potentially give it to you. That's, that's a big factor, too, of how many people are there. And uh, with a certain number of people there, there's a good chance that one, one or more of them is a super spreader. And people don't show symptoms when they're most contagious. So temperature checks and like stuff like that are not going to work. Now, if they could do a, an on-the-spot, uh, very reliable COVID test before you walk into the property, that would be a big thing, but uh, they're not doing that, and nor would it be feasible to do that. So anyway, going on. He writes, uh, so how do we come back? For months, we've been working with University of, Medical, University of Medical Center, Georgetown University, and leading labs in California and New York to study technology that can rapidly and rigorously test thousands of people in a matter of hours. The progress in rapid testing has been incredible to witness, and we are now in the process of building an on-site lab with UMC at Wynn Las Vegas to deploy thousands of accurate rapid tests daily at a fraction of a current cost. That's interesting. I was just saying that uh, testing everybody is uh, is not feasible, but they're saying it actually is. They're saying that uh, they are working towards uh, testing everybody walking in there and then shipping out anybody who, who tests positive. The the big problem here, while this will be an improvement, the big problem here is at the moment it is believed that there's about a 50% false negative rate with rapid tests. That means one in two people who have COVID that don't know they have COVID and aren't showing signs of having COVID yet, but are nevertheless contagious, one in two will get past that rapid test and walk right in there and spread it around. That's the big problem. 
Now, if these tests were accurate, this could be a big uh, answer to this whole thing. If if false negatives were well, there's still the problem that uh, if someone has just caught COVID, it probably wouldn't be caught by these tests anyway. But okay, at least you could say that anybody who is likely to be contagious that these tests will catch. If they had very few false negatives, this would be a great idea. Problem is, if it's going to only be 50% accurate, you're only going to cut the risk by a factor of two. That's not enough. So this sounds better than it is. It's important to note that our UMC Win Lab will offer the most sensitive and accurate test available in the United States. Yeah, but it's still 50%. Uh, Utilizing the FDA-approved gold standard PCR technology, and we're talking to UNLV to track and analyze the results. Our lab should be finished before Thanksgiving. Extensive research clearly indicates that's what's keeping people away from Las Vegas. It's not so much the physical environment, which, which we work diligently to keep sterilized, but rather a fear of other people. We must alleviate that fear. I mean, the, that's true. People are afraid of being in there with the air conditioner. That's, that's, that's what's going on. And they're saying, well, okay, we'll just test everybody and, and make everybody walk in, have a negative test. Great, except 50% false negative. So that is not good. Interestingly, these tests rarely have false positive. Really, the false positive is only from like mishandling of the test. Other than that, uh, they, they hardly have any false positives. So you're not going to have it where it says you're positive and you're not. But it's, you're going to have a lot where it says you're negative and you're not, which is a problem. Imagine the following. Lionel Richie is playing at the Encore Theater at 7 p.m. Wait, wait, wait. Why is Lionel Richie the example here? <laughs> what is this, 1984? Lionel Richie's playing. Okay. Lionel Richie is playing at the Encore Theater at 7 p.m. Between 12 and 4 that day, you and your friends each provide a saliva sample at our on-property testing centers. The barcodes are scanned, and you download the free UMC app and go about your day. All the information is hosted by UMC, and the data is private. When the test results come back at 6 p.m., a negative test triggers a green light on the app, and you can attend the show. Okay, see, I didn't realize that this is an instant test. This is a this is a rapid test, a big difference. Okay, this is not going to work. He's saying you got to come in and get tested between 12 and 4 and then get an app and then wait till the app gives you a green light to come in. There's no way this is going to work. I, I thought that they – see, I haven't kept up with the whole COVID testing thing. I know there's these rapid ones and there's these slower ones, but uh, I didn't know the rapid ones weren't instant. I thought they were pretty close to instant. I guess they're not. So he's saying you got you to take a test and come back hours later. This, this is going to be a complete failure. No one's going to do this. If by chance someone is infected after they take the test – Science tells us it takes approximately 48 hours to, for that person to become communicable. That might be true. We are not planning on creating a full wind bubble by testing everyone in every environment, but instead by requiring a test for employees to work or guests to attend a show, convention, nightclub, or other crowded space that exceeds the mass gathering state-mandated limits. Okay, so that makes it even worse. So, in other words, if you're going to go somewhere that's going to be crowded, like, like a concert or a club, then you have to get this uh, pre-test. If you're just going to walk into the casino, you don't. Well, th- this already starts to pull away its usefulness, even if this was a good test. Because if you're going to walk through the casino to get to these things, and uh, a lot of people in there did not have to test, then you're still going to have the same problems. Yes, the danger in close quarters at the concert is, is reduced, but uh, it, it's still it's still an issue. And as I said, these are only 50% accurate anyway, and people aren't going to want to put up with this crap about testing and then coming back later. Clearly, we will need to will need approval from the state to execute this plan. But having worked closely with leading medical experts around the country, I believe this approach can accelerate Nevada's recovery, and not just for the Las Vegas Strip, but to reopen our schools. 
So, okay, I, I'm not going to read the rest of this, but uh, you see that uh, they're, they're trying to come up with an alternative way to bring back the conventions and the concerts and the nightclubs, but I don't think this is going to work. One thing they could do to reopen nightclubs, and they can't do this now, but this, this is where you could start to use some common sense. And I, I would be for something like this. Who goes to nightclubs in Vegas? Do you, do you see a lot of people my age at nightclubs? I mean, you see some, but for the most part, what is the age group you see at nightclubs? It's mostly people under 30, right? You see some older people, but it's mostly people under 30. And I, I would say that, uh, I, I don't know if this is legal, it may be considered age discrimination is the problem, but uh, provided that this could be done in some way legally, uh, reopen it only to people who are under 30. Like that's uh, something like that. I think that we have to start getting sensible in this country regarding risk with COVID. And uh, some of this comes from who is really at major risk for uh, dying from it or, or suffering very bad health consequences, even if not dying. Who's at moderate risk or middle risk where it's uh, yes, a pretty big deal, but not that likely to kill them. And who is at very little risk? And people under 30 are at very little risk. That's that's a fact. And you can find the outlier. You can find the rare case of the guy who's 26 years old and healthy and fit who's just having a horrible case or dies or almost dies and go, oh, my God, this can kill anyone. Well, yeah, but so can the flu. And we haven't panicked about the flu. And I, I hate doing the flu comparisons because then I sound like one of the COVID deniers, but I'm not. I'm, I'm being honest here. If you look at the numbers, all the way up through like age 21, the flu is actually worse. It's not just as bad, it's worse. And then, uh, then you get in the early 20s and it, it's, it's about even. And then in the mid 20s, COVID is a little bit worse, but not that much worse. It, you, ha- you have to pass 30 to where it really starts to make a difference where, uh, where COVID is a good deal worse than the flu. And then as you get into middle age, that's where the, that's where the biggest difference is. Because when you get old, the flu kills you too. So really the, the biggest difference between COVID and the flu happens around age 50. That's, that's when it's, uh, that's when you're most justified to say the flu doesn't worry me. COVID really does. That's, that's why I always tell people because I'm right there. I'm right there in the age group where there's a significant difference between what the flu does to you and what COVID does to you. Because I'm too young for the flu to be likely to cause any long-term harm to me. And I'm not too young for the, for COVID to do that. COVID could easily cause me long-term harm. And the flu, very unlikely to do that. Once, once I'm 80, then both are, would be very bad to get. So uh, going back to plans to reopen things, I, I would think that uh, th- you, you can start doing it based on age. You can, uh, you, Of course, there'd have to be some change in laws because of age discrimination, but uh, that would make sense. And you would say, well, these people may spread it. But okay, they'll spread it, and then then they won't get it again. There's very few cases. I mean, very, very few cases of people getting it again. So you you probably want this. You pro you probably want it to spread through the young population faster, and then uh, it, it'll slow. It, it'll bring us towards herd immunity. And I know that's very very controversial, but the truth is, if I were twenty five, I wouldn't worry about COVID. We have a uh, Mister Tickle, who's a young listener to this show. He's twenty five, and he called into the show, and he said at first he was avoiding COVID, and he was paranoid about it. And then he said, you know what? What am I doing? All my friends are going out and partying and having fun, and what am I scared for? I'm very unlikely to really be harmed by this. So he said, screw it. And he just goes out and, and does what he wants now. And he's he's not living with anyone older. So that's fine. I agree. I would be doing what he did if I were 25. I'm not 25. I'm very far from 25. So I don't take that approach. But if I were 25, I would take that approach. 
unless I was living with someone older. If I was living with my parents, I wouldn't do that. But uh, if I was living by myself or with another 25-year-old, I would I would do that. And that's we we have to be sensible about this. We can't go by you know, outlier cases that were every once in a while someone young gets uh, sick and dies from it or gets very, very sick and, and harmed from it. Or otherwise, we should have been paranoid like this about the flu, which also very rarely but occasionally really harms someone who's who's young. And when I say young, I mean like young adult. The flu does actually kill kids. If you weren't worried about the flu, if the flu didn't panic you, then this should not panic you unless you're over 30. That's the truth. And we have to start treating COVID that way to bring back things and to bring back the economy. That's, that's my opinion. Uh, a lot of this stuff that's being proposed by the CEO of Wynn, though, is it, it sounds good until you really think about it. It's one of these things that will sound very safe until you look at all the data and you go, wait a minute. And he says, follow the science. And everyone's saying in 2020, follow the science. Okay, I agree. Follow the science. But that, that means follow the actual science, not the follow the science that makes you feel good, not follow the science that uh, is in line with your political party. And by the way, I see both political parties making this mistake. I see the Democrats always saying follow the science, but then if the science says certain things they don't agree with, then they uh, they don't want to follow that science. And I've seen Republicans do the same thing, where they uh, they only highlight the science that backs their side, but then uh, things that are inconvenient to them, they, they don't want to follow that science. So I, I think both parties have been approaching COVID incorrectly on kind of opposite sides of what to do, but both... Uh, dealing with it incorrectly. And that's been some of the problem. It hasn't been Trump's fault. It has not been, uh, he hasn't said, oh, this is Trump's fault. He hasn't handled it perfectly, but both sides have been wrong about what they want to do. And uh, we'll get to that a little bit later when we talk about the masking uh, segment, when we get to our COVID segment of the show. So anyway, uh, that's what's going on there in Vegas right now, and I will uh, keep you updated. By the way, we're going to do a bonus segment. Here's a bonus segment that I did not uh, plan to do, but I just decided right now I'm going to do. Because why not? We're talking about Vegas, and this is this is kind of about Vegas because it's about something you see driving to Vegas if you come from Southern California, if you come from L.A. or San Diego. Have you ever seen the sign Zizix Road driving on the 15 north or south, I guess? towards Vegas, I guess south from Vegas or north to Vegas. Have you seen Zizix Road? I bet you have. I bet you noticed it. In fact, I bet you first noticed Zizix Road not as a driver, but probably as a passenger. You were probably a kid, and you were probably in your parents' car, and you were just kind of looking at street signs, especially because back when you were a kid, you didn't have an iPhone to play on or an iPad to play on to distract you. You actually had to just sit there and stare out the window which kids today don't know how to do. I try to have Benjamin stare out the window and he he won't have it, unless there's something really interesting to see. Otherwise, he wants to be on his phone when I'm driving. But uh, back in my day, back in your day probably, you probably had to stare out the window a lot when your mom and dad were driving to Vegas and you would see Zizix Road and you go, Zizix Road, what is that? Such a crazy name. Z-Z-Y-Z-X is how it's spelled. And it probably didn't take a lot of thought to realize that that is probably the last word alphabetically, even though it's a nonsense word, that there couldn't be a word that would come alphabetically after Zizix, Z-Z-Y-Z-X. 
But what was Zizix Road? What is Zizix Road? What was there? I bet your parents never got off on Zizix Road and drove down there. I bet you never got off on Zizix Road and drove down there. I bet you have no idea what is on the other end of Zizix Road. What happens if you get off on Zizix Road and keep driving? It's the middle of the desert. So what would happen if you just got off on Zizix Road and started driving? Well, I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell you the history of Zizix Road. And this is a new segment I am going to be doing on this show. Not every week necessarily, but it's a new segment I'm going to be throwing in on occasion. Maybe uh, more often than not. I don't know. I'll have to see what I come up with. It's a new segment I'm going to be doing called Las Vegas and Mojave Desert History. And if you have a fascination with Las Vegas, with the desert between L.A. and Vegas, with the history of these areas, then you'll enjoy the segment. If, if you find it boring, especially if you're from out of, out of the area and you're never going to drive these roads, uh, you'll probably find this boring. You probably want to skip through this segment. But uh, I enjoy this stuff, so I'm going to do it. And uh, you can tell me your reaction to this. But uh, I know this is something that a lot of people who have driven from Southern California to Vegas has been curious about, but they never really bothered to research what the story is behind it. So here's the story of Zizix Road, and I will tell you the past and the present. So Zizix Road was actually started by a quack doctor named Curtis Howe Springer. Curtis Howe Springer is not alive anymore. Curtis Howe Springer actually died uh, 35 years ago, and he was uh, 88 years old when he died, so there's like no chance he'd be alive today. He was born in 1896, but he was actually a famous quack doctor. You can actually find a profile on him in Wikipedia. He was actually not a real doctor, but uh, he described himself as one of the last old-time medicine men. In 1969, the American Medical Association actually labeled him King of the Quacks. And uh, he started a mineral spa, which he claimed had medical benefits, where Zizix Road is now located. And in fact, he was the one who created Zizix Road. And he got access to the land by making what was known as a mining claim on federal land, where where, uh, Zizix Road currently is. He did this in 1944 with the plans to create this mineral spa there. Now, what is a, a mining claim? Well, a mining claim is to where you put a claim on unclaimed land, which there's almost none of now in the United States, but uh, back in 1944 there was. If, if you want to get land that's uh, close to free, there is some very, very cheap but very unusable land in Alaska that you can buy for very cheap now. I don't know what you would do with it, but you could buy it. But uh, that's pretty much it in the U.S. There's no more of these uh, land claims anymore. But uh, uh, he did a mining claim to basically uh, claim the right to use the land there for mining. And uh, what he that, so the plan was to open up a mineral spa where they actually, they'd be mining these uh, minerals from the area, he claimed. And... Uh, that, that would validate the mining claim. And then he'd open a, a for-profit spa there, which is supposed to give you all kinds of medical benefits, which he pretty much just made up. <laughs> Those were the, that was the, the plan for the Zizix area. But why was it called Zizix? Well, that wasn't the original plan. I don't know what he was going to call the road there. But what happened was that uh, the government took a little while to grant the mining claim. 
and he was getting frustrated. They were dragging their feet with it. I'm not sure why. I don't know if they didn't trust him or if, or if they just were backed up or whatever it was. He was having a hard time getting the mining claim uh, approved. And without that, he could not uh, open up his mining spa or his mineral spa. So he actually named it Zizix when he finally got it as kind of a swipe at the government for taking so long that he felt like he was last, like that he was last priority. So he chose a name that was last in the alphabet, even though it was not a real word. It was like a word that he, that could not, there's nothing could be after that. Zizix, he thought could be like the last word in the English language, even though he made it up. And he also then made a gimmick around it saying that they're the last word in health. Zizix is the last word in health. But that, that wasn't the original reason for calling it Zizix. There is a, it's being said now in some places which, uh, give you the history on the whole thing that it was uh, because it was going to be the last word in health that actually came second what came first is he called it Zizix out of frustration that they took a long time to grant him his claim and he thought he was last priority anyway that's why Zizix road was made and the road was uh, you, you would follow that down to where the, the spa was and uh, he actually uh, got people from Skid Row in Los Angeles, he got homeless from Skid Row to come and help him build. <laughs> so that was who built it, was homeless people. And uh, he built an imitation hot springs at his Zizek Spa, which he claimed was a uh, real hot springs. And that's you know the whole thing about mining the, the minerals. It was all crap. It was actually an imitation hot springs. And he used a boiler to heat the hot springs that people didn't know existed. Then at that uh, spa, he erected a 60-room hotel, a church, a a cross-shaped health spa with mineral baths, a radio broadcast studio, and even a private airstrip he called the Zyport, you know, like Zizix, the Zyport instead of an airport, right? And uh, several other buildings, including a castle, would you believe? So uh, he had that... Open. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when it it opened, but uh, it opened. I, I think some years after 1944, after he got the mining the mining claim uh, approved and built this stuff. Then he actually started a radio show, much like me. Uh, Mr. Springer there was attracted to radio, and he started a radio show and actually had a syndicated radio show that was at one point carried by 221 radio stations in the U.S. back when radio was a lot bigger than it is today because there was no internet radio. It was a very big thing people listened to at that time. And he, uh, in fact, a lot of people didn't even have TV then. So he he had a 221 uh, affiliate uh, radio show. And it was a a kind of a, a, a religious show that had both music and his own evangelism. And then, of course, this was mostly phony. He was doing it for profit to get donations and to get, uh, and it was selling special cures that didn't really work for uh, things like hair loss, even things like cancer. And the truth was, the stuff he was selling was just like a mixture of uh, celery, carrot, and parsley juices. So this guy really was, uh, uh, yeah, the guy really was a scammer. But uh, it did well for a while. And. Then he was uh, selling – his downfall, though, was in the late 60s. He was selling access to the area 
for people to build homes on the area, which wasn't supposed to be happening. He was supposed to be using this himself to be doing mining. This was not supposed to be where he can uh, sell parts of the land because the land wasn't actually his. He had uh, mining claims, but it was public land. And uh, then in order to convert it to private land, he would have to convince federal government geologists that the minerals that he was extracting were actually profitable. So he can't just say, oh, I'm extracting minerals from my bath here. You have to show that he's getting minerals himself and making a profit after the cost of extracting and everything else. Uh, that if, if, you, if you couldn't do this, if you can prove to them that that existed, then uh, it's still public land. So he was not allowed to uh, sell uh, areas to build there since this wasn't his land yet. So the federal government got pissed about this. And uh, not only did was he found uh, guilty of uh, squatting on federal land, but uh, he was uh, evicted from the whole place. He was kicked out, and he was convicted for making false claims that the health food that this, the, these health foods he was selling would cure things. So uh, he was convicted of false advertising, and. He ended up uh, going to jail, not for very long, but for like a month and a half. Anyway, that was the end of the Zizek Spa. The Zizek Spa was closed in 1974, forcefully by the government, who kicked him out. And uh, he was then criminally charged, as I mentioned. So then the government said, okay, well, what do we do here now? <laughs> we've got this, we've got all this stuff built over here, and the guy who built it has been booted, so what are we going to do? We're not going to still operate a spa. We're not having the, the government Zizek spa. What the hell are we going to do with this land here? So what they decided to do in 1976, just two years later, was allow the Cal State University system to have the land to do research. So a number of Cal State schools, and there, there's actually two state systems in California. There's the Cal State system, and there's the University of California system. The University of California system is the more prestigious of the two systems. Though there are some good schools within the Cal State system too, but most of them are, are lower tier as far as the competitiveness to get in there and the prestige it has to get a degree from them. Uh, two very well-known schools in the UC system are UCLA and uh, UC Berkeley, which is also sometimes referred to as Cal. Uh, and then there's like eight, nine other schools in the UC system. I went to one of them. I went to UC Santa Barbara. But uh, the Cal State system has even more schools, and they're the ones who got access to this Zizek Spa, but they weren't going to operate a spa. What they did is they opened up something called the Desert Studies Center in 1976, and this was managed by Cal State University's Dominguez Hills, which is near Compton, actually. Yes, that Compton. Fullerton, Los Angeles, Long Beach, Pomona, and Northridge. These are all different uh, Cal State schools. So these are all Southern California, too. And uh, I think maybe Bakersfield has joined in since then, but whatever. Um, what happened to Curtis Springer after he ended his uh, short prison sentence of about a month and a half? He moved to Las Vegas. Not sure what he did there, but he moved to Las Vegas and lived till, till 88 when he died. And... Uh, what has come? What has become of the Desert Studies Center that was founded in 1976? It still exists. It is still there, and 44 years later, it is still operating. I don't know what it's doing during times of COVID, but uh, it was still operating 
last I heard. And I haven't heard it closed, and so I, it may still be operating every day. Can you visit it? I have never tried. I've thought of trying. I've just every time I pass by, I'm like, ah, I don't feel like doing this now. It's, just, it's like the drive so long. I just want to get to Vegas or get back from Vegas. Like I, just, I, I don't know. I just, I just have, haven't done it. But like I pass by it and I think, okay, sometime I'm, I'm going to get off here. But I've heard from people that you can go and visit it. It's not closed off. There's not a lot you can do there. And I, I heard there are still remnants of the spa and everything else that was there. I don't think I don't know if you can walk into the Desert Study Center. I don't know if that's open to the public to walk into, even not during COVID. But I know there's outdoor things that uh, you can access there. Like it's not blocked off. It's not. Uh, there's no guard shack preventing you from driving in. And uh, in fact, there are certain biology courses at uh, Cal State Fullerton that require students to visit the Desert Study Center in order to pass those courses. So I'd have to look more carefully at what you could actually do there if you just visit there as someone who's not associated with the Cal State system. But I have kind of wanted to see it. There was a movie called Zizix in 2006. It doesn't have that much to do with anything I just talked about. Uh, it, it was a, a, uh, an action, like, thriller-type film involving people believing that they could just... Uh, kill a random person and get away with it, and they did it on Zizek's Road, and then a bunch of stuff happens. And she got fairly good reviews. It was kind of a low-budget movie, but uh, you can probably find it somewhere online. Anyway, that's the story of Zizek's Road. I thought about this only because this was brought up in a Facebook group where I'm part of. It's a Las Vegas Facebook group. And uh, some people were discussing Zizek's, but no one knew the history behind it. And I, I had known the history from reading an L.A. Times article about this back when I was a teenager. There was the, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I was much younger than today, and I saw an article about Zizek's Road, and th- this may have been after uh, Curtis uh, Springer died, because he died in 85, so may- maybe I read it in 85, I don't know. But I, I read it, uh, I read it, and I was interested, because as soon as I was about Zizek's, I was like, oh, Zizek's, and I always noticed when I was with my parents driving to Vegas that uh, there was that Zizek's Road, and I was always wondering what it led to, especially because it's, it's in the middle of the desert, it's not close to anything. It's not even that close to uh, anything that's uh, of any significance. It's, uh, well, I guess it's sort of close to Baker. I think it's like seven to ten miles north of Baker. But still, Baker's very small. So it's it's really, it's something that kind of seems like it's isolated and like the road just seems like, where would this possibly go? Like, I get off here. Where does this lead to? You think that a lot about things you pass, even things that are more remote than Zizek's Road. You can you, you pass these things totally in the middle of nowhere with an exit. You see no buildings, no gas stations, no nothing. You're like, where the hell does this go? You're almost afraid to drive down it because you're afraid you're going to drive down and meet some real psychos or weirdos who are going to kill you. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, and, and I will admit, I've I've gotten off on these roads, not Zizek's Road, but I've gotten off on some roads before. Like I really have to pee. And I think, well, okay, I could wait like another half hour or 45 minutes till I actually get to a bathroom, or I could just pull off on one of these little exits and just pee in the desert. And so I just, if I have to go badly enough, I'll pull off on one of these little exits and pee in the desert. So I have done that, and it's really weird what I find in some of these places. I don't drive very far. Like, I get off the exit and drive like a 
tiny bit to get away, a little bit away from the exit. And I'll find all kinds of weird trash and objects left on the side of the road. And I'll see these like weird cars that are parked there that look like they may or may not have people in them. And not just people sleeping. I've even seen like weird activity going on in the distance. Like it's, I've seen a lot of strange things where I'm like, I hope I don't get murdered here. <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't want to sleep off at one of these. Like, I would not want to stop and go to sleep in one of these exits. Yeah, I just would not feel comfortable doing that. And I'm not even someone who's like paranoid about going to sleep in my car. I've I've gone to my I've gone to sleep in my car in a lot of uh, places where some people wouldn't. But those that's kind of scary. Anyway, that's my little bonus segment on Zizix Road. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, this is one of many segments I will do on Las Vegas and Mojave Desert history. I have a lot of these stories, not really involving me, but stories nonetheless of things you probably don't know. Okay, moving on. People are talking about Dan Bilzerian again. Remember I played you a little while back some YouTube videos from a guy named Tom Nash who was saying all kinds of things about Dan Bilzerian and his company Ignite. If you remember, Ignite is a legalized marijuana company and uh, Dan Bilzerian is the face of it. Tom Nash was saying a lot of things about Ignite and Dan Bilzerian that was not very flattering and, in fact, was painting the portrait of uh, mismanagement and even perhaps embezzlement. So I played these videos. I, I didn't give much of comment whether I thought they were correct or not. I, I let Tom Nash do the talking there in the video, and uh, these are his opinions and not mine necessarily. But uh, he did lay out a pretty compelling case. I'll give him that. I didn't research it further. But from what I could see from Tom Nash, it looked like the guy raised some good points. And then keep in mind, Tom Nash has a channel which uh, is trying to get views. In fact, I think he even says at the beginning of his video that he quit his job and, and does this now for a living. So, okay, Tom Nash has a YouTube channel that is well-trafficked that he's making money from. So it is to his benefit to put out provocative stories. And Dan Bilzerian is a well-known figure uh, not just in poker, but to many people, because uh, he had such a huge Instagram following. He's a, a pretty well-known guy in popular culture these days. So I did take some of what he said with a grain of salt, especially he, he had some misleading title cards like, Dan Bilzerian going to jail? I'm like, okay, I don't think Dan Bilzerian is going to jail. But I did say that there were some suspicious things that were unearthed in this video that I thought, hmm, I wonder what is going on with Ignite. I wonder what is going on with Bilzerian. So uh, then I, I didn't really follow it very closely, but everyone's talking about it again because uh, Tom Nash has put out another video, and this one is uh, is claiming that uh, Dan Bilzerian and Ignite are uh, both circling the drain and might be in some legal trouble very soon. So we will return to this story, and I'll play you Tom Nash's video. And I will give you my commentary, as I did last time. And here we are. The video is called Finished. But again, the title card on Tom Nash's videos are always a bit uh, provocative and kind of clickbaity, so don't take too much out of that. But let's listen. My name is Tom Nash, and I quit my corporate job as a senior financial analyst to break down companies for you. If there's one thing you need to know about me, I don't take bullshit from anybody. Dan Bilzerian is a deep doo-doo. His company, Ignite International Brands, soon to be known as Ignite Non-Existent Brands, also known as the artist who was formerly was known as Dan, is in deep trouble. 
the company is two and a half months behind filing the financial reports for Q2. And while most companies, normal companies, are prepping to file Q3, they still haven't filed a Q2 report, which is horrendous, especially for a public company. Now, after watching my videos, I got a ton of emails and ton of DMs from former employees of Ignite. And also some current employees. Okay, let me stop that here. He's talking about how the company has not filed anything about its quarter two financials. And quarter two, of course, ended on June 30th, 2020. And that he's saying that it's very unusual for a publicly traded company to be so far behind. That uh, the rest of them are getting their quarter three information together, which is already over, ended September 30th. So he's saying if they haven't even filed quarter two... Uh, something is wrong here. He's also saying that uh, since he put out his popular series of videos about the trouble at Ignite and the trouble with Dan Bilzerian, that tons of people have been contacting him who have insider knowledge. Let's hear what he has to say. I'm not going to disclose the names or any details that may lead to the discovery of who these people are, but I'm going to share with you the stuff that they told me, which are insanely alarming. I actually spoke to a former senior employee of Ignite who recently left, and what I was told is that the working environment was not horrible. In fact, it was quite nice, according to my source. However, the company is apparently so grossly mismanaged that it managed to go through five different company presidents in just two years. The same employee actually confirmed my suspicion that Paul Bazarian is in fact the CEO and general manager of Ignite. Let me stop there and tell you who that is. Paul Bilzerian, not Dan Bilzerian, but Paul Bilzerian is Dan Bilzerian's father. There has been long a suspicion that Dan's money came from Paul, and Paul has been in all kinds of legal trouble, and some have said that Dan isn't really winning his money in poker, that uh, somehow it's being funneled to him through Paul, and he's claiming he's winning through poker. I don't know if any of that's true, but there's been uh, long accusations about that. So Paul Bilzerian uh, is been, has been accused by... Tom Nash here in past videos, if you remember, that he's secretly running the company and that Dan is the face of it because nobody wants to buy this product from Paul Bilzerian. He's just an older guy. Dan is the younger, cool one that has the big Instagram following and that uh, Tom has been claiming that Paul is the one who is really running the show here while Dan is just the face of it. In fact, he told me that he personally has over 1,000 emails of Paul Bazarin managing the business. And based on what he told me, this was the situation from day one. Dan Bazarin was never involved in the management of the company. In fact, I'll be surprised if Dan even knows how a financial report looks like. All of the team meetings, the budget meetings, all of the annual meetings, everything is run by Paul. Dan is not even attendant at most of these meetings, which is unthinkable. However, the other thing I was told that in the past six to 10 months, Paul has become much more brazen with his behavior. He stopped being in the shadows and he moved all the way to the front because he's looking for an investor to buy this company off him. He's looking for some gullible guy who has some holding company or a lot of part money and is a fan of Dan Bilzerian to unload this piece of garbage company on him. So basically, in the last few months, the business model of this company completely shifted from actually selling CBD products to finding a gullible investor to buy this thing off the Bilzerian's hands. Another unrelated employee who came to me individually separately confirmed this exact thing. He has been working for Dan for many, many years. And he told me that Paul Bilzerian was running the business back when it was called Green Access before they even changed the name to Ignite. 
So what he told me is that the Dan Bilzerian was never even close to remotely managing the business. It was always Paul. Two separate people told me that. And plus, if you just look at the lawsuit of Curtis Heffernan, the previous president of Ignite, one of many, you'll see that he also says the same thing. Paul Bilzerian is the guy in charge. And Paul Bilzerian is the guy who kicked out Curtis Heffernan. Which is unthinkable because, as you remember, Paul Bilzerian is a convicted SEC felon. He has been convicted of investor fraud. He's a runaway. He's living in St. Keats. There's no way he should be managing a public company, especially if the investors are not made aware of that, which they haven't. So that's a huge lawsuit coming their way. I'm just waiting for the right lawsuit to happen so I can actually make a video about it. Wow. That's a pretty interesting uh, point he's raising here, that uh, Paul Bilzerian should not be the CEO. And in fact, if he is, that he should, this needs to be disclosed to investors and that this could really open them up to uh, legal action. That's true. And Paul Bilzerian uh, is a convicted felon. So, wow, that's a pretty interesting point. Now, it's not clear if any lawsuit will ever take place, but he's just saying that it might. And I actually had a conversation with a different employee who told me that every single party that Dan Bilzerian threw in that mansion cost the company between five hundred dollars and $700,000. Not only that, Dan Bilzerian, according to my source, was going through fits of rage whenever the ratio of dudes to women were too high in his opinion. He would have security remove dudes from the party so there's not too many of them. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Imagine going to a like really, really expensive, lavish Dan Bilzerian party with... Uh, Super high-end entertainment, I mean, like, major stars performing and just all types of hot chicks everywhere and great food and just, like, a super fun environment there that you're thrilled to be there. And then the security comes up to you, hey, you got to go. Wait, what have I done wrong? You have a penis. But wait, what, what have I done? I don't understand. No, get out. You have a penis. You're not allowed to be here. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what happened. That Dan will get – he's claiming that uh, Dan got pissed <laughs> <laughs> that there were too many dudes there and that uh, they had to throw some out to make the ratio better. Even when these were investors, potential investors, or people with actual business interests with the company. So not only that Dan Bilzerian is not the CEO or manager, he seems to be actually causing damage to the company. In fact, it seems to me that a freaking cucumber can do a better job at managing this company than Dan Bilzerian. Well, okay. That one part I don't necessarily agree with. If they're really trying to sell the brand here that uh, you're like buying the cool Ignite brand of um, pot rather than you're you're buying the best product, but you're kind of buying the coolest product and uh, Dan's holding these parties to promote the product and show how fun, how much fun everyone's having and how many hot chicks there are. If it looks like a sausage fest, if it looks like mostly dudes and, and a few hot chicks then uh, I could see how that might ruin the image a little bit. So even if they have to throw out some people who they'd otherwise like to have there, but they happen to be male, uh, it could be, I'm not saying it was, but it, it could be a smart decision or at least a defendable decision to uh, kick out some guys to make the ratio better, as ridiculous as it sounds. I can actually understand the rationale if that's the way you're promoting the product. Yeah, It probably was – Tom is probably correct that is if this happened that uh, – they probably weren't doing the right thing if they're kicking out potential invest investors or other people who could be valuable to them. But still, you can't say that this is necessarily a bad decision. You'd have to know more. And I had a conversation with a different employee 
will let me know that Dan is actually engaged in buying followers for his Instagram profile. He told me that based on the demographics of Dan's Instagram profile, which he saw, the demographic is that 80% of his followers come from countries like India, Brazil, and Eastern Europe with ages of 15 to 18 people that don't buy jack shit. This is the most meaningless, worthless demographic, especially if you're trying to sell premium cannabis products in North America. And that's one of the reasons the whole business model failed. Okay, so I don't know about that either. Like, I think this may be true, but also not true. How is that possible? Is it possible that Dan Blazerian bought Instagram followers? Yes. Am I sure he did? Of course not. I have no idea if he did or not. But let's say he did. Uh, That does not necessarily mean that uh, Dan's face being the uh, big selling point of the product is useless. Because how do you know Dan Bilzerian? Well, you know of him probably because of his association with poker, but you probably know a lot of other people who know who Dan Bilzerian is that have nothing to do with poker. And how do they know who he is? Because he had a large Instagram following, because TMZ and other gossip sites were following him because of his large Instagram following. So I don't think this is all fake. I don't think he had like three million fake followers and then all the tabloids are following him. I think he really did have a a big following. And if he bought followers, it may have been to increase that big following. So for example, I'm just making up numbers here. I I haven't even looked at his Instagram account. But let's say he had uh, six million legitimate Instagram followers and thought, you know what would be cooler if I had 10 million followers. So then he bought 4 million followers. Again, I'm just making this up. I I have no idea if he did or not. I haven't looked at the numbers. But let's say that's what he did. Well, he would still have 6 million real followers. He would still have plenty of uh, marketing value with 6 million real followers, even if 4 million are fake. So it doesn't really matter how many are fake. It matters how many are real. It really, even if you have 100 million Instagram followers and 90% are fake, you still are very valuable with 10 million real followers. So that's where I think it's uh, a little bit, again, misleading. Most of his followers are not relevant. They're across the ocean, smoking weed. <laughs> they don't need Ignite. That same, that same employee told me that there were a lot of product issues with the CBD stuff that they were marketing. That same employee told me that there were a lot of production issues with the products. Not to mention that the company invested $0 in retail marketing or marketing to customers, just basically relying on website sales. That's a public company. That's unthinkable. Another employee let me know that Dan actually took a huge payout, which I didn't notice. He showed me documents from the reverse takeover offer, which shows that Dan pulled $16 million from the company, which is investors' money right after the merger. Okay, now that might be a big problem. By the way, I looked up number of followers he had, uh, 32.5 million currently. So, okay, so if he bought a few million, that really doesn't mean much. If he bought half those followers, he still has a huge following. <laughs> so you can't say it's worthless if half his followers are fake or, or people from overseas. That's, uh, I, again, I don't agree with that point. But, uh, yeah, the, now he's getting into some pretty serious accusations about, uh, what sounds like, uh, some form of embezzlement. So if this stuff is true, then there could be some real trouble. By having the company redeem his shares to get $16 million. And if that sounds familiar, that is exactly what Trevor Milton did with Nikola. He had the company redeem a lot of his shares to get millions right after the SPAC merger. The same thing was done here on a smaller scale. And beyond the employees that I actually talked to, looking at the other employees and former employees of Ignite, it seems that all of them are trying to scrub any mention of Ignite from their LinkedIn profiles and their CVs. Why? Is this because they know something we don't? 
Think about it. Let me just show you a few examples. On February 2019, the company announced the appointment of Jim McCormick to its president. Now, Jim McCormick is a very qualified guy. He used to be the COO of Kushko. He has a lot of credentials. He lasted until November 2019. Now, he was replaced by Curtis Heffernan. Curtis Heffernan lasted about seven months and was fired on June 2020. On June 2020, he was replaced by Lester Lee. Lester Lee broke a whole new record by lasting only three months and was replaced by current CEO of the company and now president, John Schaefer, who's allegedly Paul Bilzerian's right-hand man in actually managing the company from day one. Now, as you can see here, there's a spinning door here of presidents, and that's never a good sign. <laughs> it seems that if they continue in this path, they're going to be down to daily president appointments. Hey, do you want to be president for the day of ignite? Here you go. You're president. Have yourself a good time. He brings up a good point there that whenever a company is switching presidents, that is a bad sign. And that usually means that uh, they're just throwing whatever they can at the wall and seeing what sticks. So that basically the company has major issues. The president either is not allowed to or just can't fix those issues. And that when every president they try is not a miracle worker, they fire him and try the next guy. That's not a good sign. <laughs> and the company's presidents were not the only ones taking part in the spinning door policy. The company had a lot of CFOs. If you take a look at the recent CFOs, it also makes it clear why this thing has been going on. Eduardo Matei, the previous chief financial officer, quit at the end of May 2019 after just a year and a half at the job. I wonder why. Now, he was replaced by Paul Dowdall who's now listed on LinkedIn as the CFO and COO of Ignite as of June 2019. Imagine a public company with a guy who doubles as the CFO and the COO. Have you ever heard of this moronacy? I have no idea what to say here. I've never heard of a public company without a dedicated CFO and a COO. What the hell is going on? And what about the marketing department? The VP of marketing or chief marketing officers are also on the spinning door. Don Blackstone finished at Ignite at about July 2019. But if you take a look at her LinkedIn profile now, there is no mention of Ignite. She doesn't want anybody to know that she had anything to do with Ignite. She was replaced by a guy named Oliver Holtzman. Oliver Holtzman lasted until April. April, he quit. Since then, the company has no chief marketing officer. But if you take a look at Oliver Holtzman's LinkedIn profile, you'll find out that also he is scrubbing any mention of Ignite from his profile. What do these guys know that all of us don't? They probably know one thing. This company is about to blow up and the shit is going to fly all over. And if they have anything to do with it, they're probably going to get some on themselves. This <laughs> company can't even find an auditor to sign their Q2 financials. It's game over. This is just another proof. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. Channel members. Pay okay. So interesting stuff here from Tom Nash. I mean, I, I can't argue with much other than those few quibbles I had earlier in the video. Uh, you have people who are scrubbing any mention of having worked for Ignite in their LinkedIn. You have uh, constant changes of people at the president and the CFO and the COO. And yeah, that's very, very problematic. And I have to imagine that uh, this whole thing is about to fall apart very, very soon. And... I'm not sure what's going on here, but uh, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see soon if uh, Ignite ceases to exist, if there are lawsuits, if uh, Dan Bilzerian is going to be named, if uh, 
there's any possible criminal charges that will be filed as a result of all this, but uh, I don't know. There, there could be a problem here. Now, I will say, up until now, uh, Dan Bilzerian has not been accused of, of anything that uh, seems to be credible as far as any kind of a criminal wrongdoing. And it seems like whenever there is some kind of accusation against him, that uh, it turns out to be nothing. It turns out that he was in the right or mostly in the right. And it turns out that every sensational story about him is really not a big deal. And it's hard to believe that uh, whatever's going on with the money he has and with his dad and all that, that as careful as they probably have been for all this time, that they would make boneheaded mistakes like Tom Nash is alleging occurred here with Ignite. But who knows? You know, sometimes you get into uncharted, uncharted territory and you start making dumb errors that you wouldn't have done before when you were more familiar with what you're doing. It does sound like, uh, at the very least, Ignite has been a mismanaged mess and it looks like it uh, probably doesn't have much of a future. This can always be an issue whenever you try to branch out into an area you don't have a lot of real knowledge. You just think you know, like, oh, hey, I like to smoke pot. Hey, pot's legal. Okay, well, let's uh, let's let's start a, a, a company that uh, sells marijuana, legalized marijuana, and uh, let's attach it to a Dan Bilzerian and his huge Instagram following, and it'll be like a cool brand. And that could sound good, but once you do the research, you realize that there really isn't the market for that, that people are looking for the best product really when it comes to any kind of uh, marijuana-type uh, product they're going to get. They're not looking for what's cool or who's the face of it, and they're looking for a good product at a good price. And uh, furthermore, you have to have a lot of knowledge of the industry to be successful in it. And if you don't have the knowledge, you have to hire people who do. And the whole business plan has to be correct from the start. And if you just kind of wing it or try to break new ground that doesn't make a lot of sense, then you're going to fail. And that looks like what may have happened here. So we will continue to follow the situation with Ignite and Ambulzerian and see uh, where that goes. But I think uh, I think Tom Nash may be onto something here. We will see. I'm sure we'll see more videos from him if uh, that is the case. Okay. Let's move on to discuss uh, a coronavirus topic. There's a big story that has come out, I think it was today, about something that happened on Twitter. Twitter has been doing a lot of censorship. Twitter had uh, censored a recent story about Joe Biden. We're not going to go into that, but about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, that uh, they took a lot of flack for uh, not allowing a link to a certain New York Post story, which I I think was very bad, by the way. You don't... uh, Twitter should not be censoring stories of uh, major media outlets. They shouldn't be censoring any kind of story, whether a big or small outlet, but especially not the New York Post. They should never be censoring the New York Post. That's crazy. But anyway, there's another form of censorship that took place, as I said, I believe today, involving Twitter and a doctor named Scott Atlas, who's very controversial, who is a Donald Trump advisor. And he was uh, censored today. One of his tweets was actually deleted by Twitter. And it was a tweet from Scott Atlas saying that masks do not work. So on the surface, you would say, wait a minute, that sounds like a smart thing for Twitter to do. He's putting out misinformation and he is uh, misleading people to 
not bother wearing masks and it's going to spread COVID more. And why, why should they leave a tweet like that up there that would cause harm? Shouldn't they have control of their own platform if they feel their own platform is going to be uh, used in a bad way, which is going to kill people? Uh, shouldn't they take some control and censor this, especially since a lot of people give Scott Atlas credit since he is uh, a doctor at Stanford and because he is an advisor to President Trump? So uh, the tweet read, masks work? No. And then he proceeded to, to then I guess he also had uh, various tweets before that that were questioning the use of uh, masks in order to prevent the coronavirus spreading. He also mentioned in his tweets that uh, places like Los Angeles, Miami, Hawaii, Alabama, France, the Philippines, the UK, Spain, and Israel had mask mandates and still the cases exploded. So the tweets were deleted and Twitter said that Scott Atlas was in violation of our COVID-19 misleading information policy that prohibits sharing false or misleading content related to COVID-19, which could lead to harm. And the question is, should this happen? Should this happen? What if someone who is prominent, someone who is well-known, someone who is actually an advisor to the president, puts out a tweet that Twitter feels is going to cause harm uh, about related to COVID, that's going to give people the wrong advice, in their opinion. Should they censor it, or should they just let let it stand and let people refute it if they don't believe it? Well, there's two questions here. Number one, is he incorrect? And number two, if he is, should they censor it? And we're going to discuss both here. Now, you may think it's unquestionable that masks prevent the spread of COVID. And you've probably heard people saying that it doesn't, that masks are useless, that they're a violation of rights, that you shouldn't wear them. You probably see crowds of people together, often crowds of Republicans or others on the right that get together and don't wear masks. And you probably look at that and go, oh boy, I can't, I can't believe what they're doing there. Look at these reckless people. And then stories will come out of people catching COVID there and you go, ah, look at these idiots. Yep, that's exactly what they did. In fact, uh, there's even some accusations that this is what occurred to eventually get Donald Trump the coronavirus, that that's why he got it, because uh, people were getting together that were close to him and uh, and not wearing masks. So is the truth that wearing masks prevents the spread of COVID, is it true that if we all wore masks that we'd put an end to the problem pretty quickly. Is the reason that COVID has killed 210,000 people and continues to kill people every day that we have not gotten a handle on the problem, that there's still a lot of people in the U.S. dying of COVID after all this time? Is it true that it's because of Donald Trump's poor leadership and setting a poor example regarding masking and that if only everyone took masking seriously – that the U.S. could get a better handle on it? Is it true that the reason that the U.S. has had such high numbers of deaths due to COVID is because of not enough mask wearing, that if only people wore masks more often, that we would not uh, have these, uh, these death rates? Yesterday, though this is on the weekend, 
the U.S. had uh, 449 new deaths, but uh, the weekend numbers tend to be low because they're underreported, and then they tend to come in on Monday and Tuesday, so those numbers look higher than they really should be. So you have to kind of look at the Wednesday and Thursday numbers. But so we were still having a lot of deaths. We're still, I, I don't, we're not getting quite the thousand deaths a day we were getting for a while, but they're still adding up. The U.S. currently has a uh, 224,730 deaths attributed to COVID. That's not an exact number. That's the number they say, but it, it could be higher or lower depending on various factors, which we won't get into again. But it, there's no question there's been a lot of deaths in the U.S. due to COVID. I'm not going to question that. That's very true. And the question is why? And many people, especially those on the left, point to masking. They point to the President Trump has not uh, pushed the masking and has been has implied that he's against it. He doesn't wear masks a lot when he's seen in public. He mocked Joe Biden for wearing a mask constantly. And he even got COVID himself after not masking enough. And uh, that all we have to do is mask our way out of this. And once we get a, a president like Biden in office, well, that's going to change everything. Biden's going to take care of it. Uh, he's he's going to pressure everyone in the local governments to force people to wear masks. And we're going to be done with COVID. That, in fact, Biden even said something like that at the recent town hall this past week. Is that true? Answer, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, am I saying that masks are useless? Absolutely not. Do I wear a mask? Yes. I will wear a mask for two reasons. Number one, I think that people will look at me like an asshole, like a, an asshole who doesn't care about people if I do. I know I don't have COVID because I don't expose myself, but they don't know that. They don't know how much I expose myself. So... I can't uh, just assume they know that I don't expose myself, or even if I told them, they may not believe me. So I wear a mask because uh, that's basically sending a signal to everyone around me that I'm not reckless and I, I give a shit about others catching COVID and that uh, I'm wearing a mask to help prevent that. Even if I didn't think it helps at all, if there's a belief it helps, then I, I'm going to anyway. And, and number two, I do believe that wearing a mask does help prevent the spread. Now, a very common misconception is wearing a mask will help you not get COVID. That is false. That is false from what we can tell. That masks don't stop you from getting it. That masks stop you from transmitting it somewhat. And that's the important thing to understand here. That masks are not to protect you. You can feel protected. You've got your you've got your nose covered, your your mouth covered. Okay, I'm protected. No, you're not. I've heard people say, "Well, yeah, I did, I wasn't thrilled about going inside such and such place, but uh, I wore a mask, so I felt okay." No, that doesn't help you. That helps others from catching it from you. But if you didn't already have it, you wearing a mask was useless. So that's an important thing to know. And even those on the left who are very, very pro-masking will admit that if they're knowledgeable. There, there's idiots who are not knowledgeable who just think that uh, wearing a mask uh, is, is uh, going to protect you. It's not. The reason for this, by the way, is that uh, it's a matter of uh, the way COVID is transmitted and that a lot of it is transmitted through both uh, breath and through uh, saliva that comes out of your mouth whenever you speak. And when you do speak, especially if you speak loudly, saliva comes out of your mouth, you just can't see it. So tiny bits of saliva come out while you speak. And so that and the air together that comes out of your mouth as you speak transmit COVID. And when you have a mask on, that blocks some of that. It doesn't stop all of it from coming out, but it blocks some of it. So a good way I could describe this is uh, 
let's say I'm shooting a water gun at you, okay? And let's say if you get hit with a water gun, uh, you get very, very sick. Of course, that wouldn't be the case, but let's just pretend that I'm shooting the, the water gun at you. Let's say there's something in the water gun that's a lot worse than uh, water. Let's say it's acid, or I don't know what. But it's something you don't want to get hit. You really don't want to get hit with what I'm shooting from the water gun. If I shoot the water gun, let's say it's a powerful water gun. If I shoot the water gun without anything blocking it, then it's going to go a lot farther. But if I put something in front of it, if I put like a cloth in front of it, uh, if it's a very powerful stream, it's still going to go through the cloth somewhat. But it's not going to go as far. It's not going to go nearly as far. So that's that's going to stop uh, it from getting that far. So someone who's uh, six feet away from me, if I shoot the water gun through the through the mask, through the cloth mask, it's probably not going to get to them. If they're inches away from me, it's going to get to them. But if, if they're uh, six feet away, it probably won't get to them through the uh, the cloth that I'm shooting through. But let's look at the other way. Let's say there's nothing on my on the water gun, and they have a cloth mask on. And then you shoot them and it hits them in the mask. What's going to happen? Well, the mask is going to get wet. It's, whatever you hit it with is going to leak through. And whatever you're trying to avoid, you're, you're, you're going to get on you. And you're going to get in you. So that is why wearing a mask doesn't uh, – it does not stop these microscopic particles from getting through once they hit you. But uh, it does stop the projectiles that carry it somewhat from uh, – from getting over there. It, it, it kind of holds it back. It doesn't stop it. it. It holds it back somewhat, where it doesn't transmit as far. So that's, where I, that's why masking helps. It's a very simple way of explaining why masking does help, in my opinion, and from what the research has shown, is it just it stops the COVID particles from traveling as far, and therefore they don't hit as many people, and they don't get into the ventilation system as easily. That's, uh, that's basically why masking can be useful, especially indoors or outdoors very close together. And that is why that I think people should wear masks. So I want you to understand from this segment that I am not anti-mask and I'm not telling you not to wear a mask and I'm not saying that wearing a mask is useless. I am saying that wearing a mask is overrated as far as the safety it provides you. It's something helpful, but it's not going to solve the problem. It's just going to uh, slow the spread somewhat if everyone were to do it. And interestingly, go take a look at the COVID numbers for Norway. Norway never got on board with the masking thing. I mean, they started to a little bit more in August, but up until August, they were very anti-masking. I'm not sure why, but they were. So Norway never had a bad COVID problem. And yet uh, they had, like there was a study, I, I think in July, where they took surveys, scientific surveys of uh, mask wearing, where they asked, do you wear a mask uh, always when you're out, sometimes or never? And most people, like 80-something percent of people in Norway said never, and only 4% said always. That was in Norway. So you would think that with almost no masking in Norway, that they must have been absolutely pounded by COVID, but they were not. Norway was not. Norway has only had uh, 16,457 cases in total and only 278 deaths. And in deaths per million population, they've only had 51. That's very little. If you take a look at the U.S., the U.S. has had 678 deaths per million population. 
The UK has had very similar 642 deaths per million. Mexico, 665 deaths per million. Peru, which is the worst place on earth uh, per million, 1,020 per million have died of COVID in Peru, where it's really been a disaster. And uh, France, 513. Colombia, 568. Spain, 722. It's worse in the US. Brazil, 723. Chile, 711. Uh, and there's places that are better, like Germany, 118. But uh, look at Norway, 51. What are they doing right in Norway? Well, it's not masking. <laughs> I mean, go look this up. The New York Times did an article about this. In case you think the, the Norway masking stats came from some uh, crazy right-wing site, no, it came from the New York Times. Go look. You'll, you'll see. You can find a New York Times article which shows the survey, which they admit is valid, that uh, 4% of people in Norway were wearing masks and 80-something percent were never wearing masks. So that's uh, pretty eye-opening, isn't it? So what does that say? It says there's other factors involved here, doesn't it? It says that you're not going to uh, mask your way out of it, nor is a lack of masking causing massive spikes. It's a matter that you are uh, helping somewhat with stopping big spikes, but it's by no means the solution. It's more of a way to slow things down. But not significantly. Just it's helpful, but it's not the answer. And it's not doing it is not the cause. So uh, let's go back to what Scott Atlas said. And yeah, a lot of people are calling him a quack and saying that uh, he's crazy and that he's he's responsible for people dying because they're not masking and that it's, it's going on to kill people and that, that Trump is is, uh, is responsible for people's deaths because he has been validating this guy and repeating what the guy's been saying. So uh, what Scott Atlas tweeted was that means the right policy is Donald Trump's guideline. Use masks for their intended purpose. When close to others, especially high risk, otherwise social distance, no widespread mandates. Hashtag common sense. Well, okay, that does sound like common sense. That's that's actually not bad. He's not saying don't wear masks at all. He's actually saying that uh, the right policy is that when close to others, especially people who are at high risk of, of bad effects of COVID, wear the mask. Otherwise, uh, don't mandate it. Let people decide for themselves uh, when they're going to wear it. Now, that's I won't say I... I completely agree with that because like for example i think in casinos it's good for everyone to wear masks we, that's that's like, that environment is high risk he, the high risk he was talking about is high high risk individuals so he's saying if you're if you're by someone who's 75 years old wear the mask if you're by someone who's not uh and you're not really close to them don't wear the mask well i think you should wear masks more often than that why because i think it does help some but obviously the amount it helps is very exaggerated because otherwise explain norway how has Norway only had 51 deaths per million when uh, they don't wear masks? How come? Obviously, it's not about masking that. Obviously, masking is one factor, but uh, probably not the main factor. So uh, there's a lot we don't know about COVID. But a lot of people have decided they know it all already. A lot of people have decided that they know the answer and Trump's just been doing it wrong. As soon as we get Biden in office, as soon as he... Uh, wins and then takes office on January 21st, that uh, he's going to make all the right decisions and we're going to beat this thing. Even if we don't have a vaccine that that, uh, comes to market for a while, once we get a responsible president in there, it's going to get up better. No, that's not how it works. Unfortunately, human beings 
have a tendency to want to feel like if they behave the right way, the recommended way, that they're going to get good results. Good behavior equals good results. Bad behavior, irresponsible behavior equals bad results. And that's that's how you want to feel. You want to feel, if I do this right, I'm, I'm going to be rewarded in some way. If I don't do this right, I'm going to be punished in some way. And when you hear about certain things that are out of your control, that are completely random or not well understood, and that you really don't have control over them, and that what you believe about them might be wrong, then that gets people very upset. I still have arguments with people to this day about cholesterol and blood pressure. I use salt on something and people say, oh, watch out, that's going to that's gonna raise your blood pressure. And I say, no, that's not what raises my blood pressure. My blood pressure is high because of hereditary factors. It's true if I have a dangerously high blood pressure, I shouldn't be using a lot of salt, but that's uh, using salt is not going to give me a blood pressure problem. That was That's old thinking. Or I'm eating... Uh, uh, something with, with a lot of saturated fat. Oh, that's going to send your cholesterol level through the roof. No, it's not. My cholesterol level is great. And I don't watch the fat in my diet at all other than other than for weight reasons. But I I have a lot of fat in my diet. or I, I haven't much since COVID started, but I used to. And my cholesterol was great. My cholesterol was uh, at excellent levels, not even close to being high. Not even just normal, but uh, not even high normal like good normal, even at this age. And why? Hereditary. Can't take any credit for it. It was just uh, the genes I inherited. So uh, people hated that. People liked the idea better that if you stay away from such and such foods and such and such uh, salt intake or whatever, that you'll get control of your blood pressure, your cholesterol. It's just not true. It's hereditary. Sucks, doesn't it? It just sucks that it's just already pre-programmed into your body whether you're going to get a high cholesterol or high blood pressure. It's not about lifestyle. Doesn't that suck? Doesn't that suck that the guy who behaves much worse than you uh, has a better level than you do? Unfair, I agree. That's the way it really is. But people don't like that. People hate that. And that's kind of the way it is with COVID. You're wearing a mask? Okay, I feel good. I'm being responsible. Okay, let's let's get a responsible president who tells everyone to do responsible things. We're going to beat this. We're only We're only having this endless COVID problem because Trump is irresponsible. Trump says stupid things. He doesn't lead by example. He just makes decisions that are by feeling, not by the science, and then states stupid things on Twitter, and idiots follow him, and we have a problem that doesn't go away. What a jerk. Can't wait to get Biden in office. We're going to beat this whole thing. No, that's not what's going on here. And if you don't believe me, go look up the stats. I'm not just stating my opinion here. I'm going by the stats here. So my, what I'm telling you here is to wear the mask. If you're going to be by other people, wear the mask. If you're indoors, wear the mask. If you'll be in public uh, where you will come into contact with people or be indoors, wear the mask. But realize that, number one, it's not protecting you. And number two, that the mask wearing is not the way we're going to get out of this. That you're, uh, at best, slowing it down. And you're only slowing it down if you have COVID and don't know it. But that if everybody wore masks, it would slow it down somewhat, but it would by no means tackle the problem. It would just, like without a vaccine, this would just drag it on longer until it runs through the population. That's all it would do. Now you can say, well, yeah, but shouldn't we slow it down because we'll get a vaccine eventually and then it will put an end to it? 
Yeah, you could say that, but uh, that's why I'm saying you should still wear the mask. But you're not going to mask your way out of this. The COVID's not going to die out or become much less significant to where we can go back to normal life because everyone's wearing a mask. And and you're not going to find any data about mask-wearing countries doing better, doing much better than non-mask-wearing countries. Because all you got to do is look at something like Norway and say, what the hell? Like, why, what's happening there? So yeah, you'll find some mask-wearing countries where it looks good, but you'll also find some non-mask-wearing countries where it looks great. So how do you explain that one? So I hope you understand what I'm saying. And that, that's what I mean by uh, each side has taken a narrative and they want to stick with it. So the right wants to stick with masks are useless, they're a violation of our rights, forcing us to wear them is a violation. Uh, we don't want to wear them. F that. By wearing a mask, we're giving in to the left. And I, I think that's stupid. You should wear a mask. But the left believing that the lack of mask mandates is what has killed all these people, that's ludicrous. That makes no sense. And the science doesn't back that up. So let's go back to what Twitter did with Scott Atlas. Even though I don't agree with everything he said, it's not that far off from the truth. Or at least from what appears to be the truth. Let's go back to something he said. That means the right policy use masks for their intended purpose when close to others, especially high risk. Otherwise, social distance, no widespread mandates. So he's talking about mandates even. He's not even talking about whether you should or shouldn't. He's saying that uh, there should not just be a mandate that just whenever you're out, you've got to wear a mask. And uh, I, I actually more agree with that than not agree because, uh, like, for example, when I go hiking, I will not wear a mask. I won't because uh, it's very hard to hike wearing a mask. You're, you're inhaling your, your carbon dioxide back in. It's very uncomfortable. It's, uh, I, I wonder if it's even healthy to wear a mask when you're hiking. And you're outdoors. And as long as you're not on a super crowded trail, then it's not dangerous to hike without a mask. And what I do when I pass somebody who is, or I'm coming up to somebody, or if someone's coming up to me on the hike, I will move all the way to the side, even if they don't. And uh, I will face the other direction. Where I my f- mouth is not facing their face, and I will completely face the other direction and move as far as I can to the side away from them, preferably six feet or more, and wait for them to pass. Even if they do nothing to get out of my way, which often they don't, <laughs> I will do it because uh, I think that's the right thing to do. And I also won't go on very crowded trails. So I would not want to be required to wear a mask while I hike. I want to use my own common sense about the right thing to do when I go hiking. But I, I can see where a mask mandate could make sense in certain cases, like a, a gathering with X number of people. Or uh, I could even see an indoor mask requirement if, if it's going to have more than X number of people indoors. Something like that. I, I, I wouldn't be against something like that because it, it makes sense. And it correlates with what is known about COVID right now. I wouldn't want a mask mandate for everything, though. I generally like when I can make the decision for what I feel is right and not the government making it for me, making a blanket decision on something. Anyway, bottom line is if you think you know everything about COVID, you don't. If you think you have it solved, you don't. If you think that uh, Biden will have it solved, he won't. And as far as Twitter censoring it, that's just really bad. Twitter has to stop with the censorship of major figures, of major news outlets, of really pretty much anything that isn't 
directly and obviously bad, such as, yeah, they can censor when someone posts a credit card, a stolen credit card number, or a link to sites to get stolen credit card numbers, or, uh, or death threats, or even any threat of physical violence. If they want to censor that, I'm all for that. You want to, you want to make a blanket rule on the platform you can't threaten physical violence and, and aggressively enforce that? Okay, I'm all for it. I don't think that should be going on on Twitter. Uh, you, you want to censor anything illegal or, or getting close to illegal? Yeah. You want to censor uh, outright racism? Well, there you've got to be careful because a lot of things are considered racist, which really aren't these days. But if you want you know, anything with the N-word, you want to censor? Okay, fine. Go ahead. But uh, you start censoring ideas that are being uh, respectfully presented or articles in mainstream publications like the New York Post just because you don't agree with them or find they're dangerous? You know what that is? That is uh, censorship and that is fascism. That's not government fascism, but it's fascism. Because Twitter is not just, quote, a private company. That is a major media outlet now. It's social media, but nevertheless, it's media. It's where a lot of people get information. And when one side starts to suppress information that comes out because they don't like it, then that is an element of fascism. Fascism does not have to come from the government. Fascism can come from those who are acting on behalf of the government, even if they are self-appointed. There should not be this type of censorship. There should be a free exchange of ideas. And look, it's not even like we know all the answers. That's the other thing here. It's not like we know the 100% truth and every detail about COVID and we have some idiot out there contradicting it. There's so much we don't know. There's so much we don't understand, including about masking. And any kind of alternate theory should be allowed to be put out there, especially by a major figure who has association with the current uh, White House. It's crazy to be censoring that. So uh, Twitter has really been overstepping what they should be doing. They, they really are, are overstepping their authority. And uh, it, it's different than uh, something that is uh, a much smaller entity and can be seen more like, okay, private company, they can do what they want. Uh, they've gotten so big and influential that uh, if what they're doing has major impact on information presented to citizens of the country... Then yeah, you have to start saying, okay, Twitter, you, you've got to ha- you got to behave responsibly. I don't want to see Twitter regulated by the government, but uh, that starts to ask for it if they're going to do things like that. And again, I'm against that. I don't want to see regulation from uh, Facebook or Twitter, but uh, this starts to make a better case for it if they're if they're going to start censoring uh, information that they don't agree with, just information put out by publications or figures they just don't like. And uh, we, we think this is bad. We think this is dangerous. And we're, just not, we're not going to let you say it. We're not going to let anyone tweet out this article. You just, you just can't see it. You're going to see what we want you to see. You're gonna see. You can read the news we want you to read. You can listen to the officials we want you to listen to. And anything else, trust us. It's too dangerous for your, your sensitive eyes. Just You can't read it. Just trust us. We know what's best for you. And uh, even if you try to 
assign so-called neutral organizations to do this censorship. It never works out because what is neutral? How do you define neutral? How do you define what is actually objective? Because the, quote, fact checkers that have been working for uh, some of these sites are not neutral at all. They, they have been proven to be left biased, these, quote, fact checkers. I would love to see fact checkers that are not biased, either right or left. I'd love to see a fact checker that really works uh, trying to check actual facts without any kind of bias, but I have not seen it yet. So that's the problem is uh, who defines what neutral is? You could say my definition of neutral is wrong. You could say my definition of neutral is right biased. You might say that. Am I right biased? Yes, I am. You probably wouldn't want me arbitrating this. That's that's the problem. That's why you don't suppress ideas. That's why you don't suppress uh, publications. That's why you don't uh, suppress news. You let it go out there. You let the people decide. All right. So our, our last topic here is William Hill. And it's not news about William Hill. It's something that uh, you can take advantage of. If you are physically in the state of New Jersey, I don't care if you live in New Jersey. I don't care if you were born in New Jersey. I don't care if you like New Jersey. It only matters if you are physically standing in New Jersey at some point in the future or the present. And as I, the future it has to be the, I, I would guess, semi-near future because I imagine this offer is going to go away. I don't know how long it's going to last, but it's here right now. So I'm going to tell you about it. it is a free play. A $500 free play online on William Hill. Are you interested yet? You should be, because it's a good deal. I would do it if I were in New Jersey, but I'm not in New Jersey, so I'm going to pass it along to you. Uh, this was actually brought to my attention by Poker Pro Melissa Burr on her Twitter. So I thank her for that. Even though I cannot use it, I'm going to pass it along on this show. And this is very legit. You can see this right on William Hill's own site, the URL that you don't have to memorize this. You can just click on their uh their promotions uh, uh, menu item at the top. But the actual URL is williamhill.com slash US slash NJ, like New Jersey, slash US dash promos slash offer slash free dash bets. Okay. You probably don't want to type that out, but if you just go to promos, you'll find this. But I'm going to read it to you. And this is all legit. It's not a scam. It's, it's And I get nothing from this. This is not an advertisement. They are not a sponsor. And I guarantee I am reading from their website. They have nothing to do with me. I don't get a penny. I get absolutely nothing. If you sign up and get this, my compensation in any way, shape, or form is no more than zero point zero. I'm just telling you because I want to help. Okay. Welcome deposit offer. Get up to a $500 free bet on a first deposit. So if you're a new user to William Hill, New Jersey, then... You can get this. If you already have a William Hill, New Jersey account, you cannot get this. Now, what if you have a William Hill account in Nevada? It looks like you are eligible. You have to make a new William Hill, New Jersey account. And if you can make one, meaning you don't have one yet, and you're physically standing in New Jersey, you don't have to live there as long as you are. You can physically stand in the state of New Jersey, then you can do this. An eligible patron who makes their first real money deposit within seven days of registering their William Hill, New Jersey account will be awarded a free bet based upon the following qualifying deposit amount tiers. Now, before I get to that, that means you have to make a new account or have made one in the past week. If you made one like three days ago, good news, you're eligible. 
If you made one eight days ago, bad news, you're not. If you made one more than seven days ago, it could be eight, it could be a hundred days ago, then you're not able to redeem this. But if you have no account yet or made one less than seven days ago, you can. So if you make a first deposit of uh, $50 to $99.99, meaning slightly less than $100, you get $100 free bet. That's pretty good. If you make a deposit of 100 through 249.99, you get $250 free bet. And if you make a deposit of 250 or more, you get a $500 free bet. You have to do this when you register with uh, entering a WH500. So I guess if you already have registered, it's too late. But maybe you can email support saying that you uh, forgot to enter it. Here is somebody uh, with a William Hill account, but not in New Jersey, to my knowledge. Brandon Gressel Gerson. Well, hello, welcome to the show. Is this a fraud show? It's the end of the fraud show, but yes. The end. Oh, you already talked about who scammed who and whatnot? Yes, I've talked about everything. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Now, we're not just talking about the Asian plague now? No, no. We're, I'm, I'm telling people about an offer in William Hill, New Jersey, where if you enter the code oh, right. uh, WH500, you, you get those, those free bets. And uh, so if you have already deposited, then you're probably screwed. Again, you can try to email. Let me tell you something. Hold on, though. I can offer you some insight now. It's not much, but... I can also say, because it's really, really funny you brought, bring this up, I sent my own uh, my own relative of mine to just do this recently. I know about the New Jersey promotion, but there's also one in Vegas. It's not quite as good. But I did literally send a relative this past weekend to uh, get it. And what do you think it is? How much do you think the, the, the free money is in, in Nevada? Is it $50? It's always fifty dollars. How is it always fifty dollars? Yeah, but yeah, so you go on with, but it's really a lot of money up there. Was it five hundred? It's five hundred. It, it, it basically, it's uh, it, it it almost it, it can double or more than double if you put fifty through ninety nine ninety nine, you get a hundred free play. A hundred through uh, two forty nine ninety nine, two fifty free play, and two fifty or more, you get five hundred free play. So you just put a, a two hundred fifty dollar deposit in with a new account. Enter code WH five hundred, like William Hill WH five hundred. Then you'll get a $500 free bet, and uh, then you just have to do it within seven days of registering. And uh, then it says, redemption is subject to house rules. So uh, what are the house rules? Well, uh, first of all, they claim the promotion period is through November 30th. So you have some time, but uh, don't wait forever on this. It's not really a $500 free bet. You have to just cycle. I mean, you could bet 500 at once, or you can do $10, $50 bets, or you can do – right. Right. So they, well, that's what they call it. Bet. That's you a good point. Cycle through, you have to cycle through 500. Yeah, that's a good point. So they, they say 500 free, but what they really mean is $500 worth of free play and that uh, it doesn't have to be all bet at once. So uh, then there is no rollover requirement. So you have to wager through it. You can't just get the $500 free play and say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to bet. I'm just going to withdraw 500. That obviously can't be done. But there's no rollover, which is great. You just have to bet it all once. So so or not all at once, but as Brandon said, you could do a single 500 bet, you could do 10 $50 bets. Once you've done that, whatever you've won, you could say I quit, I withdraw the whole thing, and then they'll send it to with, you within 72 hours. Yes. And and uh so this is this is tremendously positive expectation. Oh, are you kidding me? I've never seen nothing like that in an American company before. It's it's just free money. Yes, it is. And uh so that's why if you're in New Jersey, again you don't have to live there, just if you're standing in New Jersey or you will be sometime before November thirtieth, 
do this, and should, not only should you do this, if you go there with your mom and dad, have your mom and dad do this, even if you, you fund the whole thing. Uh, if you have anybody who is of gambling age with you, even someone who's uh, 95 years old and, and uh, doesn't know where they are, uh, go ahead and do it. And, you know, have every, everybody do it that is physically standing in New Jersey, and, and it's definitely worth it. You will, you will... I dropped a viewer. If you're living in New Jersey and your granny was still alive and she was 102, would you wheel her in just to do this? Would you uh, get her out of the home and put her in the wheelchair and take her in? Not only would I do that, I kind of have done it. Okay, back in the nineties, back in the nineties when I when I had my last grandparent alive, because three of my grandparents were dead by eighty one. So I, most of my life, I had only one grandparent, and then uh, um, after nineteen ninety nine, I had zero. So it's been it's been over twenty years since I had a grandparent. But uh, in the nineties, my grandmother was uh, she was around eighty years old, and uh, she knew nothing about gambling. She was not senile. She was very sharp, but she had knew nothing about gambling and was not uh, had no interest in gambling. But she did like going to Las Vegas for the pool scene. She liked she liked uh, sitting by the pool and and uh, and all going to the pool. She 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 enjoyed the Las Vegas pools. Anyway, she would come with us to Vegas trips, and uh, the Riviera at the time had uh, that wasn't high stakes, but it, but I was I was not a high stakes gambler at all in the nineties. And it had a lot of like kind of like low stakes intro promotions that uh, that they give you this uh, this booklet of free bets you could make. I even think you could get. I don't even think it was a tied to a card. I don't think they had a player's card then. So I think you could get it uh, more than once, not the same day, but uh, you could come back there and do it again. Anyway, she was with us on a trip, and uh, in order to get more positive expectation, I had her get one of these books and she had no idea what she was doing and we would just sit her down as a warm body and then I would tell her everything to do and and I funded the whole thing and and that's uh she was very willing to do it but she had no idea what was going on like she she as far as the gambling part she wasn't senile again but she had no idea from the gambling standpoint what she was doing she just uh really was the warm body over 21 way over 21 that that was there for me so obviously the answer would be yes if my if my grandmother if that same grandmother, who today would be uh, 106 years old, if, if she was still alive, uh, and I was in New Jersey with her, uh, I imagine she wouldn't be able to walk very well, even if she was uh, in good health. I, I probably would have to wheel her up, but I, I would. I would uh, I would sign her up. I'd uh, take her ID out of her purse, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I would sign her up, and uh, I would tell her, if anybody asks any questions, say yes. You're a big time sports better, even though you're a little bit older than the traditional age to be doing it. And if you won, would you take some of the proceeds and maybe buy her a slightly overpriced 1990s pina colada by the pool to sip on? Yes, yes. I, in fact, that would be the enticement. I'd say if if, if we win here, I'm going to use uh, half the money towards uh, getting you a, a cabana at, at one of oh, these wow. uh, one of these pools, and you have you're going to have your own cabana there. So that uh, well, maybe at the '90s prices, but at the 2000s prices, I don't think you would do such a well, thing. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's discounted now because of COVID. I, you know what? I wouldn't be bringing her. That'd be the one thing I wouldn't want to bring her to a, uh, anything with a casino right now at 106. So that uh, yeah, that that would be pretty much a death sentence. So you know, someone of that age Wait, is actually, that old? She would be now if she was still alive. She would be, she would be 106. Yes. Oh wow. Well, I, I have grandparents that would be older if they were still alive. The ones that died yeah. earlier. I have uh, one that would be uh, 113 now. And uh, I think that would be the oldest one. I, they're all around the same age, except for that one grandmother who's, who lived till ninety nine. The rest of them would be like well over one hundred ten at this point. So, listen. Uh, speaking of gambling, on the same subject now, 
Uh, I kind of dodged a bullet. Let me tell you real fast. Uh, yeah. I know this was covered on on the fraud show tonight. Uh, by the way, I'm just waking up. It's three thirty. Was it three forty two in the morning? It is three forty two in the morning. Yes. I'm, yep. Uh, so after jeez, uh, nineteen years, almost twenty years of online gambling, and you know, first I think the first site I ever deposited on in any manner was paradise and then i went to party and then poker stars and then you know whatever so it's been it's almost 20 years next year will be 20 years uh i had never created an account ever uh on bet nor had i ever played in any capacity on bet online um albeit for a sports book or the poker room uh i never ever had any kind of sports book account because i lived in las vegas and there's so many lines available to me and the only thing i guess i could have ever uh got a sports book account offshore was because if I ever was going to do prop bets, the kind of prop bets that you can't bet in Vegas, like player props. And I don't even know how prevalent that was online like 10, 15 years ago. But anyhow, never did any of this stuff, um, you know, because I lived in Nevada and I had, you know, William Hill. I had Cantor. I've had, I have every sports book account you could name that has an online one. I have Win, South Point, et cetera. Okay. So finally, because of this uh, Asian flu, you know, I've been home more and I started really playing a lot more online poker uh, the last eight months. It started with the fail site here. You know, when I say fail site, what do I mean? WSOP.com. Mm-hmm. And then the fail site, although it kind of, you know, fulfilled a little bit of, of my urge and, and what I needed to do, uh, I briefly outgrew it. You know, just not enough games. The limits were too small. You know, it just wasn't enough. So I had to, you know, find something else to do. So I did a little bit of America's card room, you know, always have to worry about the bots. So anyhow, I finally signed up about, I don't know, six weeks ago, a month ago, maybe four or five weeks, whatever it is for an account on bet online. Okay. Not for the sports book, although I guess it's kind of a nice amenity to have, but because of the poker and I didn't just sign up. Like I started watching the game specifically like Potlum and Omaha games and they were pretty decent. Um, or I should say they were good. They, you know, they had decent like mid stakes games are like one, two, two, five, uh, five, ten. You know. So anyhow, deposit on there. Finally, I played for about I don't know, two and a half weeks. And then guess what happens? Obviously the whole thing comes crashing down. <laughs> and you know, the first, well, listen, the first 48 hours they didn't really say much, you know, of like what was going on. There was all these rumors that, you know, that it was hacked and it was bad, but they didn't come out right away, which they should have on Twitter. And my opinion is, and I talked to someone else about this, is because you know they didn't say this because I, I think the first at least 24 hours they didn't know. Everybody on Twitter, and they were, you know, they were posting threads on Twitter. We're sorry about this. We're working on this. Was like, can you please just acknowledge and say our funds are safe? Because there were rumors that this hacking was so bad that it, it, I, you know I'm not a tactical guy, but it did something to something that you know the funds might not be safe. So, or you know, it, well, there, it was there really may have that been, severe. Right, there may have been a concern that that uh, someone hacked it and then got access to their Bitcoin storage and stole. Yeah, a lot right, of exactly, exactly, right, right. That's what I should have said. So, but they, it was crickets. So the first literally two days, they never just came out and said, "Rest assured, your funds are safe." Finally, they did after two days, but still. So anyway, I'm just thinking, really, is this my luck that this site's around 20 years? They even put in their Twitter bio, A plus 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 reputation and. You know, I'm on there for four or five weeks, and I run it up, too. It's not like I'm, you know, talking a couple hundred dollars. I have, you know, several thousand on there, uh, you know, that I had run up over, you know, the course of a few weeks. So, but anyhow, uh, I haven't played yet, but I, I read earlier today, maybe this afternoon or whatever it was, that they're back. Everything is yeah, fine. Yeah, they are. I it, looks, it looks good now, yeah. Yeah. So, 
anyway, that was a little bit of a concern because, you know, I'm just thinking, geez, 20 years I stay away from it. And, you know, I'll tell you something. Uh, I've, I've been playing on it, and it, it, it you know, the, nothing for you. I, in fact, there's not even a limit hold'em game on there. There's no, I know, I know there's not. I haven't even looked much at the poker room. That's why. Yeah. But they have, uh, it's funny, they have one Omaha 8 or better. They have like one eight sixteen. <laughs> I haven't seen it ever go. But for I, I haven't obviously tried No Limit yet. But for PLO, um, you know, which I know that's not anything you really concentrate on. The games are really good. Uh, you know, so anyhow, uh, that's what I've been doing in regards to that. And any, what else, uh, what did I miss tonight? Anything exciting on this fraud show? No, uh, we had a guy, we had an interview at the beginning of a guy who, uh, alleges that, uh, there was a, a cheating device used in a live private game in Boston. And it's, it's, it's a device I've heard of before that we've discussed on the show where, uh, you, you use a, you have two phones you have to leave on the table, uh, on top of each other. One, a real, one, your real smartphone, one, the, uh, a fake phone that is made to look like a phone and that it can read a, uh, a specially marked deck uh, of what of the exact order of the all 52 cards in the deck through RFID and that it can uh, then tell you based upon, of course, the, you know, the way that deck's dealt, it can tell you which seat's going to win. And you have an earpiece and it says like, seat three. And you say, so you know who, uh, you know, seat three is going to win the hand even if all nine people play. And then you, you wait until it's your seat and then you you just you know unlimited keep raising it no matter what your holdings are because you know if you stay to the river you're going to be the winner. So the, he was alleging this happened in in a game in in Boston and uh, it's a whole long story but it's 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 a very it was actually very interesting. I actually learned uh, uh, more about the story than I knew before I wow. uh, had the guy on and it, it was very you, interesting. With with all these solvers now for online and now this the live cheating they're going to make that we're all going to have to be in a bubble naked. Like, you know, with some kind of, you know what I mean? To be able yeah. to play poker in any capacity. That's like, true. No, like, you have to be naked and, and, and there's going to be sort of machines that detect if any kind of RF is coming from your body. I mean, it's nuts what they're doing. Yeah. Nuts. Uh, it, it is. It is crazy. Sons of bitches. And th- this is the first time I've heard about that uh, device actually being used. I, I, I'd seen it uh, being discussed and I even saw ads for it at the time that people had linked to. But this is the first time it's been alleged. Someone even had, they even took a picture that wasn't meant to be a picture of this, but happened to capture this. It was a picture that was sent for another yeah. reason of the game. Pretty interesting story. I'm going to post the picture on Poker Fraud Alert soon. It was uh, posted on Two Plus Two already. But uh, we had the guy on who brought the whole thing out, and uh, that, that was interesting. And, and then the rest I've just been kind of covering you know, smaller topics. And uh, the, this is the last uh, listen, one. I gotta I gotta address something on the fraud show here before we go. That it's going to kind of. Give you some mixed emotions. Yeah. You ready? Go ahead. Okay. The good thing, well, the reason why there's mixed emotions, we have to talk about your Los Angeles Dodgers real fast. Okay. Uh, do you know why there's going to be mixed emotions in this conversation? No, I, I think good emotions, but go ahead. Well, it's going to be mixed in a second. Now, the good news is, as you know, of course, hey, listen, it wasn't looking good in the fifth and sixth. It wasn't looking good four days ago. It wasn't looking but, good a lot, a lot of different what, points here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyhow, so they get there, and now they're favored uh, ESPN, they're Algorithm has them as a 68.3% uh, favorite to win. But the bad news is, buddy, you owe me a $20 value of my choice. Wait a minute. Why is that true? Well, you should know, buddy. We, no, 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 no. I, I think you don't know. We talked about something else, unless I'm confused here. So mm-hmm. Brandon and I did make a bet regarding the Marlins and the Dodgers and the, and their respective records. And uh, despite the Dodgers' uh, tremendous regular season, this is good based, based on their regular season records, 
I, I believe that it was like 13 and a half games, and I think the Dodgers, what, they get 12 or 13 ahead of the Marlins? And so the Dodgers should have won this because they, they won 43 out of 60 games, which is excellent in baseball. But uh, the problem with the Marlins actually finished over 500, which was a, a shock. And uh, mm-hmm. so they barely pulled in, and they, Brandon won this $20 bet. However, what Brandon may not be remembering, and we discussed this part privately. The, the first part was discussed publicly on the show. Privately, what mm-hmm. Brandon told me is that we're going to roll this over at, at some odds for the Miami oh, Heat against the Lakers. Who then? Yeah, and then that was no, the end of right. that. Well, yeah. When I say you're right, you're right. I did. I don't. I mean, I kind of remember, but I. Yeah. Damn it. All right. Well, that's fair. <laughs> that was your offer too. It wasn't even my offer. What did we even? What did I? No, no, no. I know it was. I, I, I do remember. It was one of the. It was a late night, or I was right before I went to bed. We were talking about what? Did, what did we even uh, decide on? Do you remember the oh, odds? I think it was like three, like three and a half to one or something that you were going to get. Okay. And, and then, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. And no, then right. so it's, it's, it's like th- oh, kind of a double or nothing, and you ended up with yep. Zero point zero. So we're we're back even. Yeah, and, we uh, are. We are. I, I don't Sorry, know if I, I, I don't think I, I agree really with. Wasn't, I wasn't. I wasn't angle shooting. No, I, I don't just, think you I were. Swear no, I don't I think you were. Remember. I'm you, not going to angle shoot you for twenty bucks. No, okay. I know. I, I don't, Fair enough. I don't think you'd angle shoot me. So uh, I don't agree. I, I wish this were true, but I don't agree that the Dodgers have a sixty-eight point three percent chance of winning because uh, yeah, Tampa Bay is a good team. Now the offense isn't all that hot, but they they have really tough pitching. And uh, it, it remains the Dodgers have even played well, them. It remains to be seen how they handle that. That's what their metric that they use. You know, they have they do this for everything now. Every like big game that plays, they write in the article according to ESPN's, you know, blah 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 game predictor metric. You know, such and such has a blank percent of chance to win. So you know, what, I don't think I agree with it because a lot of it does does seem really high or low sometimes. But that's what they got of that. Hmm. So, but, but my question is, I remember a couple years ago. Uh, I guess it was when they were in the last World Series, seeing Tommy Lasorda either celebrating or something. He was in a wheelchair. Maybe he was even in the locker room. How is his health now? I mean, I know it's not better, but like, is he still coherent? Yeah, like, yeah, he's you know, still he's still coherent. Um, there's a, there, how old is he? He is he is about to turn ninety three. He and Vince Scully are almost the exact same age. They're two months apart, and uh, I believe Vince Scully is the one who's two months older. But they're both born in, in late nineteen twenty seven, and. Wow. Uh, um, they, uh, Vince Scully actually did a, a little video recently about the, on the anniversary of the Kirk Gibson home run. And he told a little story about that. And, and he, he's still coherent, Vince Scully. You can, t- you can tell he's older and he's, he, he doesn't speak. He's yet. only been retired like two years. What do you mean? Of course. Well, I mean, he can go downhill fast at those, at age. And you can see he's, he's, he's lost some from, but he still seems very uh, coherent. He just doesn't speak as fast as, as he used to. But, uh. I'm also pissed off that his kids are making him sell everything. Right. That's, 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 that's such a weird thing. But, uh, the, uh, can the top- I keep my Babe Ruth? Can I keep my Babe Ruth ring, kids? No, Dad, it's got to go too. I mean, what? That's, yeah, that's, what? that's, that's what crazy. Is, but uh, Tommy the Sword, I think I keep his Babe Ruth ring. Yeah, I don't understand. Right. I think I think that just I think honestly, his kids just don't give a crap about any of this, and they uh, they're like, look, Dad, either you sell it or we're going to sell it. So he's like, yeah. he knows he's not going to live much longer. He's, he's 93. Time of the sorta, there's been some funny pictures of him falling asleep at Dodger games and stuff like that. So um, obviously he's not the, the prime of health, but the fact that at his weight that he has lived to 93 or very close to 93 is amazing. That, that really, uh, he really beat the odds on that one because uh, someone who looked like him and had the uh, 
the weight like he did his whole life, including his late life. He lost for a short time on SlimFast or whatever. He lost some weight. Yeah, I remember that. He but was then, a spokesman in the night. Yeah, I know. But then he gained it back, and, he, and he's still fat. So the fact that he's still alive, at the, I would have never – of all people in baseball, I would not have guessed that would live to 93 and maybe beyond at the time of the sorta. But, but as far as, uh, you know, they, they occasionally have him speaking, and it, it seems like he's not senile. I, I'm sure he doesn't uh, – have the mind he did that he did uh, you know, 30 yeah. years ago, but it's... baseball's a strange sport. Like the other day, not to change the subject, but it's funny you mentioned this. The other day I'm reading the paper and uh, the Chicago White Sox are starting now their new managerial search. They fired a uh, Renteria who got them to the playoffs for the first time in like, I don't even know, is it 12 years, 10 years. But anyhow, the White Sox are starting their managerial search and they requested to interview an employee that was, or they requested, they, they requested to interview someone that's an employee technically with another team right now. Do you have any idea who that employee was? Um, okay, oh, let me give you a hint. Don't even say nothing. It's a, it's a former manager, a very respected manager, who whose managerial career started in the seventies, who has been serving as an advisor for a team on the West Coast, um, in his I guess quasi retirement, but he wants to come out of retirement. And they literally requested, uh, just you know, because he's a paid. Oh, advisor. I know, I know. It's it's, Tom, it's Tony Larusa, right? Yes, Tony, seventy-seven years old. Well, yeah, I know the, the Hall of Fame is pissed because he's in the Hall of Fame and they don't want him managing again. Like, and I saw that. I'm like, I mean, you know, seventy-seven. I'm sure he's you know, maybe he's, I guess a picture of good health, but I mean, that's insane to me. So he's going to start managing again. It's, I mean, he stopped. I think 2010, maybe 12. The Cardinals was his last. But anyhow, the point is. You know, I know that I once had an old manager. You know, I had Jack McKeon, who's now in his 90s. I think he's even older than Lasorda or maybe the same age, win the World Series for us. But he was not supposed to be the manager. The regular manager got fired, and they wanted to bring in somebody just as a short-term, you know what I mean, kind of thing. And they didn't expect him to win the World Series that year. Um, and then he only, I think, managed one or two more years and retired like, you know, 80, 81. But anyhow, I just thought that's really odd. I don't. I think he'd probably be the oldest, you know, high, like new hire, like meaning, you know, starting with a new team, um, coach, manager, you know, and any of us, any sport, soccer, basketball, baseball, any major sport, at least on a professional level, wouldn't you think? Yeah. You and, remember and, anyone and, that started at that age or on a new, no, a new organization? Uh, no, I haven't. And the, but the problem with people of that age is, and there's, there's a, a small number, who, you know, there's who can, who can uh, beat this, but for the most part, People who are seventy-seven, even people who are sharp, sharp at seventy-seven, have still lost something mentally. They still are not uh, what they were twenty years beforehand, and e- even the very best of them are, are still not going to quite be the same as they were, uh, you know, when they were substantially younger than seventy-seven. Mm-hmm. And some people are are way uh, gone by seventy-seven and, and downright senile. Others, uh, you know, they've lost some. So. I don't know where Tony Larusa is, but but then there's also the physical energy part. You've got to do a lot of traveling, and uh, you've got you got to. Oh, every three days you're going somewhere. It's yeah, not, it's insane. Yeah, the, the traveling part of it. Yeah, sure. and and that that can start to uh, wear them down. In fact, that's that's one of the reasons in poker that uh, a lot of older, that very old people don't play tournament poker because the very long days are, are physically difficult for them. That's why Doyle stopped tournament poker for the most point. For the most well, part, that's so. why even the World Series they started at 10 a.m. now because the old people were complaining. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm serious. That's why, like, you know, do you remember what was it? Uh, two years or three years? When did they incorporate the 10 a.m. Yeah, I think it was something like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's why they did it, because people, the older crowd wasn't liking being there at 2-3. But anyway, I thought it was really insane. I read it twice in my first manager. So then the only thing that makes sense to me about this is, you know, now, in baseball specifically, the trend is analytics. And the trend is to hire these managers that basically are puppets, and the front office tell those, tells them what to do. Yeah, you that's what like, the like, Dodgers who like. To start, who not to the start. Dodgers are pretty much that situation. I hate to say it, but they are. Like, they, you know, they... Even you know Don Mattingly was was you know likely you know the puppet manager, but you know the Red Sox are doing this now. It's not like the old days where these managers managed on guts and they managed on experience. So, but anyhow, Tony Larusa, you know, as respected as he is, I mean, he's won th- at least three championships with two teams, and you know, the Oakland A's. He was successful with the White Sox originally. He coached the White. That was his first job. The only thing I could think of is the owner of the White Sox is Jerry Reinsdorf who's been the owner now for, you know, what, 40 years, and he's older. He's in his 80s, too, and maybe he wants an old, you know what I mean? Because maybe he wants an old-school manager for his old-school team because the trend isn't to hire, you know, close to 80-year-olds to, to, you know, to manage baseball. But anyway, I thought it was interesting. Like, just to, you know, he's a name that, like I said, i got to respect the guy. I mean, he won two championships with St. Louis, and uh, but I thought he would be done. Like, you know, I thought I'd never hear that name. Yeah, again. I, I didn't think so either. And, and, and what are we uh, going to hear next? If, if the Dodgers fire uh, Roberts, are we gonna, is Lou Pinella coming back? <laughs> Sweet Lou, buddy. Well, you know, Roberts, Roberts has guaranteed himself. Not that he, I don't think he would have been fired anyway, but the fact that they made the World Series again is. Uh, oh, they're not going to fire. It's, it's 100% guarantee. What are they? Exactly. No chance. But no he, chance even, even for, even for show, just making the World Series, even if they lose, is good enough. By the way, the, the odds you quoted me, the 68 point something percent, it's actually not that far off with, from what the sports books are offering. I looked, uh, on Bet Online, the, our mm. favorite site here we're talking about tonight, uh, if you take away the juice, the line would be, uh, minus 190 for the Dodgers, which, uh, works out to the Bet Online believing that the Dodgers have a, uh, 65.5% chance or six, sorry, uh, no, yeah, sixty-five point five. That's what it is. Sixty-five point five percent chance of uh, of winning the series. I still think it's on the high side, but uh, uh, I, I do think the Dodgers probably match up well as long as the pitching doesn't kill them, because they have a much better offense. The scary thing with the Braves is they had a uh, just like the Dodgers, they had an excellent offense, and uh, and but if they lose every game three to one or you know four to two, it doesn't matter how good their offense. Well, right, that's why if the pitcher shut them down, they're in trouble. And and uh, but at least like with the Braves, the scary thing was that uh, if if Dodgers pitchers are, are having off nights, the Braves can just crush them, and that happened on some of the nights. And then uh, uh, with with Tampa Bay, if uh, provided their pitchers aren't like totally shutting the Dodgers down, uh, the Dodgers pitchers will have an easier time, I think, dealing with that offense than what, what the Braves had, and even what the Padres had. So, uh, well, you know what? I just have a feeling. I want to make one prediction now. I mean, I guess it's not even that big of a prediction, but I am going to predict that there will be another defining moment with Kershaw involved. I don't know which way it's going to go, <laughs> but meaning like they'll either yank him. People will they'll say they yank him too soon, they yanked him too early, or or he'll just choke and give up like seven runs and you know whatever six runs. I can't believe. What, what is it, game five, that it even came to that again, that this guy's leaving him in. I mean, can they not learn? I'm, I'm watching this, and I'm like, if I'm the manager, and I don't know nearly 2% of the amount of baseball that, that you know Roberts knows and whoever he's getting his intel from, I yank Kershaw on that sixth inning, and I don't even think about it. And, you know, just – just even not even knowing about baseball, knowing the history of well, all right. the times they've left him. Too that's long. that's what's happened and, is, is in the process. Doesn't listen. It doesn't even go back to that. It goes back to like Pedro Martinez and all these other stars that are gassed, like you know, in these big games that the managers just say, "Oh well, he'll, he's going to gut it out. He's my veteran." 
And and I'm just like, what is he doing? And sure as shit, it blows up in their face. And I'm just like, I don't understand. Well, it. that's what all the fans think thinking? too. That's what all the fans think watching this. They go, we've seen this over and over. Well, that's with, right. With, yeah, and 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 you know what's going to happen? Twice. Like like what, once. And the thing is, Kershaw has one problem he's always had is that he's not one of these pitchers who can get hit and then not be frustrated. He goes on tilt a little bit. He he gets uh he gets frustrated. And then it it start he he can be prone to giving up big innings when he's not pitching well or when he's tired. He's not prone, he does it. He's done it. So what do you mean? He does it every time. Oh, you know. Every- well, I'm saying, yeah, in, in the playoffs, that's especially. But I'm saying that that this is someone who the second you start seeing uh, later in the well, game listen, that uh, he's not look, he's not pitching well anymore, yeah. you, you take him immediately or he's going to get bombed. The thing that's really really telling is if you look at his ER ERA, you know, lifetime. It goes up every single round. Like his his regular season lifetime ERA is like you know in the in the threes, the low threes. Then the first round of the playoffs, it's like in the low fours. And then you know then the, the ACLS, it's like in the fives. It just goes up and up. You know as as I mean it, you know what I mean. It, it just shows you the struggles. But anyhow, nonetheless, he's a guy. If he gives you five strong innings and he starts to have problems, you yank him right away. I mean you don't even think, especially when he's at like 80, 90 pitches, you yank him. You don't even hesitate. Yeah. By, by the way, his, out there. his last lifetime ERA is much better than three. His lifetime ERA, would you believe, is two point forty three? That's why. Okay, he, and then look at he, you look at the first round. Of, then that's it's like two, three, and four. Then like it yeah. literally goes up a full point. I, I just saw, read this stat the other day. Each round of of the playoffs. But the thing is, I wonder. You know, and there's no way for us to know this. I wonder because I don't even know the rules in baseball if they're allowed to have any communication like outside of. Like the dugout with, like you know, say like the GM or a scouting department. I wonder if Roberts even makes those calls. No, he does. He like doesn't. If, no, and they can't, they can communicate. So, and, like in game, someone is like would, would tell him yank him, leave him in. He's not sitting there using his gut like they used that, to back in. That's probably what's happening. It's never been verified, but the the belief is that the front office is, is making most of these decisions. Yeah, because like a guy like Tony uh, Tony Larusa, no one's ever going to tell that dude. You got to yank this guy because he'd, he'd be like, "Well, you know what? Fuck you. Then you manage. I quit." Well, right. Like, you know that, I mean? That's old the thing with with, with yeah with an old guy like that. He's not going to go along and be a puppet. There's no way. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So then you know what? If that's the case, it really isn't even fair to blame Roberts because maybe he, you know, if he doesn't even have the say so, then you know he's just sitting there. Yeah, like, I just don't, I just know. don't understand why they why they make those mistakes. Now they they did finally do the right thing tonight, and that uh, may have what have been one of the many factors which won them this this series. And that uh, in, they kept running out uh, Kenley Jansen when he kept getting bombed over, like year after year, and this year especially, he's, he's, he lost four miles per hour. He did good yesterday. I mean, he, he got no, he got lucky. He got he got hit hard every time, and it happened to go to a guy in the outfielder every time. He yeah. could have been destroyed, but they just there were three hard hit balls that went directly to people mm-hmm. in the outfield. So yeah, that's that's how yeah. it went. But uh, um, they they saw that. Julio Urias was kicking ass. He, he he pitched two perfect innings, and they're like, you know what? We could put in Jansen, who may or may not be effective, and in fact, uh, uh, we're kind of afraid, based on history and based on recent pitching, he's going to suck. Or we can leave in the guy who has not done anything except get six outs out of six batters so far. So they left Urias in, and sure enough, that was the right move. Three more outs direct, you know, without a runner on board, and Urias pitched three perfect innings to end the game, and that was that. Yeah. So that was a that was the smart move, and the, the Braves they uh, they screwed themselves. They made they made some big blunders, two big blunders in two different games that, uh, that with with base running. They just uh, yeah. big fails and uh, but you know it's part of the game for making these these errors. And this is and it can come from inexperience. It can come from uh, just uh, a, a lot of factors. And the 
So the Dodgers uh, yeah. squeaked by. They was as close as it gets, but they they squeaked by, and they are back to the World Series. And you know, they, you know, it's interesting here now. Regardless of what happens, we are going to have a city. As one city is going to have already two of the four major sport titles wrapped up. Uh, you might not know this because you don't follow it, but Tampa Bay won the NHL. Uh, oh champion. yeah, they won the the, the, the Stanley Cup, That's and they right. don't have they don't have any they don't have a basketball team. So anyhow, if if Tampa, it's interesting if Tampa wins, okay, they're gonna have two of the three, and they're gonna be a you know one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl because they have I don't know if you know this either, but Tom Brady plays now for Tampa yeah. Bay. Yeah, I know. And you know the Super Bowl's in Tampa this year, and they have a good team. Like they just destroyed Green Bay today, so it could be reasonable that after having one championship in the history of, of the city. They may have three major championships in one year, which is nuts. That's now, on the, on the other – yeah, it is. isn't that nuts? On the on the other side of it, the Lakers have already won in basketball. So after having a drought for however many ten years, years, it's been at least 10 years. It was, it was 10 years. Since, yeah, yeah, since the Lakers won, that was their last championship. They could have that. You know, they could have obviously the Dodgers and, you know, you never know. One, It's not likely, but the Rams are, you know – get hot you know they were in the super bowl two years ago but anyhow it's kind of interesting to think that one of these are going to have you know it's hard to get one one of these cities are going to have two of the you know are locked it up for two major championships regardless and then they can't they can't even have the parades <laughs> yeah i know they can't even have the parades well you know what i mean it's you know smart some, something that i'm objecting to with this format that the baseball has is i think it's ridiculous to have these neutral sites if you're going to have fans there if you're going to have fans there we'll just have them play in their home stadiums as normal and and just uh make the players uh quarantine the players where they're wherever they're going to stay you can still do that you you don't have to just because you yeah. have it in two different cities doesn't mean you can't now, have a rule the players I can't leave kept, i even i haven't kept track how are they determining because i remember at first it was like only friends and family. Like the first round, they were letting mainly like the family of players and friends. How are they determining who gets into these games? No, no, it's, it's, it's sold. You can, you can, you could have bought. If I was there in Dallas, I could have gone. But no, but it's not packed. It's limited seating. I know it's eleven thousand. Like, there's eleven thousand seats sold. So that's what I'm saying. How do how do they determine it? They're, they're not. I, mean, I, I don't know who gets. I don't know who gets them in the first place. But on StubHub, there were plenty of seats for reasonable prices. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is there's not a lottery. It's just. It's literally is first come first serve. For I'm not sure how they're originally distributed, but I, I'm telling you that if you want to go, you can st- yeah. you could have bought it on StubHub. And and but what was so frustrating? Th- today's game wasn't so much like that. Today's game, there was a lot of cheering for the Dodgers too. It was kind of seems like split. But but the other six yeah. games, it was like a, a home game for Atlanta every time, except the Dodgers would bat last half the time. But uh, yeah. but other than that, it was well, so much more cheering, and it was frustrating to see. And it, it kind of makes sense because. The Braves are the team of of the South, and uh, and yes, they're not all that close to Dallas, but there's probably a lot more people that were from somewhere in the deep South that now live in the Dallas area than people from L.A. that live in the Dallas area. So there was a lot more Braves fans. Somehow this last game, it wasn't like that. Somehow it was about 50-50 in this last game. Well, in all fairness to Major League Baseball, they're doing this because everybody was tested before uh, the ALC or in the NLCS and the ALCS started, and then now like basketball, none of the players are allowed to leave a restricted area uh, during the ALCS and you know, NLCS in the World Series. Meaning they're in their room and then they're you know they're with the team and that's it. They can't but but they can still the do this. They can't. 
they can still do this. Huh? And if, if if let's say they have this at Dodger no, Stadium, no, but then they have to travel and go and do an airport, and then you know be be on a plane, and they have to like you know just the uh, they, traveling. No, nah, they they could take them on a private plane. It's it's uh well, I, I realize that, but the whole point is they have a campus in you know in both these cities that everyone was tested before. And nobody's allowed into this bubble. No one's allowed out of it. That's that's what they're that's they're thinking is similar to what they did in basketball. No, I know, I, I know that's what happened. But they they didn't think so of the well, fact. I, th- I think what they didn't consider is the fact that number one, once you're there were some plans to allow fans, you know, going fairly far back that they they thought they might do it. So it's not even like this is a last minute decision. They weren't sure it was going to be NLCS, but they thought they might allow fans. Uh, at first, they said just the World Series, then it became the NLCS and ALCS yeah. too. But once you get to that, you go, okay, you know, why not just have it at the regular stadiums and we'll just establish rules, the very strict rules, just like just like the neutral sites. The thing they overlooked was that some of these neutral sites aren't as neutral as it appears. It'd be like it'd be like having it in uh, in Phoenix, and you say, well, okay, Phoenix, that's that's neutral territory. Well, no, it's not because there's tons of LA people that that uh, move to Phoenix. So if it was in Phoenix, you'd have Tons of Dodger fans that are hardly any Braves fans. So it would be unfair to the Braves. Here it was kind of the other way around, where Dallas was. Uh, where they were they hosting this? The World Series. What which stadium is uh, it? Is it San Diego or is it in Dallas? Let me see. Or that, Arlington. Let me see where that is. Uh, that's a good question. Where is the World Series? Look, I, it's funny. That's the one thing I didn't think of. Because if it's in one of the, those two, then somebody has a disadvantage, at least initially, in that they have to travel. While the other team is still there, it might be in a new city. Yeah, it, it, no, it's it's in Arlington, which okay. th- that one should be so, more even so because Tampa's going to have to travel to where the Dodgers already are. Yeah, but that that's not a huge deal. Uh, the, well, it kind of is. Only a little I mean, bit. Kind of it's, not, it's not even that far. I, I think that uh, at least here, it's probably less likely that you're going to have a lot of Tampa fans. Is one, it's a newer team. Not really new, but he has twenty years old or whatever. And then uh, sec- well, second, well, it's longer than it's longer than twenty years, by the way. Uh, twenty-two years or something. It's close to twenty. Uh, okay, let me look. And and, and I that, don't think Tampa has that good of a following. Well, that's what I'm saying. They don't have they don't have that big of a following, and, and it's not like the Atlanta Braves, which are not just for the Atlanta area. It's kind of for the whole deep South. So uh, Tampa doesn't. They kind of just have the t- that that area of Florida, and that's it. So they they probably won't have that many people living in Dallas. So that's that'll probably be, if anything, probably more more fans of the Dodgers. But uh, th- this last series, it was so tilting to watch these quote Dodgers home games, where there's just so much more cheering for the Braves, and that must have been tough. Yeah, ninety eight. So this is her twenty third season. So, but they have a terrible following, and they're you know a couple years ago. Listen, I'll tell you something. They're they're like the uh, East Coast version of the Oakland A's, but more successful. They still have one of the lowest payrolls, okay, and you know in all of baseball because they're a, such a small market team. Yet, you know, and they can't retain their own massive free agents. And you got to remember they lost one of the best pitchers, you know, of our generation when when he was in his prime, which was David Price. You know, this is when David Price yeah. was really good in his twenties. But anyway, so the point is, though, if you look, I don't know the numbers, they're in definitely way way low in the bottom third no, of they salaries. Are. No, no, they're very low. And, and yet they still they still feel these competitive teams year after year. It's kind of amazing. Well, they've taken a new. Yet, they take. They, they're the ones who invented this uh, bullpen game approach, which has gotten more popular in recent years. Where they, uh, where, where it's no longer just you put in a starter for a lot of innings and then try to bridge to your closer for for two innings and then get the yeah. closer. They 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 are starting games where the starting pitcher is expected to go one or two innings, and uh, they have so kind of the approach they've taken is this this pitching centric approach. 
where they, uh, they they put a lot of like a whole lot of tough, hard throwing pitchers at you one after another, and, uh, and, yeah. and and they had a playoff game last year where they had their their starting pitcher pitch one guy and they moved them. They yanked him. Yeah. On they purpose. Can't. They had a guy come in and do face one. I'm not making this up. You can Google it. It was the strangest thing. It never, and there was a logic behind it, but they had a guy come in, start face one batter. They yanked him and they put in another guy that went two innings or whatever he did. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, everything you're saying is obviously accurate. It's, it's uh, now all these teams are doing like these bullpen days. Yeah. Like but, even the Braves did one a couple, what, was it yeah, game five? Yeah, yeah. And T- Tampa Bay basically invented that. That was their invention. And the reason they have to invent this is because it's easier to uh, put together uh, a, a team full of like a lot of uh, really uh, hard throwing relief pitchers than uh, if you're on a budget than to try to uh, get together a team that, that really hits a lot because uh, the uh, it's, these pitchers, there's a lot of variance that so can be good for a short time and get bad. Like with, with hitters, it's it's hard to just get a, a, a consistent group of people together that that are going to crush and you can predict they're going to crush. It's it's actually easier to do what they're doing with the pitchers. So that's what they as as a low budget team, that's kind of their only choice, and that's why they they invented this and it's 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 worked so far. So it's funny if you look at their lineup, their their offensive lineup, it's it's not very it doesn't look very good, and uh, and sure enough. Even the terrible Los Angeles Angels, quote Los Angeles Angels, they're not real Los Angeles team, they're the Anaheim Angels. But if you look at them, they actually scored more runs than Tampa did. And uh, so Tampa did not have a particularly good offense. It's a mediocre offense, and uh, the Dodgers obviously have a great offense, but uh, Tampa has these really tough pitchers. So we will see what happens when you, you put that together. And uh, I, I actually think of, if, of, of the teams that could have faced the Dodgers from the AL, I think, Tampa probably is a good matchup for them, just the way their team is made. So uh, I always like when the Dodgers face teams that are uh, not like them rather than ones that are like them. The ones that are like them kind of scare me. And the Braves are kind of like them. So they, that scared me, and sure enough, they came very close to losing. So anyway, we'll see. Uh, I believe it's Tuesday this starts. And uh, by the way, speaking of, radio, of, of the schedule here, I'm going to be watching all these games yeah, the, the dates are uh, the 20th, Tuesday, the 21st, the 23rd, 24th, 25th, 27th, 28th. Of course, the last three are if necessary. I will not have uh, radio on competing with this. So the next radio is tentatively scheduled for Saturday the 24th, which uh, is the day of a game. However, that game starts at 5 Pacific, and they run pretty long, but... Uh, I have to imagine that I will have the radio after the game is over, much like uh, today. So it, it may be a late show again, as far as the time it starts. And uh, that, just keep that in mind. But then the following week, that won't be the case. But I did mention, as at the beginning of the show, I have some tooth pain, which I think is unfortunately caused indirectly by COVID because I couldn't get a cavity filled. And I think it may have turned to a root canal. So uh, I, if I do have to have a root canal this week, before Saturday, then... There probably won't be radio this week anyway, but uh, provided that uh, there either is no root canal or uh, I can feel okay to do radio after it, then uh, there will be radio on Saturday after World Series Game 4, which will definitely take place. And uh, so count on it probably 9, 30, 10 o'clock, like give about half an hour to an hour after the end of the game. And then uh, we'll do it. But that's just, uh, that's the way it is. Got to work radio 
around uh, other things. And uh, I guess that's about it. And uh, anything else you'd like to say, Brandon, before I shut this down? Uh, no, I think we're good. Was there any, any kind of uh, comment tonight on this whole Raymond Davis, or did you cover it all yesterday? No, I, covered, or last week. I covered it all last week. No, uh, but the, the new four, the splitting, the people leaving and creating a new thing. No, that, are, that was actually created a while ago. The, this action sports poker group, which was created by Terry King, mm. has existed for uh, a few months now. More than a few months, probably. Oh, okay. And, and uh, it just, some people just didn't realize it was there. And, and yeah, Raymond Davis is posting on Real Grinders as if nothing happened. And uh, one thing I'll say for him, though, he's not uh, – he hasn't been blocking people or banning people that, that criticize him. He just kind of takes it. And uh, I, I think one of the other admins there is now banning some people, but uh, Raymond Davis kind of takes it. He'll sometimes say something back, but uh, – He's, what is he? But what? How can he not? What is he going to do? Well, he could just he could just throw people out who are, who have say anything uh, negative to him. But he's decided but that's going to gonna look bad on him. Well, that's probably why he's not doing it. But I'm just saying that yeah. that's his approach. And uh, but it it has no future. Like he's the the only value that Real Grinders has is uh, is the list of eighteen thousand poker players, which I would think would be worth something monetarily. Like if someone wanted to buy that, buy the group, rename it, you know, completely have different management. Just have it be a completely different group that already has a member base. That's that's where it has some value. It definitely has some value there, especially if you're going to yeah. promote, promote things there. If you're going to promote uh, poker bros type crap, or if you're going to promote some kind of uh, sports betting thing, legal or illegal, whatever it is. The, I noticed you're not promoting the show in there anymore. <laughs> well, no, I actually stopped that. Yeah, I stopped that a long time ago. When this is all oh, going. Yeah. I, didn't, well, I didn't think that was a, a, yeah. a smart thing to continue doing. Uh, and uh, uh, but. I, in fact, I'm not even posting there anymore. I'm, I'm reading it, but I'm not really posting it. Like I, I, the, the whole thing really has no future at this point. And as I said last week, uh, prior to all of this, it was very successful. It, it had a lot. Of, they they did a lot of things right there. And uh, even though the group Real Grinders was, it started off as a completely different thing, not even as a mm-hmm. Facebook group, and that was fail and it was a dumb idea. Uh, they happened to stumble into a good idea with a Facebook group, that, and, and Ray Davis had a good personality to lead it. Like he was a, it had a lot of elements together that, uh, that and, yeah. and Ray Davis was was responsible for a lot of his success, and and I'll give him credit for that, regardless of uh, any, anything else he did. But um, but but now it's ruined. Like you can't uh, you can't come back from no. what, what's what's attached to it here. And no. uh, the the only chance he had is if if uh, they had dropped the charges or something, something where he'd have a reasonable. Explanation for hey look I was not guilty they uh, they they tried to charge me for pleading guilty to lesser charges is not that yeah you're not going to yeah. get out of that with, with this type of yeah. that type of charge if it was if it was something that was uh, not uh, something that society hates so much then that'd be a different story like uh, let's say it was it's embezzlement or something as long as it wasn't like other poker pros even if it was other poker players maybe he'd get out of it but but something like this where it's uh, involving uh, the sexual assault of a minor you if you if you plead guilty to a lesser charge it's pretty much it you're uh, yeah that's uh, your name is mud and you're never going to get out of that and anything associated with you is tainted and and that's the way it is so i i knew that as he kind of felt like he's going to come back out and somehow get his and then he the shocking thing was that he actually had some decent support there and people weren't really trolling him that hard until the Terry King thing happened, and then it just com- they completely fell apart. That was that was it. And yeah, and then, let me ask you one. I'm oh, sorry, go on. No, no, go you on. can go ahead. Say, and I was going to say one other question, and you know, don't go into it long if you've already talked about it. But uh, just for me and anyone that might have missed the beginning, was there any update on the uh, lawsuit? 
the Mike Possible lawsuit? There was not. I, I did not. Uh, we will give updates as uh, things happen and as uh, we feel it's okay to say what's happening. And uh, basically, whatever Eric Benzamokin says, even though his real name is Eric Benzamokin, I'm still going to call him Eric Benzamokin. Uh, whatever is he, that true? Yes, he, uh, he corrected me last show, and I felt I felt Wait, stupid. So you've been calling him by the wrong last name all these years. For, for, for two and a half years, yes, I, I've oh, been calling dear. him the wrong name, and he never corrected me until last week. And he didn't even correct that's me; cute. he just said uh, he just repeated it back. And I'm like, wait a minute, it's is not that Eric Benzamokin? It's Eric Eric Benzmokin. It's Eric Eric Benzamokin. Oh, he never he never corrected me, and that, now I'm just kind of stuck seeing him as Eric Benzamokin. I can't picture him as a like. I think of him like when I'm thinking about him. Like, like, I think, okay, like Eric Benzamokin's doing such and such for me in this case. Like, I, I, I'm not even going to remember Eric Ben Shaka Khan. Is that what you said? <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't get, I can't, it, I've been doing it for two and a half years. I can't get it out of my head now. So, uh, anyway, uh, I'm letting him direct the whole thing. I, I realize he's the expert in this and not me. And that, uh, so whatever he says that I can say, then we'll say, or, or I'll have him come on here to say it. And when he's, says, I can't say something, I won't say it. I know he knows uh, best what to do. I said earlier in the show, and I'll repeat this here, because I, I didn't play his, his ad tonight, but you guys are probably sick of it anyway. But I, I will say here that uh, uh, I've, I've been, of course, in a lot of contact with him recently about this matter, and we've been uh, going over everything and, uh, and the strategy and everything else, which I can't reveal at this time. But I will tell you that I, I have now gotten to see firsthand the work that he does, where before I would just talk about it, and sometimes you know I would go to lunch with him, and he would tell me about uh, some of the work he was doing. But I had no firsthand knowledge of the quality of the work that was being done. But the, you know, he he would send me things uh, of of the work he's doing for this, and I'd be very impressed. I go, wow, this is very good. I was like, I was very impressed with the stuff he's doing and the thought process behind things. Sometimes I would even like uh, I would have an idea about something, and then he would tell me why. Like this isn't a good idea. Or this is wrong. It's the wrong way to approach. And I'd say, okay, you know what? You're right. Like, <laughs> I, I, he came up with a lot of things here that I, I didn't think of. And uh, um, never have I said, okay, I'm going along with this, but I think you're wrong. Like every time uh, involved with this case, I, I've decided that even if it wasn't what I was uh, originally thinking, that he was actually correct. And uh, I'll be able to say more about this, of course, in the future. But but I've been very impressed with everything here. And if anybody has a uh, matter that uh, you would need to hire him for for any uh, federal case or case in California, if you're anywhere else and it's going to be a state case, he can't help you because he's not uh, a member of the bar of any other state except California. But he can do any federal case, any uh, California case, and he's you know, he's knowledgeable in, in a lot of areas of law. And uh, so I, I've been very impressed with what I've seen here. And Did, uh, uh, you don't have to answer this if you can't. I don't know why you wouldn't, but you can just say no comment. Did uh, did you get served yet? Um, or did any other defendants get served? Is any other defendants? I don't know. I actually don't know about the other defendants. And uh, I any, here, here's what I'll say about myself. Have, have is, any of the other defendants commented publicly about anything the last week or so? Yes. Uh, Veronica posted that, that basically she and, and Matt Berkey are just going to like fight it head on and, and not even try to get it dismissed that they wanted to go to discovery. And they said that in Twitter. Um, I have not said anything either on this show or on Twitter or on poker fraud alert, the approach I'm going to take, uh, people will see it as it happens, including, uh, the plaintiff in the case. They will, they will, 
see it as it occurs, and uh, then then we will discuss it as it's occurring. But we're not going to uh, give anything away at this point. Uh, but uh, no, I don't think anybody has posted publicly they've been served, or if they have, I haven't seen it. And um, I will say, this is one thing I'll put out there, that uh, avoiding service is not at all any kind of uh, tactic here. It, it, uh, it wouldn't work, and it is not something I'm doing. So that's, uh, it, it, that is inconsequential. There's, no, uh, there's going to be zero attempt. And I'm not just saying this to sound good. I, I'm telling you that there's zero attempt by me to avoid service here that has nothing to do with anything we're doing. And well, I'm not, cause, is it because you've already acknowledged there's a lawsuit? Is no, that, that, that part doesn't matter that much. But, uh, but it's just uh, without me getting into detail, that's absolutely not part of it. So if anyone thinks that maybe I'm just not answering the door or hiding away, it's a, there's, there's a, I, I can guarantee you guys this has absolutely nothing to do with our strategy. And uh, in fact, uh, I, I believe even Mike Puzzle is aware of that. So uh, they, they, uh, that's not, not something that is going to be done here. And uh, we are uh, taking a strategy, which I, I believe is correct. And we will uh, reveal more when, when the time comes, which, May not be that long from now. As far as the results, there may take some time because. So listen, I got to ask you with this Ben Shaka Khan. You played the commercial. We said his name. Why would he wait two and a half years? Because now I'm thinking I don't even think I can get the name right in my head. <laughs> well, I, me say I again, asked him that. The right name. It's well. What's the right name again? Eric, ben, ben Samakhan. That's really going to be hard, man. Yeah. Well, Ben Samakhan. It is going to be hard. Ben Samakhan so just sounds more natural nothing. to me. There's ads. We're talking about him. Why would he correct it? Why did he wait? I, I think he's just a nice guy. He really is a very nice guy. Well, I think. You know he, what? I don't know if I can trust no attorney <laughs> that won't even correct the wrong last name. How is he going to know? Maybe you do something wrong here, and he waits till 2023 to tell you. No, no, no. He's, he's. I know. I know this because when I've I've told him that I I think we should do such and such, and he says no, this is not what we should right. do. It Here, here's how we should. And and I think what what's this guy talking about? And he explains, and I go, oh, you know what? You're actually right. So th- this is why I I trust the the expert here is the attorney and. And not myself, who who only only uh, has a character that's an attorney, but uh, is is not an actual attorney and has no training to be an attorney. I've never gone to a, a law school for a single day in my life. So uh, anyway, that's uh, I, I I trust all his advice here. I'm letting him direct the entire process, and uh, and I told him that I said I'm, I'm going to be a, a very uh, easygoing client here. I'm not going to be someone who's uh, questioning everything or demanding it if i do have a question like why are we doing this or what what, what's the reason i'd like to hear from him but i and he tells me but i'm i I have i said i'm gonna let you direct this and uh, Mm. i'll believe you know what what you're doing here now now listen hold on just because i know we can't run too long real fast while it's in my mind i I, you know lose track sometimes did you talk about the uh bag searches and metal detectors at the wind we discussed that last week because we're doing okay. a show every six days now, not every seven days. It's been every six nice. days just so we can get back to Friday. It's it's, it's a slow march back to Friday. Mm-hmm. Did you talk about Caesars reinstalling to some degree parking? I, I have not talked about that. We can briefly discuss that. Uh, I th- My opinion on this, you can tell me what you think, is that they are doing this to uh, dissuade some of the criminal element from coming there. Just to make it harder. Because sure. uh, because this is they're making it free for locals for now, and they're making it free for people with a platinum card or higher, as it's always been. So uh, they're basically saying if if you have not and free for hotel guests and free for hotel guests. So so basically, if you aren't supposed to be here either because you've gambled here enough before, 
uh, to get platinum, which isn't that high, but you, you have to have you know, done something or at least gotten the credit card, uh, or, or if you aren't staying here or if uh, you aren't local. So if you're just some out-of-stater who just wants to stop by here and, and uh, likely cause trouble, you probably don't fit in any of those categories, and therefore it, it's not impossible to get in, but it gets a little bit harder when you can't park there. That's what or I you think. Can just pay the, or you can just pay the twenty dollars, which which they probably yeah. won't though. They'll probably go somewhere yeah. that they don't have to pay it. I think they're trying to like yeah. shift the problem elsewhere. <laughs> so. you talk about Planet Hollywood's poker room reopening. Um, I, I have not. The only thing I said about Planet Hollywood was that they are uh, only opening the hotel from uh, Thursday through Sunday, but the casino will stay open the entire mm-hmm. week. All right. Well, the poker room's open. Yeah. So how do you feel about uh, since you're in Vegas there? How do you feel about playing live poker at this point? Personally, um, I played a little bit, and I mean, when I say a little, I mean a little, and it's only been at the South Point with uh, a couple of my friends, um, and they, you know, they have the uh, plastic thing there. Um, I, you know, I, I've done it a, a couple times now over four months. I mean, I, when I mean a couple, I mean literally a handful of hours. Uh, you get used to it. I don't particularly like playing with a mask over my face, but I mean, really, after you sit down there for a while and you know, it's not an impediment for me and like my breathing or my comfort level. You kind of just kind of forget about it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, you know, I guess now I've become sort of just uh, used to everything to such a degree that like, you know, when I have to go to the grocery store, I go here, I go there. I put my mask on like in second nature. I walk, you know what I mean? So I don't even really, and I'm constantly scrubbing my hands. I'm sanitizing my hands. Um, you know, it's kind of like they say, I, I know it's cliche, but it really has become like a new normal where it doesn't seem odd to me anymore. Um, but uh, in terms of, like, constantly going out, like, you know, when I go out four, five, six days a week, like I've done at some points in my life and play poker, no, I wouldn't. Um, I just i have been basically every couple of weeks going out maybe for, you know, a few hours into a poker room, and it's only been the South Point. Um, just because, I've, you know, you go stir-crazy. I mean, it's been, you know, it's going to be a year and a few months. Well, right, and then that's – there's you know, actually – there's actually a topic that's been brought up here, not on the show recently, but uh, a topic that I see in the news a little bit, and that's called uh, pandemic fatigue, where people are just so sick of uh, all the I things they can't have do, that. Sure. and yeah, that they, have they that. some have just decided to say, you know what, I, I'm not going to completely let my guard down, but I'm not going to be as vigilant as I was before. I just can't stand it anymore. I'm just going to go back. So this and- is what I, this is what I've done. I've gone with Jeannie and a couple other of my friends to the South Point. I've played. Three times. That's it. So when you ask me, I can tell you the exact amount of time I've played live poker. I've played three times in this Omaha 8 or better turbo tournament that they have um, at the South Point. I think it's two days a week, but I've only gone on Tuesdays. And uh, I've done that like two in the afternoon. It lasts three hours. It's not long at all. And that's it. That literally right there encompasses all of my uh, online or my live poker since all this has started, you know, almost a year now. And I have not played at the Bellagio. I've not played at the Aria. Um, and, uh, I probably won't until this is resolved one way or the other. You know, now I'm just starting to get concerned that, you know, I don't know what happened. It, it seemed a few months ago, a few, few short months ago, even weeks ago that there was going to be a, you know, a vaccine relatively soon. Now people are saying that this is going to, you know, likely drag into the middle of next year easily without, you know, or, yeah, that's what I, some people right, are right, right, and I can believe that because I think that uh, it's not they haven't made enough progress with any of them before it, it appears it's going to be 
really soon, and there's a good chance it won't be till January until yeah. anything's available. And then there's the matter of distribution. You've got uh, a, a massive population in the U.S., and uh, and so even things like uh, yeah. like let's say they were to make a hundred thousand doses a day, well, that sounds like a lot. No, it's not. <laughs> not with three hundred thirty million people, that would yeah. take an eternity. So they they have to really mass produce it, and that's only once they've gotten. Uh, a, a vaccine approved, and then there's the question of how effective it is, and then also there's probably going to be some priority distribution for those who need it the most, and then probably a general group after that. I I would think it'd be smartest to do it in phases, uh, based like several phases, based upon how yeah. needy they are, so where we'd be kind of so, in the middle. I guess to answer your question as, as accurately as I can, what I the, the approach I've taken now the last couple months, I guess maybe since like August. September is, um, I don't frivolously go out. There's some things I wouldn't do. Like I, I can't even believe this where I live. They have, I don't know. It's not even a park, but it's like a big plot of land where they like, you know, they'll sell Christmas trees part of the year. And anyhow, they have a big thing here set up now for like three weeks for Halloween where they have like rides, like a festival where they have rides or selling pumpkins or, you know, it's like a fair, you know, where they have like, you know, the Gravitron and, you know, all these different (laughs) rides for kids and families. Remember the Gravitron thing yes. when we were kids? And, and they have like, you know, cotton candy, but it's big. It's not like it's, you know, just, but so anyhow, I saw tonight, you know, I had to go to the store uh, earlier today, I should say. And it, I mean, it was fucking packed. It was just packed wow. with families and kids. I mean, it was like, you know, you know, it was packed. I, I don't even know if it was in violation of or in compliance with the law. But anyhow, I would never do anything like that. I wouldn't go to a place like that. I'm, I'm not going anywhere crowded. Um, but, you know. At this point, like we just said, this could drag on for quite some time. So I'm very smart. You know, like when I go out, I, you know, obviously I always have a mask on. I have it above my nose and I'm constantly doing my hands and I'm constantly making sure that no one's in my face or close to me, but I'm really, really constantly doing my hands. Well, I'm just, and making sure I, I, don't I have touch some it. bad news for you, unfortunately. And, the, the, the two pieces of bad news are that, uh, your yeah. hands probably don't help you that much. It's probably not spreading much from surfaces and the mask doesn't help you. It only helps others who might get it from you. So uh, th- now the uh, these things can't hurt, but I'm just saying that these, are, uh, these aren't helping you much, uh, but you know, limiting how much you go out and keeping away from crowds obviously is uh, sure. a, big, a big factor. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I personally, uh, I have uh, – I remember the last time I went into a supermarket, now many, many months ago. I think it was an early – Are you April. still basically quarantining yourself at home? Yes. So so, uh, wow. so I, or at least I don't go indoors anywhere. So I went – the last time I was inside a supermarket was like early April and uh, I was I was in a Target and I was just – I was freaking out in there. I was going, I'm going to catch in here. I, I know it. There's so many people here. I see a kid coughing. Like I, like so many different things were, were going on around me. I was going, I was so stressed in there and I go, I can't do this every, I feel like the odds are going to catch up with me. If I'm here, if I keep going here again and again and again and again, one of these times I'm going to get it. And I, so I said, you know, I've got to, I just got to stop. I've got to stop going anywhere indoors. And I did. And the few times I have had to go indoors since then, like, when I had to take the ancient dog to the vet or things like that, I, I've hated the whole thing. I, in fact, I was indoors uh, about uh, a week ago. I took a blood test, and I hated that, but I had to do it. Uh, so I, I occasionally have to do it, but I, when I do, I'm hating it. So anything, even when I, I may have to go to the dentist this week, there's a good chance of it because of this tooth pain I'm having. 
Uh, I'm one of the things I'm really going to hate about this is the fact that I have to go indoors and and sit there in the office and even have someone up close to me uh, examining me uh, who who sees a lot of patients every day. You know that I'm not happy about, but you know I, I, if I have a dental emergency, there's nothing I can do. So uh, th- there's like this really makes me concerned, and I. I, I just try to rationalize to myself, okay, if I do this very few times, the chance of me getting it is still very low. If I'm just keeping my exposure very low, yeah, I could run really bad, but uh, it really is kind of a numbers game. If I just really limit this to when it's absolutely necessary, if I have to go indoors every so often, I'm probably going to be fine. But uh, but I can't bring myself to do anything that is optional or has another way around it where I don't have to do it. Uh, I've even, I haven't gotten a haircut in over eight months, and I'm finally... Going to and Benjamin hasn't either, and Benjamin's complaining about it. So I'm finally breaking down, and I'm probably going to go. I, I, there's this hair. The person who cut our hair last time, I actually have her phone number, so I texted her and I said, uh, "Can you come?" I was my idea for was for her to cut our hair in the backyard, but she's like, ah. "Oh, I, I've got." Well, I thought that was a good idea because it's uh, yeah. it doesn't no one's indoors. It's it's in our it's it's an environment I control. But she says, oh, I can't bring my equipment. I have too much. I just didn't feel like doing it. So she says, well, you know, I'll do it at my house, though. And I said, well, who lives there? She said, oh, just me and my husband. So I actually I actually might do it. I might just bring me and Benjamin down there, get our hair cut. And uh, um, it, it is worse for him because uh, his hair grows in front and mine doesn't because – Y'all can't, like, just get some scissors and have his mom just kind of do something? No, it, it, it wouldn't look good. So – all right. So we're, we're, but it is in his eyes now. So I'm like, okay, I'll break down and do it. Like I, I could continue going on. My, my hair's, it looks very messy now with how it's been eight months since it's been cut. But it, it's the thing is, it doesn't grow on my eyes because my, my hair in front, I've, I've lost some. So I, I I'm not, uh, I don't look bald, but uh, my, my hairline is not what it was when I was 18. So uh, for me, I could continue going on, but. Uh, yeah, Benjamin wants it. And I said, okay, I guess my, we'll pro- I'll probably text her and say, let's just do it. So, I, like, if I keep the exposure down uh, minimal, then that's uh, I still feel pretty good about it. I think it is kind of a numbers game and also a game about uh, of how uh, of where you put yourself, how dangerous of an environment you're putting yourself in, and uh, it. it it would really suck if I got it with all this cautiousness and then I get it anyway. It would also be like if I were to get it at this point, it would be also be very frustrating in that I could have just lived normally for the last eight months and, and gotten it anyway. Like like what what have I gained if I've stalled it for eight months? The only thing I would have gained is if it gets really serious, then I'm better off today than I would have been eight months ago because there's more known about it. But aside from that, if it doesn't get really serious and I get what's kind of a typical case for my age, it'll be the same as if I had it at the beginning. So, uh, so th- that's another thing. I've put so much effort into not getting it so far. I'm kind of pot committed in this. Like, I, you're kind of, yeah, you're in too deep, right? Yeah, I, I'm pot committed. I, I have to now see it through, and at least, uh, like, if I could ride this out until it either just goes away or something is is invented to stop it, like a vaccine or a good treatment, then and and then I never, I just never get it. Then I can pat myself on the back and say, okay, I did everything right, and 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 it, and it paid off. But so I, I feel kind of pot committed, especially because. You know, I, I think there's going to be something happening in 2021. I don't think we'll be – I don't think in the summer of 2021 we'll be in the same spot that we are right now. It just is a bit longer than some people thought. But I, I never really expected a vaccine in 2020. That was never what I was – I didn't believe it would go away in 2020. I didn't believe we'd see a vaccine in 2020. I always thought kind of 20, early 2021 was kind of when we were going to be looking at it. And uh, so I couldn't bring myself to play live poker. I've actually gotten unused to playing live poker. I would like to go do it again, but – 
not enough to to take any of these risks. So I'm just uh, I'm just uh, riding this out still. And the the worst thing about all this is that every day is like the same, and that's that's kind of frustrating. That there's it, it's the same in many ways. The same food wise, same activity wise. There's there's nothing. Uh, there's very little that's different. That's why like I. I'm going to be sorry when when the baseball's over, which for a lot of people it already is. At least uh, my team's still in the, one of the two teams left. Because once that's over, you then, can't uh, get in the. You have no interest in football. Huh? I just don't have that much interest in the NFL. So so strange. So college it, too. Yeah, the college either. So so like once baseball's over, like at least that was something that was that was more different from day to day, and that that yeah. uh, seemed a little more like the the old uh, normal as as long as I could ignore the fact that the stands were empty. It, now we'll just be back to that that old thing, and you know, and I just say, okay, as long as I don't have it, then I can. And nobody else I'm close to has it. I, I can be thankful for that, and and move forward. This this uh, if I have to have a root canal, that's gonna be so like that's gonna be so frustrating. Let's see here. Let's, let's throw someone else on. Why not? Before we end the show here, caller, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Caller, hello. What's happening, boys? Hey, buddy. <laughs> Look who we have. At 4.43, how, how often does Traderuski join the show at 4.43 a.m.? But well, here we are. Now, was Traderuski on last night with you? No, no. This yeah. is his first appearance. Oh, okay. Because I knew he, he texted me. He must have fallen asleep because he texted me last night. And he said radio. And I'm like, buddy, I've been up watching football all day. I'm not going to make it. And I guess he, he didn't. Trader Ruski, you didn't make uh, the, the show last night, did you? I was, I was hoping for an early start, but I don't think uh, it started till what time? After 10, Jeff, huh? No, because the game went a while, and then I just had to get it ready, and uh, yeah, it, I didn't get it going. And this is, uh, you know, the show actually would have been over a while ago. I was very close. I was, like, really sh- close to, to playing the end music, and then Brandon called in, and we've just kind of been chatting about a bunch of random stuff for the last hour, and then and now now we've got you, and... Uh, well, I, I texted him and told him we were still on. Oh, okay, so. okay. Well, whatever. It's uh, yeah. We have him, nonetheless. I, I would have preferred it was a surprise to you, but oh well. And I, I saw there, there was a post in the forum from, from Gaucho Jake mentioning the history that uh, he actually knew you, Trader Ruski, from, uh, from somewhere outside of Poker Fraud Alert, and that it happened... It's a crazy he, story. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing, huh? And, and he went to the same college as me, too. And and I believe I've never named who she is, but I believe he he probably knew at least somewhat the first girl I ever had sex with. But wow. I, I've, I've never told him. But he he may have gone to the same high school as her, and I think they may be the same age, or very close to the same age. Wow. Yeah. But I haven't. He, I, he might be your Eskimo brother. <laughs> what was that? What was that? You might be a what? I, 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 said, I said he might be your Eskimo brother. You never know. No, no, no. I hope not. Alice, did you did you tell Trader Ruski the big news about uh, the lawyer? Um, what big news? Oh, how to say his name? Oh, he he heard the last show. You, you know that we've been saying Eric Benzamokin's I did, name I wrong. Did. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that. Hold on, it. Trader Ruski. How do you pronounce the PFA uh, lawyer on retainer? How do you pronounce his last name? I gotta go with uh, I gotta go with the bad guy and say Ben Smokin. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Eric Ben Shaka Khan. Ben Shaka Ben. Wait, what is it? Ben Shaka Ben Salmakan. Oh, gee, I'm never gonna get that. 
You know that what? Sounds like a character like on Star Wars or something. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just can't because of all these all this time. I just can't get used to it, no matter what. And uh, you know who I have to thank for the fact that I even know him is that Adam Schwartz. Indirectly, oh, yeah? how's that? Indirectly, because he listened to he was a listener of the Two Plus Two Poker Cast, and uh, Adam Schwartz mentioned that he listened to this show. So then, uh, which I appreciate that Adam said this. So he said this multiple times on the Two Plus Two Poker Cast and and on his new Dad Poker Podcast. So. Then Adam Schwartz saying that made uh, Eric think, hmm, well, okay, if Adam listens, it, it's probably pretty good. So then, then he goes to download it, and it comes out like seven hours. He's like, oh, my God, what is it, seven hours? I, I can't listen to this. And then That's he funny. goes, so he goes, well, okay, I'll give, I guess I'll, t- I'll give it a shot. And he starts listening. He goes, oh, wow, I, I really like this. Wow. It's like the, so like the seven hours flew by, and then he was uh, very enthused with the show. And then he, he, he went back and listened to some old episodes and he started listening every week and, and then uh, he made contact with me and that was, that was how it started. So he, he found this thanks to Adam Schwartz. Otherwise he would not be here. He would, he would not be oh, my wow. attorney right now. It's all thanks to Adam Schwartz. I never knew that was a backstory. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I always ask people who, who kind of find this show new where they find out because if there's a, um, if there's some way people are finding out that I haven't been pushing enough, I want to push it more, but, uh, yeah, Adam Schwartz has gotten some others over here that have told me that they listened because he mentioned it. So I, I appreciate that he did that. Hmm. And I, I, that's why, in turn, when he started his new show with, with Negreanu and Terrence Chan, that was away from 2 Plus 2, uh, I, I've mentioned that. to get. And there have been some people who said that they listened to that. They didn't know about that show and that they went to go listen because of me. So I said, okay, that's good. I'm glad I'm returning the favor. Nice. So, uh, Trader Ruski, what's on your agenda today, buddy? <laughs> we already lose him. You know, at first, I, no, I thought I'd start the first few hours just celebrating the Dodger victory. You know, just getting ready for the World Series. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> other than that, I just got to at work. Today's not too bad. Yeah. But then tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday are a shit show. Yep. So yeah, just ready to start the week. I'm glad you guys were still on. Yeah, it's it's. In fact, I'm, I'm just thinking about the fact that it's Monday. I'm not used to being on the show where it's ending on a weekday. It's usually ending on a right. on a Saturday morning, a Sunday morning. So this is actually ending on a Monday morning. It feels yeah. weird. It feels I forgot for the moment it's Monday morning. Hmm. And uh, yeah, this. Yeah, I didn't have a heavy agenda this week. I just uh, had kind of a. One big topic, a lot of small topics, and uh, and then they're just gonna shut it. It was gonna be shutting down after uh, about five hours, and now now it's taking a little longer because you guys joined. But uh, people like this banter at the end, and you know what? It's uh, it, 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 we're past all the topics anyway. So anyone who's just listening for the topics can turn it off, and people who are sure who just want to hear, then they can just keep listening. It was me yep. me by myself for many hours, but, and some people ask me, they say, how how can you just talk? by yourself for all those hours and i don't know i, I just do <laughs> it's, when it's all over i always wonder how i talked for that many hours it doesn't feel like it yeah like if somebody told me i'll oh, go go talk about something for five hours they go what i can't do that i can't just talk uninterrupted for something about for five hours but i do it and it just doesn't seem like it as i'm doing it sure but I, I know Brandon, you can do that too. So it's not—it's not as amazing I, I, to you. Yeah, I have that skill as well. Yeah, I know. Just like you, that's, uh, that's, that's why you should put us together here. Okay? The show can be very long. Yeah, yeah. How many how many shows are we on now? I mean, just for the history. Oh well, it, it's funny. This got brought up not too long ago because uh, 
Belly Buster was going to throw money into a 400th show and a big free yeah, roll for it. And then I, I, I go, okay, we got to be close. And I look and it was like a 372. I go, oops. Okay. So we're not going to get to it until like April. So that I told him, to, I appreciate it. We're going to have to wait. So we're somewhere like I think in the 370s of, of numbers of shows. And uh, it's hard to even figure out the number of hours that – I mean I could if I sat down to do it. But it because the show has increased in hours in recent years compared to what it used mm-hmm. to be. So it's, it's a lot longer. But it, it's been a lot of – like really if you were to go listen to every Poker Fraud Alert radio show from the beginning, from back in March of 2012 up till now, uh, it, it would probably – take t- a year. No, it, it, it would take – if you did nothing but listen and you didn't sleep and you didn't pause it, you just listened – let's say you, let's say you could right. do it without pausing. It would pro- I think it would take like two months. four months? I think it would take like two months, but still it's a, it's a lot of hours. Okay. That's, yeah, it is a lot of hours. Yeah. Wow. That's without pausing. And if you were to – if you were to spend eight hours a day doing it, uh, then, well, then it would be like, like a third of a day. So, well, I mean, right. You know. If you were to spend like eight hours a day doing it, it would take like six months. So it would, it would be a long time. That's why when people tell me they've gone back and listened to all the old shows, they go, wow, how did you do that? It's a, that's a lot of time. But uh, some people just just enjoy it and they uh, – they, they, I'm even surprised people want to go back and listen to the old stuff because a lot of that stuff is obsolete. It doesn't – those topics – don't matter anymore or aren't the case anymore, but, uh, or as ancient history, but whatever. I, I, I will sometimes hear old topics brought up when I listen to old shows that are just running and I'll, I'll actually have an interest in them again, even if, especially if I forgot the way they played out. So I'll, I'll, hear, right. my, I'll hear myself tell my, tell me a story, which is the weirdest thing. And, uh, well, funny. anything else here you guys have before no, I get this down? No, I got to start my day myself, so I'm. I don't have anything else. I'm glad I, I was on here for an hour and a half, hour forty minutes. Chaderiski, you got anything, buddy? I'm good. Good to talk to you guys. Shit, I was going to get up much earlier and try to get on much earlier, but uh, had to sleep. Had to wake up naturally to start the week. So, off, did you so. did you have an alarm clock, or you just woke up at this time? No, I woke up about 10 minutes before my alarm clock went off. Wow. So that's, that usually happens for some reason. But uh, next, but I think next, you said next weekend you're shooting for Saturday, so that'll be much better. You, you know what? I don't know if this has happened to you. And, yeah, we're going to try to be on Saturday after, after the Game 4 of the World Series, which hopefully won't be a Tampa Bay sweep. Uh, we uh, One thing, I don't know if this happens to you regarding waking up without the alarm clock. Have you woken up and not looked at the clock and known to the minute what time it was or very, very close to it before? Because I have that yeah, sometimes. that's happened to me, sure. You know, I, it's, I, I don't, I have to look to know, but it's usually like te- exactly 10 minutes before the alarm was supposed to go off. Oh, okay, that's a little different. But I, I, yeah. I, I had the weirdness where I'll just wake up after just uh some just random amount of sleep and I'll go like, it, it feels like it's, it's like, it feels like, uh, you know, 10, 15 AM right now. And I'll look and it, the clock says 10, 16. I go, Whoa, how did I do that? <laughs> like, and the clock, I actually have to make an effort to look at it. It's not something I could have accidentally seen. So like, uh, uh, so like I, I'm sometimes amazed that I can, I have some, like I have much better sense of time sometimes when I wake up after sleeping for a while than I do if I'm just up as far as guessing the time without looking at it. It's very weird when that happens. Or or sometimes I can, like, tell you how long I think I've slept, and I, I can come very close to it. And, uh, and and I've heard people say that, like, long dreams don't necessarily mean you're sleeping long. But I disagree, because while I have had dreams that seem to pack a lot into a short time, 
there have been some dreams that feel very long and I wake up and the second I wake up, I go, I had to have been sleeping for a long time because there's no way that dream could have been packed into a short time. Sure enough, I've been sleeping for like eight, eight nine hours or something when that, when it's done. So like, I, I can just tell sometimes when a dream has been very long and, uh, so I, I, I've heard some things that just don't seem to match with my experiences, but you know that it's not even known for sure why people have dreams. It's not even known why that happens or what the purpose of it is. So, and if you I've think that. if you think about it, it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense other than maybe just to keep your mind active while while you're sleeping. Other than that, it's uh, I wish I could actually turn them off. I actually don't like having dreams, and. I think I, I've mentioned it before, but I can't even enjoy it if I know I'm in a dream. The few times I realize I'm in a dream, I panic and I want to just get out of it. I, I, mm. I, I don't do what I should do. What I should do is just uh, control everything and live in just like a fantasy world and just have fun. Yeah. But I, I can't do it. I, I, I just think you never. Is, thank God you've never taken any hallucinogenic drugs, buddy. Well, that's, that's, part of the reason I, that's part of the reason I wouldn't want to. Yeah, you wouldn't. I don't want that. I, I actually want to feel like... Uh, like everything's real and, and I'm in control. And, and, and like the problem with, with when I realize I'm in a dream is I, I feel like I'm trapped in a fake world. And I feel like, like I just want to get out of this and return back to reality. And I can't enjoy it. And I go crazy trying to get out of it. Fortunately, it doesn't take very long. Like once I realize I can get out of it pretty fast. But, it, but I hate the feeling of knowing I'm there. And uh, it sucks because when I, after I wake up, I go, why didn't I just enjoy this? Why didn't I? There's a lot of things I'd like to do in a dream that would be fun that I couldn't do in real life. And, uh, sure. And it's, uh, I, I, but I couldn't bring myself to enjoy it. It would just be, it's just panic time. So I, I wish I could turn off dreams. And I, I think it's because I had a, a very bad issue with violent nightmares as a kid. And I think that, uh, has, even though I don't get them anymore much and I don't get the same type I get as a kid, I think that has kind of soured my view on dreams and I was worried I'd pass that down to Benjamin in some way, but it doesn't. He said he said he hardly dreams at all, and when he does, he doesn't really have nightmares, which is good. I'm, I'm glad he doesn't go through what I th- what I went through for about like six years when I was a kid. It was really bad, like I, you, really really bad. Hmm. Yeah. So that's. Uh, Trederuski, do you do you uh, do you dream a lot, buddy? Trederuski. He dreams of hitting the it's mute button. It's hit or miss. It's hit or miss. He, he dreams about hitting the, the mute yeah, button faster. That's right, and now with finding the Zoom mute button, you know, it's like totally in my life every day now. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, no, but I actually haven't remembered a dream for a few months, so. Do you guys have dreams you about know? poker? Are there any dreams about poker you guys have? I have those sometimes. Yeah, sure. Especially if I've played like a long session the night before, the day before, and you have like weird dreams, and you wake up and it takes a second to know. If that's right. real, like, did I win that? Did I lose that pot? Is it even real? Like, that's, that's happened a lot. Yeah, I, w- I wake I wake up when I when I've when I've lost in a, in a session. Like, I've lost in a cash what's session. What's all that noise? Yeah, what's what is going, what's going on here, Trader Ruski? Is that like, my noise? bad? My <laughs> it sounds like you're doing. It sounds like you're doing your wash in the sink. What, what's going on over there? <laughs> you doing the wash in the sink? And now he's that muted. My ba- that was my bagel. This is ba- oh, it didn't sound like a bagel. Make a little breakfast. It didn't yeah, sound, it didn't like, sound like no bagel. My bagels went moldy. I had to throw them away. But, uh, okay, hmm. my poker dreams, when, when I lose in a cash session, my first thought, and I, I hate to admit this as somebody who runs Poker Fraud Alert, my first thought when I wake up is, wait a minute, was that real? 
because if it's not real, then I don't have to pay the guys I lost to. I can get away and stiffing them. I actually think about it like I, I can actually get away and, and screw the people. There's nothing they can do about it because they're, they're dream people. And then, and then the next thing I think is, wait, what am I thinking? If, it, if they're dream people, then this didn't happen. It was just all in my head. And then I realized – then I'm having, oh, I didn't lose that money. Uh, but a, a, a dream I get that's very like annoying to have is I'll, I'll have the I can't find where my table is after a break or, or coming back for day two tournament dream. And it, it, I walk around and around and around, and the venues like huge, and even venues that are familiar, like the Rio, don't look like the Rio. And I'll just walk around, and I cannot find my table, and nobody's there to help me. And I just picture myself blinding off, and I get really frustrated. And uh, this will just drag on for like feeling like what's forever. And uh, every year after the main event, I seem to get a main event dream where I'm somehow back in the main, and. Sometimes short stacked, but somehow some some weird backstory allows me back in there, and usually like kind of late, like day five. And the only year I didn't have that dream in recent memory was 2019, and I concluded the reason I didn't have that dream in 2019 was because my mind was relatively happy with my performance in the main event that year. Oh, interesting. So that that I didn't have dreams about being back in because I felt like uh, what I did there was good enough, and that. Uh, the other years, I, I had regret because I wasn't cashing. So that's uh, that was. I'm, I'm just about sure that's why there was no 2019 version of that dream, and that, no 2020 because I didn't play at all. But I'm talking about years I played. There was no dream following the uh, the 2019 main event. So, uh, but uh, I don't have that many poker dreams, and I don't have that many where I win, which is probably good because then I'll wake up and discover I didn't win, and it's frustrating. Once in a while, I do, and it is frustrating, but. Uh, Mostly it's either that I lose or I'm in a tournament and can't find my way back to uh, day two or after a break. And uh, those those tend to be my poker dreams. And I also have, will have dreams that are set in different time periods. Not about poker, but I'll have dreams where uh, I'm back in the 90s or 2000s and there's no Benjamin and uh, my current girlfriend is not with me. Sometimes, sometimes I'm with a previous girlfriend. That's sad. And That's I, a sad dream, buddy. but But I don't realize it. It's not sad at the time because I don't even oh, realize... Oh, he's not dead? He just never was born. No, it's it, they're actually set in a different time period before he's born. That's what I'm saying. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And I, I occasionally, I've okay. occasionally had some set in the future, too, where Benjamin's older or uh, where, where something is supposed to be taking place in the future. But usually there's a, you know, if it's going to be set in a different time period, it's set in the past. And I don't think I've tra- time traveled back to the past. I really believe I'm back in the past and I have no memory of my life since then. It's, it's very strange. And sometimes at the mm-hmm. very end, I start to realize it and go, wait a minute, uh, I'm actually with a different girl, right? Wait, wait a minute. Don't I have a kid? And then I'll wake up shortly after realizing that none of this makes sense. But, uh, um, it, it, I'll have some of those. My my mind always wants a backstory to every dream I have. Where where there's even if it's kind of weird and flimsy, it always wants these to make sense. It always like wants. It's almost like I won't accept what I'm seeing unless there's something to explain it. So anything that's happening, there's some sort of weak backstory to why this is normal. And uh, I, I think that kind of goes along with the lines that I just always want to have uh, a feeling that. I'm in reality and and uh, and kind of have control of what's going on. So uh, that's probably why my brain does that. But that sure. almost Makes every sense. one of my dreams has some form of that. And uh, uh, and then here, here's one other thing: uh, I can't ever get to the point in my dreams where I ever have sex. Never. It's 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 
it's it's it'll get really close and something will stop it or yeah, it, yeah like like most people stop having wet dreams though when they're I think eleven or twelve so it's probably normal no but I'm not even talking about that I'm talking about just like I can't even oh. start I can't even begin uh, to, I can't you even can't begin get to, hard in the dream I, I didn't even get that far. It, it, oh. it's, it, it's something always interrupts it. Like, like we start kissing or something and it, it, it like something will interrupt it or stop it or the dream just ends and I wake up. It never lets I me get there. I love to hear a therapist try to explain why that, why that occurs. That's weird. I never heard anyone yeah, say it's, that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been my whole life like that. It's really strange. And, uh, uh, I, I sometimes wish in, in, if wish in these dreams that they went on f- further, but they, they never did. Well, we, yeah. we have a, a caller on here from the 609 area code here on the air. Hey, what's up, guys? How's it going today? And who is this? Scott from the East Coast? No. <laughs> yep, it's, it, it, it's uh, Pac-Man. Um, I just was waiting for you guys to talk to me, and then all of a sudden I heard Brandon ask you if you were getting hard, and that was kind of disturbing. I just want you guys to know oh, that. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Wait, Pac-Man? Who's Pac-Man? I know that was Drew? a dream, but... Yeah, it was a joke. Wait, uh, who is this again? Pac-Man? Yep. I've, I've been on a couple times. Yeah, you just invited me on Instagram, which I appreciate. Oh, nice of you, Jeff. Um, wait, wait. I, it's, I, I'm not on Instagram. Yeah. If someone well, invited, if Brandon. someone invited you, it wasn't me. Uh, Brandon. Okay. Well, I invited. Wait, what's your name on Instagram? I don't. I it, it's part of my last name, so I don't really want to say on the radio. Okay, no, no that's fine. When did I invite? I'm just trying to. I, I mean, I woke up an hour ago, but I feel like I'm pretty coherent. When did I invite you on? I really no troll. I don't know who this is. When, when did I invite you on? Um, no. Well, you followed me because I followed you. I just got okay. So I didn't this morning unless you have some kind of automated service. I don't know. Oh no, I have somebody that handles all my social media. I don't do it myself. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You I'm might. Kidding. I mean, you, I know you guys got money. I mean, I could see you guys have a little help okay. and everything. I, I have. I, no, I have to look. But anyhow, I'm glad you called in. Nice to. Oh, what. What's your name on the fraud site? Is that public information, or you don't want that out there? Or? No, no, that, no, that's fine. It's, I, I, I haven't really posted that much, but it's Jersey Grinding. Okay, cool. Well, glad you're on. Glad you're Jersey Grinding. Okay. I don't know if I know that name. I, I know. Like I made the, I made the name, and I said, man, that that sounds kind of. Uh... Like I have an alternative lifestyle, but you know, whatever. I already did the name, so I might as well just. No, I wouldn't it. think that. I would just. I would really uh, just think it's Jer- Jersey poker grinding. That would. That would really be. I know. I know. Grinder kind of uh, can get in there, but you know, Grinder doesn't have to mean something gay. It just happens to be the name of a gay app. Yeah. So what? Uh, what? Where do you? Uh, where do you live? What part of the country are you at? He's in New Jersey. Jersey. I live in. Oh, okay. South, I, I, missed I live that in part. New Jersey, South. Okay. I live like fifteen minutes away from Atlantic City. Oh, nice. Do you, uh, did you hear, did you hear earlier about William Hill or do you already have a William Hill sports account in the state of New Jersey? I just woke up. Um, I need to go ahead and get that account if that's actually what's going on with that $500. Oh, Druff would never lie, buddy. It's $500. Believe me. He don't lie about that kind of stuff. Am I right, Druff? Yeah, I would, I would, I would never lie about, uh, money. Yeah. Yeah, so go there. What what casino? What casinos in New Jersey and Atlantic City these days have a William Hill attached to them, or or are they only standalone? Are any casinos using William Hills or sports books in the casinos itself? I think some you know are. What? I'm going to be honest with you, Brandon. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure because I mean, for the most part, I just stick with Borgata. Um, for a while, I was doing the um, 
Caesars, which does uh, the I think it does the Fox Sports. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I don't I don't know, and it kind of kills me because I went ahead and it won my parlay. Sick brag on uh, Titans and the Steelers yesterday, and if I even nice. thought about that William Hill set, I'd have been nice. Yeah, nice. Well, make sure uh, you do that because these things don't last forever. Well, he has till November thirtieth. He doesn't have to rush, but it's he should do it. Okay. And uh, yeah, William Hill. I think they're in the Tropicana, and uh, I, I just googled that. I, I I think they have a few locations there, but uh, yeah, it's very easy. WilliamHill.com. Just make a new William Hill New Jersey sports account, and then make your enter that. Make sure to enter that uh, code that uh, on the Provo page. Uh, I can find it again if you want. It is. Uh, oh, I'm going to listen to your whole show. Oh, you'll listen to it. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I, yeah. Follow the instructions yeah, there, and, and follow the instructions there, and do not make a deposit until you listen to my instructions, and then uh, and then you'll you'll get a, a deposit. You'll get a free play of five hundred dollars, which looks like uh, it only has uh, the the single time rollover. I mean, you, you just play. You just run it through once, and then you can withdraw all the money if you want. So it's a great deal. It's a tremendous deal. That's- that's crazy. I don't even know how they're going. To, they're not going to lose a lot of money on that. And in fact, you should you should get those. Uh, anyone you know that even doesn't play, especially like in your family, if if your mom or dad live nearby or anyone related to you that you can trust, uh, you should have them sign up uh, because this is such a. I, I'm telling you, I would totally do that myself if I was in New Jersey. I would find everybody I could. Believe, believe me, Ken Scaler would, would have an account on, on William Hill if this were the case. So I, I hope something eventually comes into. <laughs> now let me ask you a question: Don't you have to play the two fifty though? You do have to play the go through the two fifty also. Yeah, correct? just um, for the minimal deposit. I don't know if you have to go through the deposit. I know you have to go through the the free money, but even if that's the case, you know that, that's nothing compared to if to, if you, if you get if you deposit two fifty, get free five hundred, and have to run seven fifty through. That's that's a tremendous deal. So. Obviously, that's oh yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. That's yeah. a that's an amazing promotion. So anyway. I, I strongly advise you do that. I'm sure. I'm sure you will. And uh, how long have you been listening to the show? I'm just curious. I've been listening now for uh, maybe a li- six years or five years. Okay, six years. Okay, I, you ha- go what, it, what happened pretty- is I start. I start really. Um, I've been playing poker since the poker boom, but like a little here, a little there. You know, just like really a fanboy. And then, oh, um, that's cute. What happened was I. I came back to New Jersey. Ball. <laughs> I came back to New Jersey, and I started playing like a lot because I was working nights. So I started playing like at Borgata. But as I was working nights, you know, I needed something to listen to, and uh, I found your, you know, your radio show on uh, Apple Podcasts on Apple, you know, whatever podcast. And mm-hmm. you know, the first one I listened to, I loved it because it wasn't like all the other poker shows. You know what I mean? Like all it feels like is a fluffer. Doing an interview with a poker pro. Oh, oh, you're so great. How how did you become an inspiration? Oh, this and that. And you guys, you know, you know, Brandon, you, Trader Ruski, you know, it's like I found out things that were real. Do you understand what I mean? Like Yeah, we don't do guys, all the fluff and guys, all the bullshit and that's yeah. Druff don't kiss no ass. That's why they called him in the uh, poker news update. They use the term unsavory to describe him. That's true. They did. They went, someone wrote on Poker News I, I was unsavory. No, we tell it like it is. And <laughs> Druff ain't calling no WPT winner on the phone and telling him how great he is and he wants to massage his feet. No, it's not like that. We, he calls people and out. Not only that, you know, Brandon, I, but he does mm-hmm. it at a loss. 
I, I, right, I, I do it a right. loss. That's that's he very well known. He money, so he owes nobody anything. <laughs> hey, buddy, I just do a little comedy. That's all, you know, that's what I'm here for, buddy. I I can't cover no serious poker topics anymore because I just kind of got burnt out. I'm like you, you know, I was there for the poker boom before, you know, after. Uh, but Druff, I'll tell you, like, if there's a cheating device somewhere in the Czech Republic, he knows about it at a poker table. Like, wasn't there one today? There was one. There, there was there was allegedly yeah. one in in Boston. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, that, it's wow. good. I'm glad you're listening. Great. And and if you ever have any suggestions, uh, you know, there's a there's a phone number. And you know what? We we even make it easy to listen if you don't want to use data on your phone. Druff <laughs> orchestrated a easy to listen to a call in line. Are you familiar yeah. with this? It's a, a, a certain phone oh, I number. Love, I, I, I've used ever... the call in line. Like, oh, come I, on. When I worked I don't in, uh, you. like I said, no, listen, look, right. look. <laughs> I my internet you. at the job I worked at went down when I was working nights, so I couldn't actually get the show, so I had to call the call to listen line, and that's how I listened to the show. That's incredible. You know, it, it has other uses, too. And, uh, uh, sorry, go on. I'll, I'll let you finish. Go on. Yes. It's incredible. No, I'm sorry. I, I do that. I just had a cup of coffee. I'm a little jittery. Um, no, go ahead. Go ahead, I'm sorry. What I was going to say is the call to listen line has other uses you might not think of. Like one time, I uh, I, I was going to have someone call me on the home phone number here, which rings all over the house and would wake people up. And I thought, well, I've I've got to just get on a phone. I got to call something and have something that can just sit there for a while, and then I'll wait for that person to call me, and I'll just get a call wait so that I can just click over and the phone never rings. So I thought, well, what can I what can I call up that will just let me sit there for a while? And won't hang up on me. And I go, wait a minute. I know exactly what I can do. And so I called the call to listen line and just sat on it. And then when the phone beeped, I clicked over and it was fine. So that's uh, uh, it has many uses, even ones that are not intended. And uh, incredible. And you know, there's been a million, more than a million minutes listened to on the call to listen line. Over a million minutes have been a million minutes, really. Yeah, over a million All minutes have been Mount listened Charleston. to. It. Yeah, I've. Uh, no, that's not in Mount Charleston. That's. Uh, that's that's elsewhere. That's not even in the in the West. The call to listen line, but that's fine. It doesn't have to be. Oh. It just it just has to be functional. It's a, it's currently actually in uh, South Dakota. That's where it's currently located. But that's fine. Whatever whatever oh. works. It's and whatever functions. And I even have a backup one. There's two phone numbers for it. And some people have reported they'll call the backup one if the main one isn't working. If you have T-Mobile, it'll cost you one cent a minute. But nothing I can do about that. And uh, yes, it, it's something. I enjoy very much that's associated with the show, and even though many people have tried to laugh at it, including Brandon, I I have proven them wrong time and time again when people such as yourself indicate that they use it. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, yeah. So, so you guys know about Borgata, right? And Brandon, you know, you are the comic relief, but I got to say, you. man, your casino knowledge is very interesting. Like, I love when you start going on your tangents and tell me about Vegas and everything else, so... Trust Thank me, you very much. You have a lot to contribute. Thank you. We enjoy you. Um, I appreciate that. But yeah, uh, no problem. And uh, Borgata, did you know they're opening back up their tables? Seven-handed? I, yeah, I saw a post about that. Sure. Yeah, I heard about that too. I didn't cover that tonight, uh, but yes. Go ahead and tell us. I didn't cover that, so go ahead. You do it. Well, no, no, that, that's it. Like 50 tables, seven-handed. They're doing the whole plexiglass thing. Um. Even though I live 15 minutes away from it, I'm playing online right now because personally, during cold and flu season, I'm not trying to start playing poker next to everybody. That's a good point. So, so wait a minute, you're, you're afraid of the cold and flu and not COVID? 
No, COVID too, but it's also cold and flu. So let's go ahead. He's and saying have the, COVID the combination of even flu. more of a risk. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that makes sense. Like, I don't yeah. know. I don't know how Las Vegas is, but let me tell you, in Atlantic City, as someone that's been playing here for years, you have these old curmudgeons or young curmudgeons. I've seen the dirtiest things I've ever seen. Like they'll blow their nose with the same handkerchief and cover their hands, and they don't really care about other people. Now you have COVID in the mix, plus the flu, plus, you know, the common cold. I don't want to deal with it. But everybody seems to be excited. Like, I'm like, I can see this potentially being a bigger problem than in the summertime. Sure. Yeah. I don't know what you guys would think about that. Well, yeah, we talked about it a little bit earlier, me and Brandon. Well, I think even the experts have said that, that it would be, you know, once the weather changes, people are more indoors, it's going to... See, you know, we're going to see a rise in cases. Isn't that what they're predicting? Yeah, it makes sense in, in certain places where it hasn't been that hard hit yet, and uh, especially. But yeah, the more time people spend indoors that is not their own house, then they are going to get it more. That's where it spreads more, and and I can see that there. And uh, I, I will say one thing that has not bothered me in 2020 has been colds because I, I don't go anywhere to get a cold either. So the, the one one positive thing of this whole COVID matter is I don't get colds anymore, but. Uh, a lot, of, a lot of negatives, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one thing COVID has done for me. I work out three times a week now. I quit smoking. I've been off cigarettes for seven months. Wow. Nice. You know, Good so for you. Actually, I've probably been the healthiest I've been in like the last 10 years because of COVID. Nice. What do you uh, – I don't know. I'm sorry if you and said I, it. What, what do you do for a living? What industry are you in? Um, actually, I'm in produce. I'm, uh, I work for J&D Produce. And uh, we're a multifaceted company in a couple different states, but uh, you know I work in the New Jersey branch. Huh. I'm like, like when the you say produce, slash you're, you're like talking what fruits, vegetables, things of that nature. Mostly, um, not. I mean, we do our company does fruits, but mostly all leafy greens. Oh, nice. Okay. Like cool. name a vegetable, got it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. Since you're yeah, in produce but, with leafy greens, I've got a question for you. It just came up the other day in my house. It is my belief, and I I have no science to back this up, but it it is now my belief, a a theory I've come up with only the last few days, that uh, leafy greens are something that human beings taught themselves to eat and did not have a uh, a natural uh, desire to eat. And the reason I believe this is because my dog, who loves food even more than any dog, this dog is insane about food, okay? This dog, the one thing... He will not touch is any kind of leafy greens. He sees them as like plants and will not eat them. You can drop a piece of lettuce in front of him and he will come over and sniff it and go, nope, and, and walk away. Any other food, including vegetables, he will eat. Yeah, but I don't know of any dog that eats leafy greens. No, but that, that, I no, I, I, that's what I'm saying. I don't think it's just my dog. Yeah, true. So, so, I, so my theory about this is that uh, leafy greens are, are something that uh, mammals are not, uh, or these certain mammals are not uh, naturally attracted to eating because look at dogs. Dogs do, are not taught this is food, this isn't food. They know. They do, they can tell yeah, by but sniffing. They're carnivores. No, well, they no, they're actually omnivores. I they, mean, they come from wolves. No, no, but they, but dogs are actually omnivores. Cats are are full car- carnivores. Dogs are omnivores, and they, they like uh, non meat oh, foods okay. too. That's why my dog will eat all vegetables and, and fruits, and and uh, yeah, he'll prefer meat for sure. But but he will eat uh, non meat items and uh, and enjoy them but he will not the only thing he won't touch 
are leafy greens. And I, I thought I want, and so the, and of course he's just going by, this is food, this isn't food. If he thinks something is food, he'll eat it. If he thinks it's not food, he won't. Even things like rice, he eats. He just, anything that is, that he thinks is not food and is like a plant, like a leaf, then he won't eat it. And I think he, he, so no one taught him this, obviously. He just uh, knows it. So the question is, does this indicate something? I know it's a dog and we're humans, but does this possibly indicate that uh, humans taught themselves to eat this and this isn't a natural food for humans to eat? Well, I would I would say this. I would say a lot of things were just we learned as we came along. Um, fun fact, because I have a lot of useless information, is like tomatoes weren't really eaten in Italy until famine happened because people thought at the time that tomatoes were poisonous because if, if you research it, tomatoes are uh, related to nightshade. Like, they're in the same family. So they thought it was poisonous, so they didn't eat it until there was a bad famine. And I guess what happened is you had a hungry Italian that said, you know, fuck it, I'm going to give it a shot. And then they found out they could eat them, and they were like, oh, shit, we'll put this on everything, which is that's why you have Italian cuisine the way it is now. So mm. I would say it was just something learned, maybe. I don't, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I just Trader think- Ruski, well, what's your take? About, it's a little known fact. Trader Ruski loves a good salad after a hard day's work at the office. Trader Ruski, what's your take on this as you eat your bagel? I, I thought that was a great tomato story. I never knew that. But, yeah, but what, about the, what about the leafy so greens? The marinara sauce on everything. What, what about Ruski, what, the leafy part, Trader Ruski? <laughs> what, the leafy part as far as animals go? You, you, no, no, as far as people. Do, do, you, do, you, do, do you think that... Uh, what I'm asking is, do you think that we learned to eat things like lettuce, but that uh, if it wasn't taught to us, that we wouldn't see it as a food? Unlike other things which are obvious that, that you can uh, you you have an innate knowledge that it's food, that this is something you actually had to teach yourself to eat. I think we would eventually got there. Yeah. Now listen, Trader Ruski, say you're at that that you're at that Wolfgang Puck, and that Spago himself is is there, uh, or you're at Spago, and that Wolfgang Puck is there. And he's like, Trader Ruski, my friend, I'm going to make you the best salad in the world. What are you going to tell him that you want in your in your salad, Trader Ruski? And be honest now. I'm very interested. You know, I'd, prob- yeah. I'd, so I'd probably I. say some, I would say apples, um, some kind of nut, you know, maybe walnuts um, or pecans and uh, blue cheese. That's your salad? Crumbles. Yeah. So, so, no, so he's I mean, no he, cucumbers, no carrots. He's no, not a he's not a greens guy either. Sure, other and, and uh, some extra vegetables too. Let's say. All right. Uh, what like about you, Druff? Savory in a salad. There's no yeah. All right. That. That's Druff. You have to have a salad, and uh, you're at Wolfgang Puck. Or Spago Wolfgang Puck comes up to you. What are you What are you going to tell him to put in your spot salad? Your big salad. That it's going to be your meal. It's an entree salad. Drough. Well, what do you have in it? Okay, I, I I hate to reveal this to everybody. I don't think I've said this before, but uh, you're going to be like the time with the uh, El Pollo Loco. No, no, no. I'm, I know. I'm going to. I'm going to. No, I'm going to. I'm going to give you an answer. I'm going to give you an answer here. All right. I'll that uh, I am not a salad eater. I I am really uh, not a fan well, of most things that typically go into salads. So what I do when when there's a salad at a restaurant, uh, if I'm forced to get it, uh, I usually just give it to somebody else I'm with because there's really like I don't like salad okay, dressing. But that's not the question. If you have to have a salad, 
Like you have no choice. Like that is what you're eating, or you don't go without a meal. Like what if you had to? Is, I mean, can you pick a few things in a salad that you kind of like? You yeah. Well, okay. So extra tomatoes, extra cucumbers. Well, okay. So so I would I would I would have uh, first of all no dressing of any kind. And, and then, okay. and then, second, uh, it, it actually have no greens. I'm like, like my dog. I'm not going to eat them. I don't eat the leafy okay. greens. And uh, that's actually, but that's what when my dog won't go for it, and I thought about how I don't like them. I thought about uh, you know, if that's the only thing he won't eat, I wonder if there if there is a, a reason for that. But and that's what got me along the line of thinking. But to answer your question here, uh, I, I do like fruits, and actually, what Trader Risky started to describe was sounding good uh, hey, for a while uh, because like mm-hmm. I, I I do like you know like. Like something with with uh, fruits, like apples or things like that, and, and nuts and uh, um, and and hard cheeses. And I know it doesn't really sound like a salad, but uh, but I just don't have. I don't. I if I were to get a salad, it would be a non-green salad. Like pretty much anything green in the salad, I probably wouldn't want. In fact, uh, the only green vegetable I eat is uh, green beans and I, peas, I guess uh, as well. But that's that's it. Mm-hmm. I, everything else that's green that's a vegetable, I just don't like. And uh, hmm. I, I eat fruits, and and I, I like green beans, as I said, and I like uh, and I like things like carrots, and uh, but that's not really in a salad usually. Um, but I, I you know I like carrots and, and potatoes, so it's not that I like no vegetables, mm-hmm. but uh, and I, I know. So what about now when you're having a sandwich? You go to Subway or not even a nice sandwich place. Do you tell them no lettuce? Always? Oh yeah, yeah. I never. I, I don't like lettuce. Yeah. Oh okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't get any of that stuff. Uh, and, and in fact, usually with sandwiches, I don't get very much on it at all. Sometimes I'll get things on the side, as, as I've famously talked about, like tomatoes. Yeah. But uh, th- that's the reason for it. That's just the way I, I, I prefer to, to eat things. Uh, Benjamin did not inherit that from me. He, he, does, he actually loves salads and, and uh, lettuce. And uh, in fact, he just he actually made himself like a plate of lettuce the other day. Huh. Wow. You know, it's, funny. it's funny how as we get older, at least from my perspective, I've noticed this a lot. My food taste, and I'm not talking about since you know I was a child and being finicky or anything like that, but even in my teens and my, my early adult years, there are a number of foods that I'll eat now that I even enjoy and actually sometimes crave that I either didn't like before or I thought were disgusting growing up. Like I'll give you an example. Uh, the first 20 years of my life, I could not stand avocados. Just the thought of eating one, and now I love avocados. I'll literally have an avocado for a snack from time to time, or I'll have it in a salad or part of some, you know, a sushi roll. Um, but there are a number of things like that where I just my taste buds changed, like over the years. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, are there certain things that you all didn't like when you were teenagers, and now you know? And I'm not talking like, like I said, five, six years old, but you know, maybe ten years, twenty years ago, and all of a sudden you've kind of developed, you know, a liking or a taste or a tolerance or. I don't know, whatever the case may be. Have any, any of you ever experienced anything like this? There's, there's not much for me. I, broccoli. I've, a broccoli, really. See, I, I've stayed mostly the same. Uh, there's some things I've gotten to like more or less over the years uh, as compared to before. But there there hasn't been that much new that I used to not like. It's occasionally, it's something I hadn't tried before and then tried it and go, oh, actually, I like this. But uh, like, I'll give you an example. This isn't really a food, but like, when I would get bread in a restaurant, I would put nothing on the bread. I put no butter, nothing. I just eat the bread plain. Well, one day I tried, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, uh, I tried putting the bread in olive oil. And I really liked it. Then I then hmm. then I was at, uh, then it was suggested to me, oh, if you like this, wait till you try the olive oil and vinegar together. That That's oh, great. Wow. So I, I tried it, and I did not like that at all. 
I, I, I hated that. I, because I, and I thought I wouldn't like it because I just don't like vinegar. Uh, so I, I thought I was not going to like it and I was correct. And so the person who was raving about how great the, the olive oil and vinegar is, I didn't agree. Uh, so, so I went back to just the olive oil. But I, but I really like the olive oil on bread now. And like if I'm at a restaurant and I'm having bread and there's no olive oil, it's actually a little bit upsetting that it's not there. Whereas before, I didn't want that at all. And it wasn't that I tried, tried olive oil before and didn't like it. It's just I hadn't thought of, of trying it before. And then when I, when I tried it uh, then I, with bread, I, I really liked it. So there were things like that came up over time where I just kind of stumbled on something I hadn't really tried much right. before. But there wasn't – I'm, I'm struggling to think of anything that I didn't like where I actually changed my mind. And then sometimes I would even try something again thinking, well – Well, like are these things you'll eat now that you wouldn't eat when you were 15, 16, or 17 that you just didn't like? No, so that's what I'm saying. Like I, even even things or prime rib or some kind of a seafood, whatever it may be. Um, well, I'm trying to think if there's you – know, I'll try – I'll tell you this. I'll try more seafood now. Like more any kind of fish now, I'll give a shot. Where back when I was uh, a teenager, I had a few different fish that I'd already tried that I liked, and I kind of just decided that I'm right. not going to like the other fish. It doesn't appeal to me. Then, then as right. I got older, I said, "Well, there's no good reason why I feel this way. I might as well I might as well try all the all the fish and and see what I like." And so so that's sure. so so I came again. It was something that I hadn't tried very much or hadn't wanted to try, and then did try and, and liked or like. Or like somewhat, but there wasn't anything I thought. Okay, I dislike this, and then I tried it when I was thirty-five, and go, oh, you know what? I like this now. Like it wasn't. I, I haven't had anything like that. Okay, so let's move on here. Staying with the same subject here. Uh, this is very interesting. So there's this website that I stumbled across a while ago, and all this website does is it reports on the last meals that death row inmates have had. Now, listen, I know it's very eerie, and <laughs> no, it's you know maybe. Like Maybe, yeah, maybe it says something about my personality, but I find that kind of interesting. Not what they did, not why they're going to be killed, not why they're on death row, but the kind of food choices they made towards the end. Now, also, I have to say this, uh, there's been a trend lately, I don't know if you all know about this, and when I say lately, I mean over like the last three to five years, where certain states, uh, the lawmakers were getting pissed off and saying such and such who murdered, you know, the death row inmates should not be getting these expensive last meals. Ironically enough, or you maybe you'd even say not ironically at all, Texas was the first state to implement not giving any special uh, meal for death row inmates. So now in the state of Texas, uh, if you're a state death row, obviously federal is different. If you're a state death row inmate, you'll get the normal meal that everyone else in the prison gets when you die. Some other states <laughs> such as Georgia have now put a cap on it, like a dollar cap because people were kind of getting excessive. But most states still, California, Nevada, New Jersey – uh, you know, that have the death penalty are still allowing your, your traditional uh, choice of a last meal. So let's start off with Trader Ruski because he's going to be heading to the office soon. Uh, Trader Ruski, are you with us still, buddy? I am. Okay, now, so listen, Trader Ruski, the crime don't matter, but we're going to say just because of who you are, okay, we're going to say that you're on death row because it's a crime of passion. And that's all we're going to say. Do you understand? We're not going to go into any more details. We're just going to call it a crime of passion. Are you following me? I am. Are you following me? Okay. So you're on death row. It's a crime of passion. Some people strongly you know, support Traderuski. Some people strongly oppose him. Again, it doesn't even matter. So it's your last meal. Okay, all your appeals have been exhausted except for you have a final one with the Supreme Court, but they're telling you it's not looking good. The guy comes in, the chef comes in, or whatever, the concierge of the prison – and they ask you to give them your full order for your last meal. 
on this great earth. What do you order? I mean, everything, drinks, appetizers, because that's what they could pick their drink. They could pick a couple appetizers, a couple desserts, entrees. What do you pick, Trader Risky? Give us some detail. You know, I'd, I'd have to go with uh, Katsuya and Encino. No, 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 that's not um, that's not how it works. We're not going to different restaurants. It's you, you order a certain food. You're not ordering a takeout from PF Chang's. Why can't buddy. they get it to go from? Why can't they get it? To okay, go from, they, I mean they probably. Okay, they they probably could, but you have to still for the for this exercise. Okay, and then, see, look, this is why he committed a crime of passion. See how strongly he feels about this. For this exercise, we need you to state just the food, the the items. So not the restaurant, like you know, uh, uh, you know, steak. No, with, no, uh, I, I got it. Yeah, but so, it okay. Be, so, it I know, be, buddy. Though, it's, like it's an imperfect world. Right, you're there. Yeah. Right, your congressman. Can run there and grab it and drop it off. <laughs> Nobody, unless he's a religious uh, right. figure, you're not letting no assistant come near you when you're on death row for a crime of passion. Okay, so what are you going to have as your uh, drink, your appetizer, your entree, your dessert, etc. Um, so, God, last meal, huh? I guess I'd have to go milkshake with the drink. Yeah, no, maybe just, uh, well, let's get back to the drink. So I guess for the, for the meal, like, so if we can't have specific sushi plates, I'd have to say, like, steak. Um, like, what we, kind a of rib steak? Eye, like rib a rib eye? Rib okay. With, uh, sauteed mushrooms and onions. Mashed potatoes and um, and an ice cold beer, and that would be the final. Okay, well, they won't give you alcohol in prison, even if it's death row, buddy. It's not going to happen. You'd have to make your own moonshine off the sweat yeah. in your socks. Okay, all right. Well, I'd, about, have my to- I'd have my toilet wine going. Probably. That's yeah, or you do that. Okay, what about a dessert? <laughs> what did you say your dessert would be? He didn't say it would be something chocolate. I didn't say it'd be something chocolate. Okay, it's kind of boring, but all right. Uh, so I'll, I'll, the, say bread, I'll say bread pudding with a sprinkle of chocolate. Oh, that's nice. All right. Dude on the in uh, New Jersey, I don't want to say your name just to protect the it's, privacy. It's Pac-Man. What's your, it's Pac-Man. Pa- oh, pa- okay, we'll say Pac-Man. Now, uh, Pac-Man, you're on, you're on death row in the state of New Jersey for a uh, violent crime that committed. It was also a crime of passion, but it was over a poker game. Good, I want okay? to be passionate. Yeah, okay. it's, it's very passionate. Uh, so nonetheless... You're facing your last meal in the great state of New Jersey. Uh, from beginning to end, what 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 do you order the night before your demise? My demise. All right. Um, I would definitely go ahead and get some chicken parm with some angel hair pasta. Ooh, that sounds probably good. Probably some probably some good ribs. And I'm talking if if he does them right, some good ribs, maybe a twenty ounce porterhouse, maybe a very leafy salad. Mm-hmm. Gotta, gotta be leafy. Uh, yes, I would probably go ahead uh, for dessert. Um, my last meal, right? So, yep. actually, I would. I'd like to slice a pumpkin pie with some whipped cream on it. And um, for my drinks, I'd probably probably like a good dark lager. Okay, again, no alcohol. Yeah, it can't be alcohol. Of, that's 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 out. Prisons. Ah. They're never going to do that. No matter. I mean, that just won't happen. There's regulations. Then so you got to go would, like an, you know I a soda, probably, an iced tea, Kool Aid, you know, grape juice. You got to go with you know no alcohol. I would go iced tea because I spent ten years in the South, probably sweet tea. 
Yeah, I like sweet tea. That's another thing, by the way. When I was younger, I couldn't stand tea. You know, now I certain kind of sweet teas that pure leaf really, really enjoy it from time to time. Quite refreshing. All right, good meal. I like the uh, angel hair with uh, with chicken parm. All right, Todd. Now uh, we know it's not going to be no salad because we're not even having that when we're alive. No, now, you know, he's, 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 sir, go go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Comment, and okay. I'll give you a little story. Okay, so. Uh, as you guys know from watching me on uh, various poker streaming uh, broadcasts, uh, I, I don't order small meals. And if it's my last meal, then it especially doesn't have to be small because there's no consequence to, to mm-hmm. eating like a pig. So then I'm, and not only that, I know I'm not going to have anything else ever again because my life's about to end. So I, I would really, really go crazy, provided that I would be able to have an appetite to eat, which is questionable because if I knew I was about to be executed, I probably wouldn't. But putting that aside, if I were to order such a meal, uh, I would treat it as if I were on a cruise ship, and and I would just say, you know what, I can, I'm can. i just going to order so much food, just anything that looks good to me, I, I'm going to order, and, and presumably it's not a, a cap situation like in Georgia, and and uh, mm. so, and, and I, I believe I could get a lot of it down. Okay, well, hold on. We're going to give you like a, a, a reasonable cap, like say 100. Like you can't, I mean, no prison... Even if you're on death row, is going to let you order six lobster tails and always, you know what I mean? It's always got to be reasonable. Well, 100 isn't very gonna... much, but. but uh, okay, well, you know what I'm saying, then. It's not like you can order. No, I'm not going to order know... six lobster tails, but I'm saying. You're putting on restrictions that alcohol makes sense. I wouldn't order that anyway, but I'm saying, like, uh, no alcohol makes sense. But you, can, you can't put restrictions on me as far as a dollar figure. I'm not going to make it thousands well, of dollars. Well, it's not but... realistic. I don't think if you ordered an $800 meal that they would, any state would. Okay, but you know what? Fine. For the sake of this exercise, <laughs> nope. It's not going to be $800. You're not, but... in, you're not in Georgia. You can order whatever okay. you want, That's as long as it's coming from one restaurant. It's, it's, it'll be a lot food. of food, but it's not going to be like incredibly expensive because there's not going to be anything super expensive individually or uh, uh, or any uh, alcohol. So, okay, here, here's how okay. it would go. Okay, But, but also, hold on. Uh, the reason why you were on death row is you had that uh, – what was the disease or the ailment you said? Of people that are in the house too long from the COVID that they start going crazy? Oh, that would be uh, pandemic fatigue? You had a very, 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 very bad case of pandemic fatigue. And finally, after years and years of years of all the abuse from Marty, a.k.a. Judonk, your your pandemic fatigue made you snap. And in a moment of, again, passion, you and him got into a confrontation that was physical and you claimed self-defense. And it was it captivated the nation because it was the first forum on forum, what have you. And uh, <laughs> nonetheless, nonetheless, you were convicted, and that's why you're in jail. Okay, so. okay. So that's, that's yes. a great reason. Let let me mm-hmm. give you the answer here about what uh, what I would order. So, and, and it's actually going to duplicate some of the things that were said already. I wish I could have gone first. These guys could have been seen as copying me. But, um, I and these would all have to be. Quality items. They would have to be if they're if they're poorly made. I wouldn't want them. So I, we're going to assume these. We're, we're, no, because it's true. Some, no, some things. Some things. No, no, because if if some things are crap, if it's a crap version of them, it's not good. And I'd rather have something simple. Like if it's going to be some, if it's going to be like a, a Denny steak, for example, I'd rather just have a hamburger. So like I'm assuming it's going to be something. No, you can tell them like I want this all from Morton Steakhouse, or okay. I want this from Fleming. Oh, okay, okay. The place, but you can't have them go to three restaurants. Why couldn't that I do that happen. with my sushi? <laughs> That's well, right. You're I, changing I, the rules. Yeah. Why was Why was Trader Ruski cheated? I said exactly. you could pick up. I said you could pick the items, but just one restaurant. I can't. Okay. And you know what, Trader Ruski? Yeah. 
Druff, yeah, okay. so you could order from Ruth Chris or whatever, but it has you are not going to go. Okay, I, I don't know which restaurant. It'll be somebody. it'll be something of of quality. But that's all that matters. Yes. So, so you're okay, not going to get bad quality. Okay, I'm not going to get bad quality. That's important. Otherwise, that changes my answer. So, I would have uh, beef ribs, uh, not pork ribs. I don't like the pork ribs. I'm a Jew. I'm not going to have a pork ribs. I'm going to get the beef ribs. Uh, and get a uh, porterhouse steak. I know it sounds like I'm copying, but uh, I, I really like a, a good uh, porterhouse steak. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would get uh, salmon, and uh, salmon oh, really has really? yeah salmon. I, I really love a good salmon. At uh, in fact, well, would, then you would want you would want king salmon because that's like the Rolls Royce of salmons. I don't know if you know that or not. King uh, salmon is like the highest quality salmon, then the most expensive in the world. The, king the, salmon. the type of salmon they use in in sushi is I'm not sure if that's king salmon, but the sushi quality salmon is actually the best. That's that's where it just tastes uh, really good. I've actually had some of that. Uh, Recently, okay. So I would get, I would get uh, that as well. Sushi grade, you want sushi grade salmon? Sushi grade salmon, not as sushi, but but sushi grade yeah, salmon. Yeah, yes, sure. I would want lobster. I'm a big. I, it, would, it wouldn't have to be six lobster tails, as you said, but I would like uh, the, a full mm-hmm. lobster. A very big uh, lobster guy. And uh, as far as the drink, it's not a big deal. Uh, when I'm eating, the drink doesn't matter very much. I guess I, if I if since I could get any drink, I'd probably get like a Coke where, where you're actually putting in uh, the grenadine yourself and kind of making your own cherry Coke. That's uh, where I have, well, them, yeah, I have I like them do those. it for me. I, I, I like those. It's better than reg- the, the cherry Coke that's in the cans. Uh, then um, as far as a – and then on the side, as far as uh, uh, side dishes, I'd probably want uh, uh, like a – Baked, either baked potato or some very good French fries, and then uh, creamed corn, and uh, some very good green beans that are uh, sautéed. And uh, then I would, uh, for dessert, probably uh, a good cheesecake. Yeah. With with uh, with raspberries on it, and uh, I, I think I, I think that would be. I think I could be full after such a meal. It's, it's. I mean, I, I don't think you could even eat. You could eat. I don't think I could not eat ribs unless it was like an appetizer portion of like two ribs. I couldn't eat ribs and then have a steak with it. it no, you have no idea. I, I, I could easily do that. It's, yeah, uh, I know. I'm sure you could. That's <laughs> amazing. No, I once accidentally, I once accidentally ate uh, a quadruple meal, not realizing it, and uh, um, I. Wait, how did you not realize? It? Well, it, this is weird. It actually occurred at a, a it was at a party for for my brother. I think when my brother was turning forty, uh, there's a family party. Yeah, let's throw let's throw on another caller. Why not? And I'll explain the story here. Right. Uh, the caller from seven hundred two. You're on the air. Seven hundred two. Yeah, seven hundred two. You're on the air. Yeah, that's caller. If the caller doesn't speak. Hello? I'm going to drop him. Caller, you got five seconds. Seven hundred two. Identify yourself. We're talking death row uh, last meals. We're on the air. Well, because I just told uh, Vintage One to come on. Well, it wasn't him. It was it was someone from seven hundred two. He's not seven hundred two. No, you all people are waking up at five in the morning. I thought I was. <laughs> okay. No, they, they, right, the huh? person hung up. I don't know why. I don't know why they called and hung up. But all right, Druff, go on with your. So what I was going to say here is it was it was it was a party. I think it was for my forty, my brother's fortieth birthday, but uh, I'm not 100 percent sure. Anyway, uh, my dad uh, arranged a party for him. I, I'm just about sure it was his fortieth birthday now, and uh, and so he arranged like a private room and and that uh, and, like a custom meal, and then he said, uh, 
that most most people there are doing a tasting menu, but that I, I may not want that. Uh, he asked, would I want the tasting menu or do I want to just uh, you know, kind of create my own uh, meal there that's not a tasting menu? So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll just create my own meal. So I, I did, and then uh, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm a little worried that uh, it's going to be a little bit small, maybe especially if they get confused because everybody else is getting a tasting menu, it's going to be a small portion. So I said, um, yeah, let, let's just do a double meal here. Uh, just to be safe, and and he said okay, so we did that. And I thought maybe it'll be too much, but uh, I figure I can probably eat it. So the meal comes, and just so much food is coming to me. I mean, I couldn't believe. I'm like, wow, if this is this is the double portion, I, the single portion would have would have been fine because. Uh, but I felt bad after telling my dad to make the double portion order that I wasn't going to waste a lot of it, and and uh, you know I would have look like a jerk to have done that and I, I would have felt bad so mm-hmm. I I kept eating and I I got towards the end I was getting very full and I almost ate all of it I came very very close to the end of it and I just said you know I, I had no idea this double portion was going to be so big uh, so I I, I guess stopped my dad's like no 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 don't force it down if, 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 you've, if you've eaten so much food. don't do that uh, I, I ordered the double portion because you said you wanted it I, I didn't expect you to eat the whole thing I I said, okay, I, you know, I really did, felt bad. So, so then I said, well, I'm, I'm just impressed at how much food they gave me here. I mean, it, it, even half of this would be a very large uh, meal. So then my dad uh, mentions this to the server. The server says, uh, double? I, I thought you wanted a quadruple meal there. I thought you wanted four portions there. So they hmm. actually gave me a quadruple wow. meal. That's that, funny. That, that, that was, uh, they, they, because they, you know, basically what, whatever I selected, they, uh, they basically portioned it out to where instead of equaling two normal sized meals, it was four normal sized meals. So I almost ate a quadruple huh. meal, and I I actually felt a little bit sick after that because I, that was a, that among Imagine. the most that was the most I ever ate. I think or if it, was, it wasn't, it was very close. And that, uh, that kind of uh, reminds me of something. Uh, Traderuski, you still on the line? Traderuski, I'm here. I'm on a radio here. show now. All right, right so there. listen. Trader Ruski was honored. Uh, you know, he don't like to talk about all the accolade, accolades and acclaim and whatnot. But Trader Ruski was honored by the Men's Auxiliary Club at, in Henderson uh, a while back. And he actually invited me. And I went with him. And uh, he can tell you why he was being honored if he wants. But anyhow, he uh, told a story of uh, the first time, a first time sushi eating story. He told the audience when he was accepting the award that I, everyone thought was hilarious. Trader Ruski, do you want to tell that story? Well, yeah, so, right, because I think when I, you asked earlier what foods you didn't like, so when I was probably like 21, 22, sushi was like just getting really big, and me and my buddy went to go see Eddie Money at the Troubadour. I think it was the Troubadour, but it was one of the places right there on Sunset. So we went in, like two minutes later, he's in a fight, we get thrown out, and so there was like a sushi place next door, we said, well, fuck it, let's try sushi. We all order all the different things, took three bites, and this is the nastiest shit I've ever had, and left. Jeez. And now I love sushi, so, you know. Yeah. Oh, you should have seen it. He told the story a little bit more, uh, just, you know, with more detail at the Auxiliary Club, but yeah, that's basically, it was very, very funny. So, so wait, I, it's... I it's, huh? This is the reverse of my story, where he hardly ate anything. I ate four meals; he ate like zero meals. Yeah, yeah, actually, it would be. Well, I learned so, to eat a lot. Let me—I got a story that you guys. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now, Pac-Man, hold on one second. Now, now listen, of course, I'm Pac-Man not eats to be a lot. Rude, 
but you got to tell your last death road meal Traderuski did and Druff did. I never got a got the That's true. The we, we that's right. Brandon got stiffed here. Hey, I'm so, just happy to be on the show, man. You go ahead. No, no, it's no. I'm not. I'm, I'm just kidding. You stay, stick, stay. You know, stay on the I show. Know, I know. All right. So I don't know. You know, my taste buds change from day to day. Like, you know, maybe next week, if you ask me the same question, it'd be different. But right now, what I would get is there's a, a restaurant in uh, Las Vegas called Mastriani's. It's a mom and pop Italian restaurant, but it's a high end Italian restaurant. It's not like, you know, Olive Garden, you know, like two people without a bottle of wine, you know, appetizers. You're talking about $150, $200, but amazing food. Anyhow, so that I would have my last meal sent from there. And what I would order right now, uh, is I would get, I know I'm going to be the only one, I would get probably uh, their chopped salad, which which actually has vegetables. And it has cucumbers and olives and uh, tomatoes and it has hearts of palm, which I like, and avocado and cucumbers and, and onions. So I'd get that to start. I'd get a bowl, and I've, I just love this. I'd get a bowl of the Manhattan, not the New England, but the Manhattan clam chowder, okay, just as an appetizer. I would get... Uh, some sort of lobster appetizer, like maybe a lobster tail, or they have like lobster stuffed mushrooms, but something with lobster as an appetizer. As my encore, okay, or as my entree, rather, I would definitely get some sort of veal dish, maybe like a veal Milanese or a veal piccata or a veal, you know, probably not Parmesan because I don't like it breaded, but I'd get some sort of, uh, you know, pounded, like with an egg base, you know, battered veal. And you know what? The best part about it is, even if they start protesting, they're like, "Oh, he's getting veal." Like, you know, I don't even care. I'm going to be dead the next day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let the let Peter come and right. let the. I mean, get what I'm saying? With tell me something, uh, Trader Ruski. Is there a better time in your life to order veal, okay, and not have to worry about the protesters than your last meal on death row? I mean, I don't think so. Well, I guess since at that point you're probably not going to see the man upstairs, so it's probably fine. All right, and then for dessert, I'm going to get some sort of like high end. Like really good cappuccino, or you know something similar, some kind of real nice coffee, and then I'm gonna go with Druff, and I'm gonna have a cheesecake, okay? But I don't want like this crappy like you know Walmart or you know whatever. I want like a real ricotta. Have any of you had like a real ricotta cheesecake? Not like the crap cheese that like most. No, no, no. I, you know, I've, had, I've had some very good ones. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, that's I want a real ricotta, like homemade, not with like the filler shit, like with a real ricotta cheese cheesecake and probably with either real either real blueberries or real like raspberries or cherries i can't decide but some sort of real fruit topping and that will be it and i don't want to eat too much because i do probably want to get a little sleep and also a boy's got to watch his figure before they put you on the gurney (laughs) um and then just so you all know i would probably do uh my choice if you're in a state where they actually ask you or you you get to pick how you want to uh, go, I'm probably going to go with uh, lethal injection, I think. Now, because there's one state where, this is a good trivia question here since we're talking about this gruesome stuff, there's still only one state in the country where somebody is allowed to request their death to be by firing squad. Does anybody know the state that still allows firing squad? Yeah, I heard about this, but I forgot which one it is. Trey Um, Ruski? Trader Ruski. Jesus, we're gonna have to boot him off the show. Trader Ruski. No clue. Pac. All right, uh, Pac Man. Do you have any idea? I would say either Alabama or Texas. No, Druff. Do you have an idea? Uh, it's not a state you would think. 
It was in Michigan? No, great state of Utah. Okay. It's a very, very strange thing. So, but anyhow, all right. So, Pac-Man, you you said you had a a food story, and then we can wrap this up. It's getting kind of late now, obviously, for Druff. It's been on. What time did you start uh, there, Todd? Uh, I started at around uh, 1040. No, it's not too bad then, but all right. Pac-Man, what was your food story, sir? All right, I'll tell I'll tell you how. Okay. I'm about to be at work, so after this, I got to go myself. All right, um, What happened was, when I was about 25 years old, I was living in Nashville, Tennessee. And let's just say I was a little bit of a D-Gen, and so was a few of my friends. So we never, we didn't have a lot of money to, like, eat sometimes. You know, we had a rent. We used to go to Tunica, Mississippi to play cards home games and you know sometimes money was tight i'm not gonna lie about it so what me a buddy of mine john did and another buddy louie is what we did is we went to golden corral and we learned like what the managers names were and what shifts they worked so what we would do is we would call at a certain time and say hey you know uh, we hey. talked to you know so and so we came in at the end of the shift at the yesterday the food was cold. It was kind of, you know, not a good experience. And they'd be like, oh, we're so sorry, sir. Well, why don't we go ahead and comp you, you know, I say comp because of casinos, but comp you uh, three three meals. So they'd be like, oh, okay. So, you know, the very next day we'd go in or that day we'd go in. We'd eat for free. We'd still tip the wait staff and everything. And, you know, that would be our meal for the day. So we learned to go ahead and really, like, you know, like jackals, like get like, eat our body weight for that day because we didn't know what our next meal was going to be. Sure. It sounds like the show should be called uh, Buffet Fraud Alert. You know, I, I had a, a girl... <laughs> I was a, 25, man. I'm sorry. A girlfriend that I had... A girlfriend that I had, uh, this was in Vegas, introduced me to, like, a friend of theirs, and it was a, it was a gay couple. They weren't married, not that it matters. It was a gay couple, and they uh, were, like, dancers, and but they weren't like they were still kind of rising or I don't know what the they didn't have a lot of money so I don't know whatever the deal was and that's what they would do from time to time like when it got towards like the second week you know they get paid every other week they literally like the one dominating partner like the male partner of the you know the the two gate the couple would call and complain and he knew just what restaurants to complain at and what to say and would get like a free meal see this and this they is would why. Do this all, yeah, this is this huh? is this is why no one gives my complaints uh, any weight. Well, no, of course, I'm right. Because <laughs> it's all these people trying to angle, and I'm actually telling the truth, and the people are suspicious of me. I get it. You know, and listen. You know, I, I have do... a question, Jeff. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. No, no. Uh, I, and Brandon, you... go ahead. Go ahead. With, you're you're go going ahead. to work soon. Okay. Go ahead with your question. Yeah, yeah. Okay, this is my question, and I've I've heard these stories and these complaints, and they're valid, Jeff. I'm not going to say they're not valid. Okay. Um, but the only thing I've ever wondered is, you know, I know you're a successful poker player. I know that, you know, you're, you know, pretty well off. Can we say that? Pretty well off. And, um, sometimes you just say something for like a fast food place in the casino. Like you spend like three, I'd say three hours of your time to get back like something that costs you maybe 10 bucks. And I'm thinking to myself, this man, you know, he plays. That's a principle with him. It's the principle. Well, okay, Brandon's partially right. It's uh, it's part it's it is partially the principle, and and partially it is if uh, if if an employee there is knowingly rude and nasty with me, 
then I want their boss to know about it. And, and people say, why do you get them fired? I, I don't get anybody fired because I don't have that power. I cannot fire somebody at a, at a place that I do not own or manage. Nor can you hire them. Nor can I hire them, right. So so all I can do is give a report to their boss about what happened. And as long as they don't lie, which I don't do, if I tell their boss, this is what happened, this is exactly what they said to me, this is what led up to the circumstances, and I tell them an accurate story, and the boss says, I don't want this going on in my place where I don't want to have people like this working here and they get fired. That's their fault, not mine. I'm just giving visibility to the boss as to what happened. However, I don't do that if there's a, a, an accidental human mistake because I realize people aren't perfect and people will, will make mistakes. I'm talking about where someone is consciously making the choice to being a complete asshole to me and trying to use their job to hold power over me. Or, or, or to do something to, to make my life difficult or whatever. And, and they, and I'll even sometimes give them a chance. I'll say, look, I'm going to come back. We can either you know, solve this now or I'm going to, I'm going to come back tomorrow and I'm going to talk to the general manager. What happened? I'll let them decide. And so I even let them know. I go, if you, if you solve this now, I'll walk out. I'll never say anything about it. And then it's like, they'll, they'll still posture and say too bad. You know, I'm, and, and they will not care. And then, then I'll go through with it. And that's, that's what, like, if that's mm-hmm. Smashburger at the Rio, that's why the, the manager there is gone. Or the 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 night the night manager who was awful, who everybody hated, oh. that people tweeted about, <laughs> uh, is now gone because I was and the rumor, one who went and reported it. So that's rumor, that was an example. I wasn't. Has it, rumor has it also that uh, they got a little picture of you on a dartboard at this little coffee shop up at Harris <laughs> in Reno or Lake Tahoe that you, from the guy that you got fired for taking off work early. That's right. That's right. At Harris Lake Tahoe, the guy who was uh, the, the the heavily advertised uh, all night breakfast from ten to six, and the guy was knocking off at five thirty every day, and I was so annoyed. I was so annoyed after playing video poker all night, and I come there at five forty. I came at five forty, not at five fifty five, not at five fifty seven. I came at five forty because I I didn't want to be the dick who comes in like right before closing. I wanted, and I figured this is a simple meal, like a simple breakfast of eggs and, and bacon. And fairness, five forty is still right before closing, but it's not like no, but it's not it, as bad as five fifty. No, no. The point is that they 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 can get my meal made before six. They, they I don't even make him stay over. It's it, it's it's a simple fast thing to make. It was like like fry eggs and and give me bacon, and that's it. Like a it's a simple meal like that. So. You didn't know he had to be six o'clock at another joint down the street, right? So I was I was there. At, I come in at five forty, and they tell me I can't have it. I said the sign all over town, not just in Harris. It's like they have giant billboards in town saying ten to six. I was saying you're saying at five forty, I can't have something something that's open ten to six. That that does and, and and they tell me they tell me that no the guy leaves every day at five thirty. Wait a minute, he leaves every day at five thirty. I thought like if they told me he had to go home sick at five thirty, I would have understood. No, he leaves every day at five thirty because he has another job across town at six. I go well then don't promote this as ten to as ten to six. So promote I, as ten to five thirty. And and the funny thing was I I had to call up and it was promoted all over Lake Tahoe. I mean you you look up and there's like giant billboards everywhere about this thing. So it's amazing it took this long. And they said that a lot. A lot of people have complained, but nobody actually took it to anyone of any authority. They just kind of grumble about it when they went to the front desk. Like I, I mentioned That's what it to most the, people do, Druff. They don't take it to the level that you do. Yeah, so I mentioned it to the front desk. They're like, oh, we hear this every day. And I'm like, well, how come the food and beverage manager? Oh, we just never told them. So anyway, I, I had just made a complaint to the food and beverage manager about a completely separate incident where I was also totally right, where the, the, the assistant manager who was the one in charge at the time didn't know the rewards credits exchange rate and then got just really nasty with me when I wanted to know it. And, uh, yeah, she, I remember that so that, story. so like a huge confrontation was created over something so stupid. And I was trying to totally avoid that. And she was just like, uh, she just wanted me to just give up and, and just accept that, that, uh, 
that what she's telling me is correct when she told me some insane thing, which didn't make any sense. And she was mad that I wasn't taking her answer, which was totally wrong. So she was getting angry and angry with me and, and, and eventually uh, shouted at me and embarrassed me in front of the whole restaurant. And, and uh, so – and then when I uh, – then I left. I then I, I, I left. I asked some questions to uh, Total Rewards, came back down there and told her she was wrong and I wanted her manager's number. And then she continued to justify what she did and, in fact, said she's going to call security get me thrown out of the place. So I said, and I and I I said, I said, look, I'm first of all, why do you need security? I came down here to get the manager's number. I haven't been harassing anybody. I'm not. I haven't used profanity. I haven't been threatening in any way. And so, anyways, I was so. The point you're making is you may be a lot of things in your life, but you're no security threat. Right. So, so I anyway, after all this bullshit and after her her shouting at me there, the woman was like that Amy Cooper in Central Park, the drop. There you go. So, so, so I told them. So, so I. I, I got a hold of the food and beverage manager, and it turned out she violated all kinds of rules, including that if there's any incident with a customer, that the, any employee there who has an incident with a customer has to self-report. And, of course, she didn't do that. And apparently he was there when that whole question about the RC exchange rate was there and that she should have asked him, and she chose to just, like, be prideful and didn't want to go ask him and just in, instead chose to have a confrontation with me. Anyway, like, a, like she violated, like, seven different rules there, he told me, and he was furious. Mm-hmm. And so so she got in some big trouble there. I don't know what happened to her, but whatever it was, she deserved it. Then anyway, so after I had that all with him, then I'm like, well, do I even bother him again to tell him about this thing with a 530? I mean, I think he probably would want to know. So I'm like... That he already gave me a comp for what had happened at that uh, at that uh, restaurant, that first restaurant with that assistant manager. Which, by the way, he checked with the other employees there, and they all like hundred percent verified my story. So he knew I was hundred percent correct, like of what happened. He, he asked several pitches. he asked several people, and they all like backed that what I my, my story of what happened was true. So anyway, I uh, I went to. Uh, so then I'm like, do I dare go to this guy again, or is he going to think I'm like a chronic complainer? And I'm like, well, you know, this is verifiable, though. I'm, it's not like I'm saying someone was rude to me again. This is like a like a a, a real thing that he can verify. So I I, uh, I I left him a message, and I said, I hate to bother you again, and I really appreciate uh, how uh, you know what you did with the last complaint, but uh, I think you're just going to want to know this for your own information. You know that you know that oh, wait, you had to complain to the same guy. Yes, <laughs> and I, like I, it, was, it was a dilemma because like I, I felt like he should I know. know. I get it, but you right, you got to see the irony in that though. No, right? I, I felt really That's weird funny. about making the call. I felt yeah, so weird about right. making the call, but I'm like, at least this is like verifiable. If it were like they were rude to me in a different place, I just wouldn't have said anything because I would he would never believe me. He would think that I'm just asking for it in some way. But I I said yeah. this is something. This is like a verifiable fact that the guy leaves at five thirty every day. So I said, I just want to let you know, you can do what you want with it. I don't want any additional comps. I don't want any compensation. I don't want, like, I'm not looking for you to do anything for me. I just would like you to know this is, I just want you to know this is going on. Your, your, your highly promoted breakfast from 10 to 6 is really from 10 to 5.30 because the dude knocks off at 5.30 every day to go different, to a different job. And I, I personally found it frustrating when I got there at 5.40. And, it was, and, and, and you know, just – I don't – again, I want nothing from this. You don't even have to call me back. I'm just letting you know. So anyway, I, I was told by uh, – I was told by somebody else who went to Lake Tahoe like two weeks later that that had changed and that it was it was truly till 6 at that point. So uh, uh, that was so finally changed. eating – the the late night special after from five thirty to six in essence can thank you. Yes, and you want to hear something. Saying? You want to hear something additionally tilting with that five thirty thing. So when they couldn't serve me at five forty, I frustratedly walked out of there because I knew there's no option. There's just no one to cook the food. So I, I frustratedly walked out of there, mm-hmm. and I said, okay, well, 
this is a pain in the ass, but okay, I'll just go down to the coffee shop and, and I'll, I'll, I don't want to have to wait for the whole meal there, but okay, I'll do it. So I walked down to the coffee shop and, and they break the news to me that, uh, sorry, the, we actually don't open here till 6.30. So there's actually nowhere, there was not a single thing open in Harris Lake Tahoe to eat, uh, between, uh, this 5.30 and 6.30. There was just nothing you could have there. So I was, I, and I was super hungry. So I was like, do I just go to bed and just hope the hunger doesn't distract me from falling asleep? Or do I, do no, I wait till 6.30? I couldn't do that. I have to wait because I can't, especially because you know you're going to sleep a while. Then you're going to wake up even worse. Now you got to eat. Buddy. Right. So that's what I did. I just, I just, I forced myself to stay up till 6.30 and then went down like the moment 6.30 hit to get it at that, at that coffee shop. And boy, was I pissed. That was like, it was like, if the thing is I could have quit earlier, I didn't have to go there at 5.40. If I knew the, if I knew the cutoff was 5.30, what is that in the background? I think, I think Scott, Scott, are you at, or Scott, uh, Jesus, Pac-Man, are you at work? I just got to work. I'm trying to. I was about to get off, but I didn't want to just be rude and hang up. No, I know you can be rude. Hang and hang up. It's all right. We could be long winded. Listen, Pac Man, we had a great time. Do me a favor. uh, Really, really take good care of that produce for us. I mean, for me at least, because I like I like really good produce. Yeah, for me it doesn't matter. I go to Whole Foods. Keep it green and keep it leafy. Yeah, please do. And let me ask you something. You know, last question. We'll ask you real fast, sir, Pac Man. You know, they're making a big deal. The media, the, the, the social media, on the news whatever you want to call it, about the differences, the health differences between eating these organic greens and these non-organic. Now, you tell me, lately, or for a while now, I should say, I've been paying the extra dollar, dollar fifty per item to get this organic produce versus the non-organic. Now, am I a sucker? Am I wasting my money? Is there not even any health <laughs> That's a good question. Or should I keep getting the, the spending the dollar, dollar fifty upcharge and getting the organic for myself and my family? Uh, well, I'll tell you this: they do they do prepare it different ways. They don't use certain things and everything. But to be totally honest with you, I think it's a bunch of BS. I think you just pay an extra money to just for no real reason. That's kind of how I hey, feel. That's just my opinion. I'm not an expert. That's so because because the thing that always confuses me is I'll see like an avocado from Mexico and it says certified organic. How do I know that they're making it organic in Mexico? Who's going to even tell me the truth what? if they were or they weren't? You know what I mean? I'll yeah. tell you when it comes from Mex- when it comes from Mexico, man. I mean, yeah, it could say organic, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, the regulations there are so like loose and so. Uh, money so Scott, let me put it this you know way: I mean? you, you being you being someone that is in the produce business, uh, do you have a family? Do you have any young ones? A wife? Anything like that? Children? I, I I'm married and I have a little girl. Okay, so when you were shopping, if you're shopping for you know, produce for your wife and, and, and your daughter, you know, they're going to be eating it too. Would you just get the normal stuff? And you're giving it, of course, the eye test. You're looking at it. You're not just, you know, getting crap. But or would you splurge the extra couple dollars if it says organic, healthier, whatever it may say on it? Or would you get the normal stuff for your family? Well, well, I'll be honest. I get the normal stuff because, like, I go to our farm. We actually have a farm with mm-hmm. my company that not only do we get from the local farmers, but we have our own farm. And I see what they do with it. I mean, I get it fresh. I get it right out of the fields. And I'm telling you, there's like zero difference. I mean, you know, I, in fact, wow. sometimes I, there was a um, fun fact. There was a company around here. I don't want to say the name because, you know, it, it identifies me. And I don't want to yeah. seem like I'm that guy. That They actually got in trouble and they lost one of their uh, seller licenses because they were putting organic on a package when it wasn't. It was regularly Oh, brown. my. Wow. So even so, I mean, yeah, it says organic on the package, man. But you, I'm telling you, I wouldn't just go to Shoprite and it, because it says organic. Got trust it. in that. I would definitely make sure you know. 
sure. the farm or whatever, you know, you'd have to do research if you want that true okay. organic. Well, you know, so. this is really interesting. A lot of people call into the show, and I'm not mocking. I'm not mocking Todd here. I promise you. And Todd, you know, someone calls in, and Todd gets to know them. They're a lawyer. Todd gets excited. Oh, well, you know, if I ever need something, I know a lawyer. Someone calls in, they work at a casino. But you see, you're going to be of no use to Todd because the last thing Todd wants is a vegetable con- a greens connection. But for myself, you may be a good connection because I partake in the greens. Is that a fair statement, Todd? I'm not mocking you. I'm just saying you would. Have no need to have a, a connection. That's true. I, that is true. Even me or my dog. Yeah, or your dog. Yeah. So, listen. Brandon, uh, if you want anything fresh mm-hmm. from New Jersey, I'll send it to you, man. You're, you're the best. Pac-Man, go do your yeah. job. Don't get fired. Be safe. Wear a mask. Do all that stuff. Keep the food chain uh, safe. And thank you very much for calling in this morning. We've enjoyed having you on the Fraud Show. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, thank you, Pac-Man. You have a good day, too. And that was Pac-Man and... Right. Uh, 10, 15 minutes away, he said. From, hey, Pac-Man, go to William Hill. We, we, I, I hung, he's, he's gone already. He's, uh, right. But he's going to listen to the show. He'll 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 get the message. Right. What, uh, Trader Ruski, what about you? Do you do the organic thing when you're shopping for yourself or for Ma or for a special loved one? Trader Ruski? I feel like with, with Trader Ruski, it's like being on network TV with like a 10-second lag. <laughs> what? Hello? We're getting nothing. Oh, it's it's a, a bad connection or something. Trader Ruski, you're ruining the you radio show, buddy. Here? No, he can't. You're all broken up. Hold on. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> How about that? Ter- is that better? Is that better? Yeah. Oh, my God. What is going is on here? Now? That's like a radio interference. What's going on here? Yeah. We're picking Trader- up AM radio here. Yeah. Trader Ruski, how long have you been coming on this fraud show and you don't even – I'm getting concerned. What are you doing in that house? At 6 a.m., that we can't even sound like you. It's terrible. <laughs> All right. Oh, you speak. know what it was? You know what, what it was? I was driving away, so it clicked off of Wi-Fi into my cell here. But oh. I should be good now. Well, you know oh, what? Uh, I actually – this this creates work for me every week. I actually uh, – when I edit the show, when there's these pauses between me asking Trader Ruski something, I actually edit those pauses out. So it sounds yep. like he answers right away. I go, Trader Ruski, how do you feel about this? And it's like, bang, right away he has the answer. I go, if only yep. that could be real life. <laughs> If only they could be realized. The question uh-huh. was when you're the question was when you're shopping for Ma or a loved one or whoever it may be, even uh, your little your little pooch. Do you do organic for the small upcharge or do you just always buy regular? Normally organic. Really? Okay. I do too. But, See, I don't. So this, yeah. This brings up a question though: Are we suckers? Do you think possibly Trader Ruski, or are we really getting some sort of increased health benefit? By spending the extra fifty cent to a dollar, you know, an item, which is normally what it, at least out here in Nevada, it costs for regular versus organic. What do you think, Trader Ruski? Are we suckers? Are we fish in the game of organic food, or no? You know, I'll, I'll bet if we bought ten organic items, we'd probably be suckers for about four or five of them, and the other ones, you know, they probably really created it healthier less toxins or whatever but but so. here, here's here's the question okay this is this is why i don't do it unless unless the regular version is out and i just feel that uh it's that or nothing uh, but uh, that's the only time i get organic is if that's my only choice the the reason i don't get organic is because i feel that uh whatever it might be saving me health-wise that uh it's not doing a whole lot overall that uh it's there's there's so many uh, there could be so many similar 
uh, issues with with food that's already produced that isn't organic that I'm eating. That uh, that is it, negligible. It it's, it's negligible. It, it's kind of like the old joke of, about the person who orders this huge high calorie meal and says, "And I'll have a diet coke." Yeah. And everybody laughs at them. I kind of feel like that would be the case if I were to get something organic. So I, I don't bother. Uh, it's it's not even about feeling like a sucker. It's that I just don't feel like even if it's correct, it's going to end up meaning very much. So I just sure. I just get the regular. Now, and- now it's funny that you mentioned Diet Coke because this is going to segue into at least the last topic that I have on the fraud show tonight. After forty nine years, forty nine mostly great years, uh, great the great American company Coca Cola announced two days ago on Friday uh, the dis. They're, that they're dis, uh, they're not making anymore. They're discontinuing a brand that started a brand of their soda that started again almost half a century ago. That although it's not popular now, there's still a cult following of it. Does anyone have a guess? Yeah, I know what it is. What, okay, actually, I'm sure. Yeah, you, you I, saw. I, I know Jordan, what it is too. See, I, see it's, it's not yeah, obscure. It's is tab. tab. Yeah, it's down. Tab is a. Uh, it, it's got uh, some degree now, of fame Trump, also. On, Druff, you're the 70s and 80s guys, and they're going to be, listen, let's not kid ourselves, boys. There are going to be people that are listening now, and they're like, Tab, what's a Tab? So, Druff, please give them the brief, give them the backstory, but let's not make it, you know, a 15, 20 No, I don't have a long backstory. It's just a, a, a diet uh, soda that, that they've made since the early 70s, mm-hmm. uh, pretty close to when I was born is when it started. And then uh, it's it's been around for a long time. I actually didn't know it was even still there. I thought it was gone a long time ago. Well, it's in the supermarket shelves. How I don't. I that? Some reason I don't see it. But uh, maybe it's not carried where I where I've shopped. But uh, I, I it's possible I see it and just don't think about it. But I, I really don't recall seeing it any time that recently. And I've heard others say the same thing. But it, it is just being discontinued. And uh, it was featured uh, in Back to the Future. In, in the fifties. I was just going to mention when, that when, when, when Marty uh, McFly yeah, he, asked he, the counter help man. He said, uh, I want a I tab. Just have a tab. And what did he respond, Ralph? He said, I, I can't give you a tab unless you order something. <laughs> That's what he said. Because <laughs> the tab hadn't been invented yet. Right, yes. There you go. Um, now, have either of you boys ever had I've never had it, but I remember when I was young, my mom used to drink it. Like, I don't know, when I mean young, I mean like five, six, seven, eight years old. Have either of you boys, but I've never tried it. Have either of you boys ever tasted a tab? No. Trader yeah, Risky. Yeah, definitely. Now, yeah, that tab was I mean, I'm, I got a, no. I have a few. I have a few years on you guys. So, yeah, I mean, it was pretty much. You know, it was like uh, one of the sodas back in my day. I don't know. It's not that many years, Trader. I, th- I think you're four years older than me, or something. So it's not yeah, that many. Still years. a couple right, years, right? But, but no, but it, right. But I think when I was like eleven, twelve ish, you know, I think tab was kind of big then, and it, you were probably mm. maybe too young at that point to drink too much soda, but. Now this yeah, may but be I, just, a, I mean, my, and my mom liked it too, so that's probably so why it was mine. in my life. That's probably this what it was. Be, this may be a fun game to incorporate for prizes for for listeners and guests, or listeners and you know on the fraud show in the future. Uh, it would be like a predict or what did Trader Ruski do or did Trader Ruski do this? So I'll give you an example of, of a possible question. We'll ask Druff of what we could maybe have in the future. And, of course, there's going to be no inside information, no collusion, none of that stuff. Now, Druff, if I asked Trader Ruski, if he ever, and Trader Ruski, of course, has to always answer honestly, if we asked Trader Ruski if he ever had an alcoholic beverage in his life and had Tab as the mixer, 
So like a tab in, in rum, a tab in... I, I would say a strong no. You, you, okay, so it wouldn't just be a no. It would be a strong no. A strong no, yeah. Like, okay, and if it was... If you're a sports book offering lines on Trader Ruski, having tab as a mixer with an alcoholic beverage, it would the no would be minus what? All right, plus. It would, or, you know, the no would be minus... Uh, be minus, Drough. Now, come on. Now. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it would minus, be minus uh, eight hundred. Strong no, minus eight hundred. Okay, fair. So for those that don't know all this, every eight hundred you bet on, you'd have to bet eight hundred dollars to win a hundred. Yeah. That Trader Ruski never had tab with it. Okay, and I don't know the answer to this, of course. Trader Ruski, in your entire life, underage, uh, of age, doesn't matter. Have you ever had an alcoholic cocktail with tab as a mixer? Well, when you asked the question, in my head, I said, hell no. So I think we've got to give Druff some extra points for a very strong no. Oh, okay. <laughs> N- never. Minus okay. 800 All right. wins, surprisingly. Now, uh, I, I didn't try it because I didn't feel a need for diet soda. I, I never liked diet soda of any kind, and mm-hmm. especially when I was younger, when Tab was much bigger, uh, I was thin. So I, there was no reason gotcha. for me to, to have anything diet. And, but even when I started to gain weight and uh, there would have been some incentive to have a drink that's less calories, I, ju- I just could not bring myself to like any kind of diet soda. I just Neither found it very unappealing. It. Yeah. I've tried it too. I can't do okay. it. Then the last one, again, and I think the audience now, the listeners know where we're going with this, and I'll definitely, we'll definitely incorporate this in the future. It's another, it's the last Trader Ruski question. Now, Druff, we're sticking with Tab, okay, as a theme here. What has happened, Druff, in your opinion, last? The Dodgers winning a World Series or Trader Ruski having a sip, a glass, whatever you want to call it, of Tab? What is the, 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 the most recent event, Trader Ruski drinking Tab or the Dodgers winning the World Series? Oh, I, for those I, of you who don't know, the Dodgers last won the World Series in 1988. Yeah. Right? Is it 88? Yeah, I believe, okay. believe that Trader Ruski... Uh, drank tab. Uh, he got he, he drank tab after eighty eight. So that was, that was okay. the second thing. But it's not as strong. You believe it's just a, you believe. Yeah, I, I think that's that's more like minus one forty, maybe what minus one sixty, one thirty, somewhere in that area. I say minus one seventy. Minus one. Okay. Now, Trader Ruski, to the best of your knowledge, have you drank a tab since the Dodgers have won the World Series in eighty eight, or was your last tab before? I believe I was. 21 in 88, and so the underdog is a winner. Wow. That's what I would have bet to. I would have done the same. I wouldn't have thought thought, that you would have I would have thought he would have had at least one by by then, because it was still still somewhat uh, big in 88. Like, Back to the Future in 85, that that was was a joke people got at the time, so it was popular enough then. Right, but I just wasn't living at home, you know, so, so, you know. Uh, otherwise, right, so if I hadn't if I hadn't known that you had been drinking tab before that, I wouldn't have said this. But it was that well, I you can't give out that Druff, Do you have one for me now? Let's do one more, so the audience fully understands. Does it have we'll, to be about we'll tab? Have maybe some callers. No, no, it could be anything. It's going to be Trader <laughs> Ruski. I mean, I think we've run out of tab questions. But give me a one. Did Trader Ruski do this, or you know something? Or we're betting on Trader Ruski, and he has to answer. Like it, you know, like a Johnny Lawton thinks, like a Trader Ruski yeah. thinks kind of thing. But it's more of a trade what Trader Ruski did, not thinks. Yeah, well, yes, exactly. See if you can come up with a good one, and we'll wrap this up, and we'll say shalom, and we'll all move on with our day. Okay. Um, can you think of one? I'm, try- I'm trying to think of something yeah, here. I'm, I'm, my mind's in a, such a creative mode now. I can think of a hundred, but <laughs> I don't want to keep asking you. I don't want to give you the one I want you to ask me. Okay. 
So I want you to pick one. And it has to make it funny, though. Make it good. Make it, you know, the audience we want to entertain. We're here to entertain, Druff. We don't want to bore them. I know. Yeah, a good I've, one. I've been at this for so many hours, though. It's, it's, it starts to get harder to come up with these things. But uh... well, well, while Druff's thinking, I'll just make a comment, Brandon. Mm-hmm. I mean, could you, could you like, as Druff was telling those stories, I could just feel like the smile, the exuberation that must have been on his face as he was recalling all of those incidents with the fast food workers. No, but that's not even true. I, I'll tell you, you something. You don't take joy in it. No, no, no. I don't take joy. Don't, that, I only take, take joy, joy in a happy mm-hmm. – I, I take joy in a happy ending when, when some obnoxious employee thinks they're getting one over on me and then they and end up getting in trouble. happy ending, it's not a double right. entendre. Well, it could, it could be not that too. But, uh, <laughs> well, all right. Not if you can't get hard in no dreams, though. Well, but it would story. be in real life, though, so that would be no yeah, problem. I, I don't have that issue in real life. It's just in, in dreams. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, a question about what Trader Ruski did. Or, or Anything in his life, as long as you don't have any insight to rig it. You have to not know, and you have to, to your best ability, know that I don't know either. Like, if you know. Okay, he here, has, here's, you know, here's one here. Yeah. Here is one. Um, okay. Uh, on his own, that or on his own, we were with friends, not like uh, um, anything with family or anything like that. Just, just okay. uh, on, on his own, own or, with or, or with friends, did Traderuski drink an alcoholic beverage, uh, at least at least uh, like two ounces worth of any kind of alcoholic beverage before he was fifteen and a half? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's a strong yes. Yes is like minus twelve hundred. For 15 and a half? That's not that old. 15 and a half? Oh, well, well, well actually, that, 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 that was a yes. And as I was thinking about it, I was wondering strong... if I did have a, ta- have a tab in Bacardi back then as I was rummaging through uh-huh. my mom and dad's. Well, uh, listen, listen. You know. the reason why I base my strong yes is this. Probably the first time in every subsequent time that I've ever hung out with Trader Ruski, he has this big, and I mean massive, I don't know what, venti, whatever the largest size that Starbucks has ever made in terms of cups, he has. And he fills it with beer. Okay, like, and it's, you know, it's not like some low-class beer, but like some nice lager from Whole Foods or whatever, some beer. And it's filled to the brim. But he puts it in the, in, in, in the Whole Foods cup so he can walk around, you know, the casinos and the restaurant, whatever. It looks like he has a tea. And this kind of, you know, he, you know Trader Ruski, he can drink some alcohol. He's drinking beer. You don't even know. He doesn't even have a buzz. You know, he, he he has a high tolerance. But anyhow, the point is that kind of skill, that kind of tolerance is developed from an early age. Well, that could have been like I from mean, college time. It didn't have to be uh, 15 I mean, and a half. I, yeah, but that, my read was that that took some, you know. All right, so Trader Ruski, since I did win, uh, let's delve into this a little bit more. Two ounces or more, not with family, meaning not mom, dad, brother, with your friends or by yourself. When was the first time you can ever recall with friends or by yourself? Drinking a minimum of two ounces of any alcoholic substance. What age would you put yourself on? I mean, I'd say it was probably 13. Ooh, okay. Or 14. Yeah. There might have been some uh, bar mitzvah partying going on. But yeah, because on my block, I was like the youngest, you know? So Mm -hmm. a lot of the people that I'd hang out with, you know, were at least three, four years older than me. So, you know, and then my parents got divorced. My mom would go oh, to sleep early. To so I used to like, <laughs> I used to like steal the car at 14. Oh, wow. My friends around. I, I didn't you know he did that. Wow. So you were kind of a rambunctious, uh, bad influence. You were like a Corey Feldman of Trader Ruski's back in the day. 
Yeah, that was right in my hood, Corey Feldman. Wow. <laughs> we ran into him at a Stagebrush Cantina one time. Sagebrush Cantina. And my friends all drunk. The same the same friend who got me got us the boot of the Eddie Money concert and it was hilarious. It was probably within a year of that actually. Well you know you know if Corey it, when Corey Feldman was when Corey Feldman was uh saying he's gonna reveal the names of the uh people who uh abused him as a kid that uh and, and then he was playing games about revealing it, there was a post that was made on the internet that revealed it before anywhere else. And if you Googled it, it came up number one, and that was on one PokerFraudAlert.com. I remember that. True. But even more famous than that, we were the site that revealed that Charlie Sheen had the uh, had the, uh, the, the the HIV. The, yeah, and that was, that was thanks to Sonatine. He, he, we were number one for that, too. It's amazing. That we, of all <laughs> things, that's what came up on, on, on the So, anyhow, listen, and, boys. And, oh, by the way, Trump, yeah. I was going to – wait, let me just ask one question. Sure. Earlier when Pac-Man was talking about uh, the show, I was th- – are the Travis McCarr takes up on uh, Poker Fraud Alert, or did that all die with No, Donk that was that was with Donk Down. I can probably dig them up somewhere. I, mean, I guess I should post them somewhere. I, I got to dig them up. And uh, now it is a great story. For the, I mean, for those, who, you know, the undercover tapes he was recording. I mean, that's really some great stuff. Yeah, it was. It was very interesting. And in fact, that was the best listened to show I ever did uh, as far as Internet uh, radio shows or podcasts. That one got like uh, like 10,000 listeners or something. That was it wasn't Poker Fraud Alert, though. It was Donk Down. But uh, yeah, yeah we, for the newer listeners, I mean, I think that stuff is worth digging up. I think they'd find that really interesting. Yeah, the only thing that's um, the yeah, only thing that's, that's, that they may not like is that it's not super clear. You've got to kind of strain to listen sometimes. It it would be great if they were like just super crystal clear. Here back then, with everybody having like massive interest in the topic, you were willing to do it. Now, nine years later, if people didn't know the story that well, they may kind of lose patience trying to listen to the the. the 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 recording that was made by Russ Hamilton sneaking something in and making it look like he wasn't recording because he, he I don't think this was on a smartphone or anything this was done uh, in fact I'm sure it no, wasn't I think it was in a suitcase with yeah those little recorders right? yeah like smartphones like like iPhones were just invented around that time when he recorded it so it wasn't on an iPhone speaking of all that do we ever hear I haven't heard in forever what Russ Hamilton's up to like the last I remember hearing he was in South Florida playing at Hard Rock yeah that's the last I heard too yeah. That was years ago, but we don't ever – do you think he's just not playing poker anymore or people just leave him alone? What, what, what do you think? I think uh, – I'm trying to remember when, when we uh, we recently talked about this when we had Houston Curtis on here, and he, he knew Russ. And I, I think he's basically doing pretty much the same thing with uh, just kind of playing in South Florida and trying to stay out of the spotlight. So yeah. uh, hmm. uh, that, that was someone, again, who – just their reputation was so trashed that they he knew he was going to never be able to have a prominent position in anything again with poker. So uh, yeah. what's a shame with that story is that he was the only one who really took a reputation hit. And he deserved that hit, but there were many others who deserved it too who didn't get it, like a, like a certain person who runs a, a current security firm, a current computer security firm that shouldn't be doing so given his history. 
someone who's right. Because wasn't there a wasn't there a rumor that the founder of Iovation's wife was like banging? No, no, it wasn't a rumor. No, 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 no. That was just a rumor. No, it wasn't a rumor. That was that was actually proven. No, I know, but I just didn't want to get us into anything. No, no, no. That was that was that was in the media. No, that was in the media. We don't, you know, we don't need no more. No, I understand, but this this was actually it was actually she was prosecuted for it. So this wasn't just a rumor. She was actually prosecuted in court. That's a fact. And uh, that mm-hmm. that was uh, I, I just wonder how anyone stays with their wife when they're caught doing that. Like it's one thing your wife's cheating on you, but with a 16 year old, that's when it's time to jump ship. That's when it's time to serve the divorce papers and get out of that one. That, that, right. Like if that 25 seven guy's looking for a documentary, not fucking moron Mike Possel, <laughs> you know, this should be right. I mean, this would be a great story that i think people would love yeah except the fact that it's like except it was from the 2000s that's the only problem some people go yeah who cares about this it's from 2000 whatever but i i still think it it would be interesting with all the different uh angles to it especially there's all the absolute poker guys too which is a whole different angle to that story that was occurring separately but at the same time and then they happen to be the same company that merged together and a lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people think that the Absolute Poker scandal and the UB scandal was the same thing because it eventually became the same company. They don't realize that it was two totally different scandals that I don't think either realized the other one was doing it. That, that was what was really weird. That was, I guess it was an appropriate merger given that was the case. Crazy times there. I, I sometimes think back to more. that. I, I sometimes think back to that. And I, I can't believe that was happening and I was, uh, and I was a big part of, in, uh, in that whole thing and exposing it and it was very, very bizarre when that was all happening and, and to think back to a lot of these things from those days. And you know, now we're, now we're so many years past that. You know, you can, yeah. you can forget some of that, but uh, anyway, I think it's about time to shut this down. It's yeah. I got some, th- I got to start my day. I know Trader Ruski, Trader Ruski, you at the office yet, buddy? I'm walking Katie now. She's barking at a skateboarder who's going by. Um, but no, I've got my first calls at eight this morning, so it's an easy start to Monday, and uh, it's going to be a great week. And I hope everybody does too. Um, oh, I, yeah, I thought Pac-Man seemed like a good, <clears throat> good guy. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know him from the chat or whatever. No, I, I, he's, 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 been, he's, been on, he's been on the show did a few he times. Say, did I mishear him? I thought he said I invited him on the show. Now listen, I very well may have. No, no, no. He said no, no. He followed you on Instagram, and I think you followed him back. I think that's okay. What he said. And that might have happened, but I thought he said I invited him on the radio. Didn't he say that, or did I mishear him? I don't did think so. Say, so anyhow, <laughs> listen, boys, have a great day. Now, now, Druff, you're trying to get back to a uh, Friday uh, schedule. So, what does that mean for the future? Tell us. Well, what that means is that uh, the next show is six days from when this started and five days from now. It will be on October 24th on Saturday, but it will be after Game 4 of the World Series of the Tampa Bay Rays and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Whenever that is over, wait about 30 minutes to an hour, and the show here will probably start. All right. Unless unless I have a root canal and can't do it. That's possible, too. Mm Mm-hmm. And eventually it will be back on a Friday. Is that what we're saying? Yes. Then the following week we should be doing it on uh, on the thirtieth, which will be uh, Friday. And then right. and then we will do every seven days. It's this every six days is tough on me. I gotta. It's it's one less day here. I have to prepare, and uh, it just it just seems to come up pretty fast. And I go, wow! I just did the six days ago, and now it comes another really yeah. long show. It'll just feel like I'm just constantly doing poker fraud on the radio, and nothing else. And then for those that are asking, the listeners, the audience, 
that are old school uh, Daredevil fans, Druff, what would you say the odds are that Daredevil may be coming back on in 2020 to guest appear on a show? Oh, 2020? Uh, it's yeah. probably not very high because there's not that much left of it. Uh, right. He's welcome to come on, though. We, we occasionally pick him up. You know, once in a while he pops back yeah. and, and we have him again. And what about Northern maybe, California maybe, guy? Have we ever? Heard I was just about him? to ask about him, friend. You took the yeah. words right out of my mouth. You, you know, he's still there. I, I, for some reason, I kind of picture he just disappears and doesn't listen, but that's not true. He actually does listen. He just, uh, I think, he listens mainly in the archives and just doesn't interact much. But he's he's welcome to come on too. You know, he was a he was a popular. Well, what is co-host. he doing these days? Is he still maintaining his land? Living I don't his even know. Life? I don't know what he's doing. He's just. Uh, I occasionally get a message from him that he still listens, and that. Uh, and, oh, I said, nice. and I said, you, you you can come back and, and co-host, and, and it's like. It, he did a good job. What yeah, do you mean? of course. He, was a good, we had a no, good he kind of had the impression, like, like that uh, that we didn't need him anymore, or something. I'm like, no, 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 Aww. come back. We, uh, he can come back. Like, he wasn't he mad. Did. He was just, he was just kind of felt like uh, that he wasn't necessary. I go, no, no, no. We, th- I, in fact, especially those those days when I, I don't have any co-host, that would be great. But but yeah. even even if I did, I'd be happy to have him back. So he. So tonight was an interesting night for you. You thought you were going to go maybe the whole show without anybody, and then it kind of picked up steam. Around three thirty uh, Central Time or Pacific Time, is that accurate? Yeah, it's it's the opposite of usual, where where people come on at the beginning and then die off, and at the end, I'm just uh, it's just me. This is the reverse. You had no one on the first uh, five hours. Yeah, you? just me. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, that's all I got. Trader Ruski, any closing comments? Or are you, you good, buddy? Um, no, I'm good. Pro- oh, by the way, uh, props to Pac-Man for, I think he said, seven months no smoking. Oh, yeah, very good. Uh, I'm hitting I'm hitting two months this week, so, you know. I'm at, seven, I'm yeah, I'm at 17 months without cheating once. Not one cheat. Awesome. I'm at uh, 48 good. and a half years. <laughs> wow. Very good, buddy. Yeah, so good. you haven't cheated once and you're not using no... Uh, Nicoderm or any of those uh, products there? Haven't cheated once. Don't have a desire to. I did. I did call that one eight hundred no butts and got the the, the uh, patches. Mm-hmm. But then I said, like that day I ordered them. I just said I'm stopping. And so then they got here on like the fourth or fifth day, and then I just said, fuck it, I don't need them. Oh wow! And it was what just white knuckling for the first three weeks, and then I'm good now. You know, have been smoking probably a little more weed than normal, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like they they build Rome in a day, you know? Well, okay, well, congratulations to the two months without smoking and, uh... What about me? I'm on 17 months. I I thought you said, for some reason I thought you said uh, 17 days. Okay. uh, I have not had a single cigarette in 17 months. Oh, that's good. One, not a cheat. No, I'm done forever. That's very good. Yeah. No, that's, that's, unless, unless you find a reason to start again, you are done. That's, that's why I wasn't impressed with the 17 days. And I, 17, no, 17, 17 months is a different story. So why do you think you hear me with this? I, I, I don't know. I thought maybe you're doing both. No, no, no. It's been it's over. And it's actually been perfect because since there's a, this Asian flu, I don't have to go into a poker room. I, you know, so it, it's, it helped me kind of get over the initial, like, you know what I mean? Because, you know, gambling and, and smoking oh. obviously at times go hand in hand. And uh, being out of a poker room and not having, you know, gambling, it, it's helped so, and now it's funny. I go when I do briefly go into a casino. I smell cigarette smoke. I'm never going to be one of those, you know, people that are bitching and complaining. I don't know what I was thinking. The the smell is so disgusting to me now that like it's like night I and know. day. It's weird. Like you know, just because you know, 17 months ago I saw no problem with it. Now I go in, 
and it reeks, and I can't stand it. You know what I think would have been a a cure for people smoking in the past? It doesn't exist anymore, but uh, the old commerce smoking room. Do you remember that? Oh, Oh, yes. That That place was fucking sick. Yeah, of course. (laughs) This tiny room where everybody goes to smoke, and it's like the poor ventilation. I would go right outside. I never would go in there because I've been in one there maybe once. Why would anyone go in there because it's like a – Infectious disease rooms. It was, it was a tiny room that just everybody's smoking. It's like white with smoke in there. It was like I, I couldn't believe that room. And I think when I oh, saw no. the door open, it's how small it was. I was like, oh my god, who would go in there? But, but people the were. The walls are yellow. The walls yeah. are literally yellow from the smoke. It's and now it's like it's, it's some kind of office. It's some kind of office they converted it to. I, like they must have had to really like scrape off all the paint. <laughs> they must have been tough to get the smell out of that room. Jesus Christ. But I think just just trap someone in that room for a while who's a smoker. They'll probably leave and never touch another cigarette. <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. Well, listen, boys. You all have a great day. I'll see you all uh, individually or uh, collectively soon. Yes. Trader will talk before football today. Yes. Well, thank you for coming okay, on, guys. Okay. And, we, and, and we've got. Uh, I think we're down by four or five against Gaucho Jake tonight. So we need a big what an game amazing from Hill. Story. By the, by the way, just touching on that real, real, real fast, Druff. Uh, Trader Ruski says to me right before this draft, do you know this guy Jake from PFA? And I'm like, yeah, he's been around a long time. Why? And then, you know, then I hear this story, and it's, it's it's incredible that, like, they've known each other all these years. And, you know, it's, it really is the old adage, what a small world, without knowing they both are a part of the same small community forum, and they've known each other for, you know, how, how long have you known them? Yeah, it's got to be 15 yeah, that's what he posted on the site. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Amazing, really, really is. So, okay, that's all I got, kiddos. Okay, you all have a great okay. day. Stay safe and uh, Druff Traderuski. Good luck to your Dodgers. Um, Thank you. Okay. Oh, and Brandon, I got, a, be- I got my sales call at one. I can't do one, but let's do a little before. All right, I'll be around. You call me. Fire on the what have you. Okay. Uh, we got to do the music and what yep. I mean, what's going on? There we go. Well, that is it for this show, which somehow became long. I can't hear you. I know you can't ever hear over this. That's that's the way it goes. Oh. So anyway, uh, it's a Skype problem. What can I do? Anyway, uh, we'll be back on October 24th, as I mentioned a short time ago. And that will be on Saturday night after the Dodgers game. I thank Brandon and Trey Ruski for coming on, even though they probably can't hear me thanking them right now. But they can know. Talking to us? I can't hear a word. I am talking. You just can't hear it. But I'll let you know when to say shalom, even though you can't hear me. (laughs) This is a weird thing with Skype that when I play sound effects, they can hear the sound effects. But they cannot hear me over the sound effects. It's me or the sound effects. So the sound, since it's a song playing, it constantly drowns me out. But you guys can hear it. See, I can't have it whistling over this. What is this? This is corrupting the song. I can't even tell him not to. He can't hear me. I can't hear a thing. I don't know. Yeah, you can't hear a thing. This is no, a good... I you're talking to us, so I can't hear you. I don't know if you're just talking to the audience. <laughs> I kind of like the confusion. The next show's on Saturday, I think you said. I think you said the next show's a Saturday at 7 p.m. I kind of feel like Patrick Swayze and Ghost, where I'm, like, I'm trying to talk to them, and they, they I can hear them, but they can't hear me. Trevor can you hear me? 
I can hear you. Hey, buddy. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, you guys can't hear me. I can hear you. You can't hear me. I'm a ghost. It's Saturday at 9 p.m. Saturday around 9 p.m. It's very weird having a, a one-way conversation. Okay. Hold on a second. We'll pause it for a moment here. If I can get to the pause button fast enough. Okay, guys, I could hear you, but you couldn't hear me. We've got 17 seconds oh, hey. left. We've got 17 seconds left in the song, and then we can all say shalom, okay? You'll, you'll hear... How come we can't hear you? It, it's an idiosyncrasy with Skype. I can't explain it. I used to be able to hear you. I know. Well, Skype used to be a better program. Okay, right. so let's, let's, uh, let's finish this off here. 17 seconds. So that is it, everybody. And in a second, they'll be able to hear me again. That is all, everybody. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom.